Thursday, June the 8th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have our Belmont Stakes Day Preview for you. Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears join me, and we cover all nine graded stakes races on Belmont Day, and we talk about the big one, the Belmont. Now, as I record this on Thursday... They did cancel racing on Thursday at Belmont. They canceled a lot of sporting events in the area because of the fires from Canada and all the smoke that has been uh, blowing in to New York and a lot of the East Coast. So keep in mind that as of right now on Thursday, they have not canceled Friday racing yet. If you want some help with the Friday races, we have those recorded on a previous podcast where we talked about all of the graded stakes races for Friday. So on this episode, it'll be all about Saturday Belmont. We'll talk some NBA Finals with Eric as we move to Game 4. Right now, the Nuggets are up two games to one. Then we'll get into this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, WWE, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, and then we get into AEW. Finish up with a deep dive of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, scene-by-scene recap and review with Tim Kelly. Didn't love it as much when I saw it in the theater and then re-watching it, I think I might have been a little too hard on it. So one that uh, isn't quite as bad as some of the reviews were. It just, it wasn't a home run. We'll get into that in just a minute, but we have a lot to cover. So we cannot dilly-dally. We want to let you know about Thrive Fantasy, one of the sponsors of That's What G Said Podcast. It is daily fantasy DFS that you can play for all different sports, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, golf, hockey, League of Legends, When you go to the website and you uh, sign up, when you deposit, use the promo code GINO, G-I-N-O. That'll get you a deposit bonus from anything from $25 to $250. Whatever you deposit, they'll match that. And you can play different format contests against a bunch of other people, head-to-head matchups. But what I like, the parlays, the prop parlays. As long as you put two props into a parlay, it's considered a contest format. So in California, you can actually wager on these legally and in Texas and in other states based on that format. So go to Thrive Fantasy, put a couple props together, parlay them. They will give you a better payout than if you were to uh, play those same exact props and parlay them somewhere else. ThriveFantasy.com. Let's get into the NBA finals with Eric. Let's talk about the Nuggets Heat series as we head into game number four. NBA. Who's hot? Who's not? Who's hot? Who's hot? Might be our last chat on uh, That's What G Said about the NBA this year with Eric. We are up to game three of the NBA Finals. We saw the Nuggets win game three in Miami. So they go up and take a two games to one lead. But Eric, as is usually the case with uh, some of these older players that uh, like LeBron last week after the Lakers got eliminated, right away we hear about LeBron. Is LeBron going to retire? And then LeBron and Kyrie rumors. And now we're hearing Chris Paul. Chris Paul apparently is going to be waived. So some of these guys, when they don't make it to the finals or get close, they they get lonely. They want you to talk about them. They feel like they're uh, they're not in the news enough. So Chris Paul. Now the conversation with Chris Paul is kind of interesting, Eric, because uh, would I want Chris Paul on my team for forty million dollars? No. But would I would I take Chris Paul in a situation where Chris Paul was kind of like icing on the cake? 
right? Where you didn't need to count on him all the time, but he could be a nice addition to have in big moments in big games. Where do you stand on someone like Chris Paul? I wouldn't want him. Like I'm a Bucks fan. I would not want him on the Bucks. Yeah. I mean, um, cause late in games, I, is he going to get attacked? He's going to be, is he going to knock down threes for you? Like you need late in the game. Is he better than just another average, average sized, average I mean, shooting it, guard? It's more like he hasn't made it healthy through the last couple of playoffs. His age is up there. The wear and tear is getting at him. He can't make it through a series. That's why I don't want him on my team. Just because, like, if this is Chris Paul from six years ago, of course I do. But this is 40-some-year-old Chris Paul, liability on defense, jump shot isn't what it used to be, and he can't get to the rack like he used to be. I do not want this version of Chris Paul on my team. And I, and I kind of agree with you. Like, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Lakers where he's been rumored to go, and, and that's one of the places that people would tie him to. The Bucs would real, be the other you one, realize like you said. The Lakers, you realize the Lakers – starting up next year is going to be AD Draymond Carmelo's coming out of retirement Chris Paul yeah I know the banana boat and this just they're gonna retake the picture just in Laker uniform like out in out in the Pacific Ocean out there just in that banana boat but no I don't I the and the, the problem with a player like Chris Paul is he's not just it's kind of like when you bring in someone like a Westbrook or a Kyrie He's not just a random guy who, if he's having a good game, you can play. If he's not, you can just bench and be fine with that. Like, you can't do that to him repeatedly, right? Like, he's no. he's not going to like not being in the game late if he's struggling. Is he going to make a stink in the locker room there? Is he going to be a malcontent? I, I just don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze with a guy like Chris Paul anymore at this point of his career, even if it's at a reduced number. I still don't know. He may be the type of guy who like you trade for late in the year at like a last swing thing. I just, I don't want to have to count on him. I just don't see him being able to play those big, big moments late in games with his size, with, with the speed, with just his overall health deteriorating. So yeah, you and I are fans of two of the teams that he would be heavily rumored to go to and we wouldn't necessarily want him. So I uh, no. I mean, like, just looking at the big scheme, like the teams off the top of my head that make sense for him to go to, obviously he's going to want to go to both L.A. teams. He's got ties to the Clippers for all the years he played there. Um, Friends with LeBron, house in L.A., both those two teams just make sense. Basketball-wise, Philly kind of makes a little sense. Get an adult in the room, kind of get a little bit of maturity there that can kind of help, hopefully help Joel Embiid. You know, you have Maxi there that can play the two. So maybe there, help go to go to Philly, uh, go to New Orleans. That way you can have CG play uh CJ McCollum play off the ball, Chris Paul play the point. Those are kind of the teams off the top of my head that make the most sense. Um I don't understand with how financially strapped the Bucks are, how he can even fathom going to Milwaukee. Milwaukee has a lot of a lot of money issues. It's going to be really interesting to see the team that they put out on the, on the court next season. Okay, Eric, let's dive into the finals. Now, uh, Denver bounces back in game three and they, they played very, very well. And this was an unbelievable performance from Jokic and from Murray. They both had 
30-point triple-doubles. Jokic had 32 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. Murray had 34 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. Incredible games from the both of them. And they really needed that because in this series, we've seen a little bit different than in the other series where this series, it and, and we, we kind of expected this and you called it, but we've seen a little bit more brawn but overall, their role players have struggled a little bit more um, scheme-wise. I think Spolstra's made some of their role players get uncomfortable with what he's been forcing them to do, how he's made them defend. Like Michael Porter Jr., for example, he had a, a bad game two defensively. Game three, he played better. He just missed shots. But what he's what he's being forced to do is, like, he's a 6'10 guy who's being forced to, like, get low, kind of push through screens, do things that are kind of hard for him to do physically as a defender, right? You can't really, he's, he's a better guy to go get rebounds down low. His body's bigger than you, than you think, but this is credit to Spolstra because he's such a good coach, Eric. What he's done is he's made some of their role players get uncomfortable. You can't really do that to Jokic that much. He's always comfortable. He's such a fantastic player. It's hard to make him uncomfortable, but they've taken, KCP and Michael Porter Jr. kind of out of their rhythm. Malone made a huge adjustment last game. Um, it was enough with the three-pointers. Everything was a cut to the rim. And I really feel like that's really not Porter's game. That's why we saw a little bit more of Bruce Brown, uh, the rookie Braun. I think that's why we saw a little bit more of that. It's because goes back just to, just to what you talked about. The they only shot 18 three pointers compared to 35 for Miami. And trivia question for you. They went, they won by double digits, only making five three pointers. When was the last time a team in the NBA finals won a game and only made five three pointers? Oh, that's a great question. I have no idea. The one that I know that just how efficient they were and what their offensive rating was for a team that only hit five threes is unbelievable. But when was it, Eric? June 12th, 2012, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Wow. So we're going just, just to decade. kind of put it in perspective, this is after Curry. This is like when before Curry, excuse me. So this is, you know what I mean? Like, just so just kind of think about it. Curry really didn't happen until what, 2016, 2017, whatever? Yeah. Um, so that's like five years of like really no Steph Curry. When you kind of think about it, it's truly amazing that they were able to win that game in such a dominant fashion. And it was all twos, all going to the hoop. Really says a lot about what Malone did and how the strategy for what they did. And when you think about it, I know a lot of Spolster is getting a lot of credit, which rightfully so, I mean, taking this team here. But when you just kind of look at, like, everything, Malone and his staff have kind of figured it out with it, except for LeBron. LeBron was the one guy they really couldn't really contain in any of his series. AD, they kind of figured it out, contained him as much as you They did could. a great job on Booker, AD. Booker, you know, had his two games, three games, kind of figured it out with them. Figured it out with KD. LeBron's been the only guy who is like turning 40 that the Malone and his staff really weren't able to contain for the well, whole And that series. was more of a personnel thing, honestly, because they just didn't really have like physically 
they don't have that great of matchups for LeBron, right? Gordon did everything he could, but like Jokic, LeBron still got some speed on Jokic. He's got size on basically everyone else and kind of skill. And the Nuggets don't have that many other just really, really solid individual defenders. So he was one of the more difficult matchups for them. But you're right, they they made AD very uncomfortable. They made him have to work hard to get his. And they made like really hard on the other role players for the Lakers too. And I will say this. I know Porter didn't shoot the ball well at all. They had like three shots that went down and went out. But he did three things that really impressed me. You mentioned through it, he fought through the screens great on defense. He was going after the rebounds, very active on the glass, got a couple offensive rebounds, and he was diving on the floor. To me, that's a real big thing. And we kind of saw it with Braun. Like, as soon as you, like, kind of get yourself engaged defensively, go after rebounds, get on the floor, do the small things, then the game starts coming a little bit more naturally to you. We need to remember, Braun, his first shot, he hit the side of the backboard. It was probably the worst shot of the NBA Finals. But since he was active, he was able to get out some transition points, and then his game just kind of took off. I really wouldn't surprise me if we see a big game from Porter, and he's able to carry over the good stuff he did in this last game into the next game for Denver. So heading into game three now, if you're Coach Spo, you know you've got to – or game four now. you got to win this game because you can't go down three games to one and head back to Denver. What what are you trying to do to, to – What can you make any adjustments? Do you have anything left? What do you try to do if you're Spo here? I like the adjustment that he made, pressuring Murray, being a little bit more physical with Murray in the backcourt. Um but Vincent got in foul trouble early. Vincent got three fouls, and they, they were kind of able they, – they kind of had to change what they were doing with that. So I would look to do that a little bit more. Um, I would try to get on and run a little bit. These possessions – excuse me, Denver is really controlling the pace, making this a low, a low possession game. And Denver is so precise with their offense, they're able to play that way. Yeah, because they're just way better like in a, in a half run, court. Get, up, get out and run, get some free points, maybe try blitzing Murray, getting the ball out of his hands as soon as he crossed half court. But then you got Joker. Maybe I w- As crazy as it sounds, I would start – I would go small. I'd, I'd put Highsmith out there. I think you have to. Um, I'd put Highsmith, Struess, Vincent, Butler, and Bam. That's five. I would roll with those guys. Because your advantage right now is going to be just trying to outshoot them from three and outscore them from three because Denver, like you said, is not they, – they're leaning into cutting and all the easier buckets. You just got to get threes for twos, really. Yeah. You know, and yep. um, maybe now Caleb Martin had a little bit better game. Maybe he could have a better game four, kind of back at home, a little bit more comfortable. I just feel like, you know, looking at the series as a whole now, we're about – like a five minute stretch of Miami playing really well to start game two in the fourth quarter from this being already a three Oh deficit. Like if they don't yeah. have that, if they don't have that 14 to two run and that fourth quarter where they go nine for 10 to start the quarter, Denver wins the game and it's three Oh, it's three Oh, this is already done. And I mean, you kind of, if this is Miami series, there's no way Miami is going down three one and going to Denver. They're going to no. have one, two, three Cancun. Butler's going to be making um, reservations on the golf so do, course. Do like, we play they're, Miami they're first half in this game, in this next game coming up? Or Here's like- my worry. This is my worry. 
that they're going to run hero back. And I yeah, really I, feel like I know. running hero back is going to mess up. They could do yeah. it's going to mess up the rotation. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of backing off. I mean, I'm going to be on the quarter over just quarters overs again, just because I feel it's only a matter of time. He had two shots that were like went in and just came out. Mm-hmm. So I only feel it's a matter of time before he goes off. I'm also going to look to um, play the over probably because I expect Spolstra to look to get out and run a little bit more. And yeah, I don't know. I got to, I, I have some juicy futures that are alive and math wise, I'll kind of have to play in my head what I'm going to do. But um, I mean, I, those are probably the, my ones I'm going to look to do the over in points and the Michael Porter probably either points or three pointers over depending on what the prices are. Eric, buddy, it's been a blast uh, chatting and basketball with you all year. You and I will continue to preview these games individually for the remainder of the series. Following that, we're going to start. Real quick, uh, real go quick ahead. though, I have, I have two little nuggets. Number one, with the Chris Paul thing, we need to think that that stuff's not going to happen unless the Suns have a plan, right? It's They're yeah. not going to look to get rid of them. So if we just kind of take a step back and we kind of look who's available, James Harden's right there. Durant recruited Harden to come to Brooklyn, and Harden had enough of Kyrie and just wanted out. That's kind of something to think about because the Suns aren't going to do all this stuff. If they don't have I mean? another move. If they, if, they, if they don't have another move. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, you're I actually right. heard like real quick. It. I actually read something yesterday that I didn't like that said Harden could possibly come to the Lakers. I thought that was bizarre. Like put Harden with – AD and with LeBron and that way LeBron doesn't have to handle the ball as much, you know, like in the next couple years of his career. But I, I hadn't heard of that before. I thought that was That's kind of a weird. That was a weird. Yeah, one. I, haven't heard, yeah. I haven't heard that one. Uh, no. The second one, you mentioned the Irving stuff to LA. That's done. Irving's not going to start recruiting LeBron to Dallas. If he has any possibility of going to LA, you got to yeah. kind of just step back and just kind of think. So I found that really interesting. There's no way Irving goes there. Um, Bucks, I I love it when you get a coach, and I think the Bucks kind of took a page out of the Celtics book. Missoula, first time coach, no veteran assistants. What did the Bucks do? They brought in AJ Griffin, but who did they get as an assistant? Terry Scouts, the guy that used to coach at Portland. They have him. He's going to be the lead assistant. Kind of help Griffin through everything. Makes you wonder because I know Lillard and. Lillard and Giannis have this weird relationship. I don't understand how they're friends or anything. It makes zero sense to me. Does that get Lillard to Milwaukee? And those two form a little thing because of the relationship Scouts has with Dame. I don't know. And my last thing I need to ask you is with all the rumors, with your boy Austin Reeves dating Taylor Swift, are you a Swifty now, dude? Oh my goodness. I think so. I I think so. You might see me front row and center at the concert sitting next to Austin. That was hilarious. I didn't even know if that was real. Like it came at at the beginning. I was like, this has got to be a joke, but man, shout out to Austin. It's been a good week for him. He's playing in the, uh, he's playing in the team USA on team USA. Also Austin Reeves. Look where he's coming. Just a year, man. Adam boy. He's got billboard to 20. He's like a, he's a like he has an advertising campaign with some, like a couple different places now in Southern California. And there are huge Austin Reeves billboards all over the place. When you drive, it's like, man, That's he's awful. up on, up on the billboards, getting it with Swift at a boy, Austin Reeves. Oh man. Eric, we will, uh, we'll finish up with these games on NBA fast break bets. And then in the next week or two, 
We're going to start doing a, a show with DRF Sportsbook as well, where we give out some baseball plays each day. We preview some NFL stuff. And then on uh, on this podcast, we'll start in the next week or two also previewing uh, NFL divisional stuff, man. So that's what's great. The grind never stops. We just we just sort of shift from one over to the next. And and for us soon, it'll be a lot of the work for, uh, for really what's our favorite uh, football time, really diving into everything for college and for NFL. I'm looking forward to it, my man. Good luck to you, buddy. Uh, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk again real soon. Thanks so much for every, uh, everyone for hanging out with us on That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com you want to spread your pony knowledge Fantasy come true. But no, 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 
Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Stable Duel is daily horse racing contest. You can download the app. You can play in different games each and every day. And every weekend on Friday, Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears join me for This Weekend in Stable Duel, 10 o'clock a.m. on Friday mornings on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. From uh, if you follow me or if you follow Stable Duel, and we give out our best bets for the weekend. We only give out horses that are five to one and up. We call it the no chalk zone, and then we give you all the important info for Stable Duel contest that weekend. Now, because this weekend's focus is Belmont, we won't have a show on Friday. But I did get Matt and Barry to help me out talking all about the Saturday Belmont card. So here we go. We dive into Saturday. Belmont, we talk about all the stakes races on the card. There are nine graded stakes races, and they finish with the Belmont. Kick back and enjoy as we deep dive the Belmont stakes. Big, big week ahead. It's time to talk about the Belmont. Very lucky to have two of my best buds in the world of horse racing, Matt DeSantis, Barry Spears, the sniper, and we're going to talk all about the Saturday card at Belmont Park. We're going to dive into all the graded stakes races. It's basically a card's worth of graded stakes races because there's nine of them on Saturday. We're actually recording this on Wednesday evening, though, so something to keep in mind, uh, there's been really bad fires in Canada and that has blown a lot of smoke down into New York on Wednesday night, right around the time we are recording. The Yankees actually canceled their game, uh, their baseball game, and they've already canceled a couple different tracks uh, running for Thursday. I know Woodbine canceled Thursday. They've canceled morning training at Belmont Park for Thursday also. So just something to keep in mind for the next few days with the weather, how all of that will, uh, will you know, impact the races because Maddie, we were set up for Thursday, two stakes races, Friday, five graded stakes races, Saturday, nine graded stakes with the Belmont, the feature. Yeah. It's a loaded weekend. And obviously we're just hoping the health of everybody up there in the Northeast. And I, you know, I'm in Northern Virginia and I even walked out at my place this morning and smelled the smoke and saw the haze up here in Northern Virginia and know it's a lot worse up in the tri-state area up in New York. But you know, the, the, Word is, if you're looking at the forecast, it does look like it's going to start moving out tomorrow, Thursday afternoon. And so fingers crossed, Friday and Saturday should be good racing. We'll see. Maybe Thursday has to get canceled and rescheduled. But uh, uh, it looks like Friday and Saturday, like I said, knock on wood and fingers crossed, it's going to be okay. Seems like Thursday to me probably would be the day that's on the chopping block. Yeah. Um, if you're going to make a make a cut, that might be yeah. the day where you say, Right. We do it yeah, now. Like he, we could move a couple of the stakes from that day if we needed to. Um, another Thursday or yeah. you know another Friday, you know they'll they'll be able to recover from that. You know I don't think they'll be re- able to recover if they were to postpone the stakes, the Belmont stakes. That's tough. Yeah, tough to do for a lot of reasons. Just the timing of the race itself was on a specific day. Moving that day changes plans. You know and <laughs> yeah. and and. It'd be hard to to know if if people would actually still stay in the race, given if it was moved. But hopefully it's just talking, you know, that's not going to happen. So just something we had to mention, at least at the very top of the broadcast here, as uh, we get ready to dive into the daily racing form past performances. Oh, yeah. Those PPs are now available for DRF right now. Everything you need at DRF.com. And we always like to go into the formulator past performances. If you've ever hung out with us 
Uh, myself and Matt and Barry are always together on Friday morning for a show called This Weekend in Stable Duel. We give out our best bets for Friday and for Saturday, and then we talk all about Stable Duel, which is a daily horse racing contest. It's an app you can download. They have games every single day, all sorts of different contests. So we'll give out our best bets for horses that are running in those contests, whichever tracks that they have. This weekend, they don't have any contest um, for the New York tracks, so I had to make sure my, my guys didn't get any week off. No way. No way. I got to make sure that I, I'm making sure to take advantage of them to talk about the Belmont. So let's pull up the pay, uh, the past performances from uh, DRF right now. And uh, as we do, Maddie, uh, we're yeah. going to talk about race number three, which is the first stakes race on the card. It is the, yeah. uh, the graded stakes race, the one that's going North. to be... Featuring true one of the north. shorter, yeah, the true north, which will feature a short price. <clears throat> we'll also have one more later in the day, I think, where we'll have a really, really short price. But uh, let's yeah. start with the true north in here. Uh, Elite Power, your Breeders' Cup yeah. sprint winner, who's also mm -hmm. the winner of the sprint, the group two sprint. I guess it's a group three sprint in Saudi Arabia. We have not seen him since February the 25th. He was rerouted. They initially were planning on going to the Met Mile, but they said now they're going to go here maybe a softer spot, a spot to start the year. Yeah. A softer spot potentially to start the year. And obviously coming back from uh, running and overseas, I'll be honest though. I don't think this horse is that much. I don't think this horse is a four to five type of a favorite, even though that's what the morning line is. When you I look mean, at he the sure figures, doesn't overwhelm just on speed figures right uh, off the bat, right? Just at right. first glance. Yeah, he and Strobe are not all that far apart. They're right next door to each other in the four and five hole. Strobe's been running some nice races at Oaklawn. Uh, and there's not a huge buyer speed figure edge in this field. And when you look at the interesting thing is what I like to also do, and this is one of the reasons we love DRF and the formulator, is seeing those Timeform US early and late pace numbers. And when you see those sprints, you typically see these kind of eye-popping early speed numbers. And when you look at a horse like Elite Power, he really looks more like a plotter, kind of the same type of speed early as he has late. Now, obviously, he's been on a heck of a roll. Bill Mott has been, you know, moving him in a really, you know, smart way and putting him in very smart uh, positions to, to win. But the horse that kind of intrigued me was the horse on the rail. I'll be honest. Uh, the number one horse, today's flavor, just because this horse is the speed of the speed. Yep. Uh, this horse has, by far and away, the strongest early uh, pace numbers in the field. And from the rail with Manny Franco aboard, I know what that means. All systems go and go fast. And yep. so they are going to get out there and might just not get as much pressure as you think on the front end because they're going to be you know, trying to get out there. And this is a horse that has been getting better and better. And I, I like what I see from this horse. And again, if you're going to try to beat elite power at four to five, I kind of, I, I would prefer not to use a horse like Strobe at two to one. I'd rather use a horse like this yep. at five to one, get a little bit more value. His race against open company, two starts back in the Carter, you know, he's behind repo rocks in doppelganger. That wasn't yeah. a bad effort. He was only beaten a length and a half that day. And like you said, he's the horse who's going to dictate things from the inside because he's he's no doubt the fastest in here, the one to, to catch and beat. Barry, uh, how are you looking at this race? How are you approaching it? See, I, I, I'm looking at this uh, slightly differently um, because I think Strobe is probably the best horse in this race. He, he just had mm -hmm. some problems. It, you know, the layoff lines indicate that he had some problems early in the year. And what I do like is that he came back running at Oakland. 
Uh, he didn't that win that strong, day. Got beat that by was a Skelly. strong race, though. Um, but Skelly came back to win, uh, I think, twice. Yeah, this, this is race. a the horse who's, a, who's won, what, five in a row now? Um, and then other horses from that race. Tohono Twist came back and ran third in the grade one Churchill Downs. And then again in the uh, Aristides. We had Cogburn come back to win next start in a $100,000 stakes at Lone Star. And then Candyman Rocket, who came back to win the grade three Run Happy, who just looked overmatched in that race. It was a tough yeah. group. So that that was a good race, Barry. Yeah. I, I really agree with you. Yeah, I, I mean, he he hasn't done anything wrong in all of his starts and six starts, he has done nothing wrong. Um, and I think this is going to actually play into his favor, even though today's flavor looks like the speed of the speed. I think strobe is probably just as quick and will be glued sitting to outside that horse. Yes. Sitting just and, off. And that, and that's what I want to see, uh, you know, but on paper, it looks like either elite power or strobe. I, I mean, I would love to give a horse like today's flavor a chance but I, I think he's just overmatched here. The, the one who was strange, you think, when we all saw this horse pop up oh, in the yeah. entries was Fearless, Fearless. who's yeah, just, just been like a, a real distance horse. Um, you know, he's just always seemed like a horse who's wanted to go longer. And now they're going to cut him all the way back from a mile and a half. His last three races, mile and a half, mile and three quarters, mile and a half. And he's back here going six and a half. I, I'm not sure if I can, like, I want to get to the three a little bit. I, I want to try to, and, and mainly cause I look at his recent form and he's run second a bunch, but you start diving into who he's faced recently. So on February the 11th, he was behind spirit of McKenna. This is a very nice horse here out on the West coast who has won three in a row and won back-to-back graded stakes races is like the top sprinter out West right now. Um, anarchist then ran into a horse named uh, motorious we actually saw Motorious come back and run a bang-up race on the undercard at Churchill Downs, finishing second in the turf sprint, uh, earning 101 buyer speed figure that day. And the only reason Motorious didn't win is because nobody passed Nobles that day. Just ended up going wire to wire uh, from the inside. So another good race. And then Brickyard Ride, who you see that Anarchist faced a couple times. Brickyard Ride is a multiple graded stakes winner, and he's just really fast and tough to run down. The, the main concern for me is six and a half. I, at yeah. six, I would like Anar. I would really give Anarchist a shot. I don't know because I think he could sit a pretty nice trip. He might be See, able that to was sit my third. That was my, you know, kind of, you know, um, question mark here is what running style is he? Because if he, he can sit lead, third, he, you behind, know, that, yeah. Um, like Strobe goes and puts a little pressure on the one and he's right behind them and gets a jump. I could see that, but I don't know at six and a half if that'll translate. But I kind of I like him as a horse overall. It's just I don't know if this is the right spot for him. I'm I'm I was just kind of talking myself into him here in the true north. But elite power, four to five on the morning line, definitely the horse to beat, but not overwhelming. And they keep him out of a lot of the uh the exotics, like he is going to be an overwhelming favorite in here. So that's uh, the first of the nine graded stakes races for Saturday. Let's move along to race number five, which is the next. It's the grade three poker, a mile on the turf here for four-year-olds and up. And Shea Pierre, even money on the morning line. This horse has won six of seven starts. Barry, he won one at Tampa. And then his only race that he didn't really fire was in the Tampa Bay. Um, and if you just eliminate that, he hasn't done anything else wrong. Seems a little quirky. Uh, like his race last time out, he was kind of sitting and then he kind of moved early and went to it. But kind of got gifted that win. Yeah, you know, because uh, the you know, yeah. 
So I'm not exactly of... sure what to think. It was sort of a strange yeah. race, but what do we do with the with the one in here who's the heavy favorite on the morning line? I'm leaning towards fading that horse. Uh, I, I don't like his post position, and I think he kind of got, um, I, I guess you could say, a little bit lucky in his last race to, to kind of – yeah, just to get that lead at the time that he got it. And then, you know, there was really nobody there. I mean, Modern Games was coming from way back, and, and he ran on pretty well. But it was too late at that point. And, and I think it was kind of a, a fortunate kind of win. But I, I think Emmanuel here is going to be tough. Yeah, I, think I figured that. I know, I know you've been a fan, and I figured you Yeah, he's back. sitting on a huge race. And this spot kind of fits the bill. I mean – it just all depends on what the seven Philo uh, D Ariana is going yep. to do because that horse is pretty much a sprinter. And if that horse kind of gets out in front and I don't think Shay Pierre really wants to be up front. No, close and to the lead. that that could be the, the trick, right? If she gets caught up in a battle, if, if he gets caught up in a battle with this one and they, they put a little too much pressure on each other. And I think from the inside, I'm, I could see that happening. And can we get, and I agree with you. Can we get a manual to just track in right behind them? Right. That's, that's what I want to see. Just a, a nice tracking trip right behind the leaders. I read, um, <clears throat> rode this horse last time. I didn't think he got the best of trips. He was out wide at Pimlico um, in the And he just party. looked like it, he was a winner at the mile. Yep. And it yeah. just that mile and an eighth just seemed like it was a little too far just for him. Far. He just sort yeah. of it wasn't like he completely stopped either. He just, his energy just right. He just dulled he down at, slowed at the down mile. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Instead of speeding up now, uh, you know, I, the cutback, I mean, everything looks to be in this horse's favor. Um, he just got to get it done and hopefully he's not too short of a price. Maddie Shea Pierre uh, will take a lot of money. Another interesting yeah. one might be the, the deuce, you know, who like who fits and he was getting really good last mm -hmm. year, but then mm -hmm. he hasn't raced since September. The only thing is when you dive into this particular horse, he has fired fresh repeatedly yep. over <laughs> and over. When you look yep. at, you know, he was off from October of 2017 to April of 2018. First start back crushes wins by six. First start in North America off of what more than a year layoff wins. Like he's won off of layoffs multiple times over and over. So, yep. you know, and the connections are definitely capable of firing fresh. Absolutely. No, it's funny. That was the one note I made was <clears throat> has run well off the bench before. And, you know, that's something you, you tend to look for with horses that do have multiple lines in their past performances. How have they come back historically speaking? Because rather than relying on trainer stats, I'd much rather rely on the horse. And so uh, th this is one who you're right. always seems to bring a good effort off the bench. And as horses get a little bit older, I also, you know, horses tend to actually do their best running sometimes first time out. Uh, we tend to see that. So, uh, you know, an eight-year-old doing that makes a lot of sense that you'd actually get a really good effort first time off the bench and should sit, I think, a useful trip and can be versatile. I mean, you, we've seen him sit pretty close to the speed and can sit a little further back, two for uh, two for seven winning at the distance, four for seven in the money. Uh, I will say, I like Barry, I also like Emmanuel quite a bit in this spot. Uh, I think this is a... This would uh, have been an... Oh! Yeah, this would have been one of those. Yeah, we... Yeah. We, we both like Emmanuel here. I mean, uh, Shea Paris, I just think 
honestly, I think what happened to that maker's mark mile, and I was talking with David Aragona about this, is up to the mark, I think, just what got kind of fell asleep at the wheel a little bit mm-hmm. and was not nearly as forwardly placed as he probably should have been in that race and let Shea Puri end up getting this really, very easy lead. I just don't see this happening again. And I think Emmanuel, I've been waiting on him for this trip for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to hit one of these days because yeah. it's a talented horse. And I think it, and the other interesting thing about going to Belmont, and maybe this is a, kind of an interesting dynamic, even with the seven as well, who's run up at Woodbine, is this is basically a glorified one-turn mile. And yeah. a lot of these horses don't do that on turf. And so the horses that are used to running one-turn ter- one turf races are sprinters or horses that have run up at Woodbine because they have that unusual track configuration where the turf is outside of the synthetic. So you do one-turn mile races on the turf up there. So I, I actually think Emmanuel sets up beautifully as a one-turn turf horse in this sort of a spot. So I, I really like this one uh, at 9 to 2 in the morning line. Uh, you're getting a little bit of value. I think you can try to get past the, the overwhelming favor here. Yeah, key to the race is the seven. Uh, what does he do out there? Because he is very fast. Miles pushing it for him. I mean, he can get it under the right circumstances, mm-hmm. but if he gets any other pressure, um, you know, he'll he'll fade. But he's a nice horse. He's a seven-year-old now who finished second behind Rockcrest, and then Rockcrest came back to win just last week. Um, and this race has already produced a couple next out winners. Rockcrest actually won the Pink Lloyd. Um, so oh, yeah. Frank that form a little bit. Let's look at race number five, the second graded stakes race uh, race among nine on Saturday as we move to the Brooklyn race number six. And initially, you know, I I wasn't sure what to do with this race. I, I started warming up a little <laughs> bit more with the two, but it's to the two red run. But these are always difficult races just for me personally as a as a handicapper, the way I handicap watching races using as much information as possible to make like an educated decision. We just don't have nearly as much information with horses going long because they're not a lot of races going long, whether it be mainly on the dirt. Like we have less of them on the dirt than we do on the turf, but just overall we don't. So they're always more difficult for me to get a, to get a feel for everyone. Cause I just don't feel like I know these horses as well. Um, and in this race, you get some of the, the, familiar faces going long you know you're going to see next who's been in a lot of these races recently you're going to see lone rock and who's been in a lot of these races the last few years is a 16 time winner may have may have lost a a bit of a step now at eight um and then warrant who might be sort of the now horse barry in this division sort of been figuring it out and been a horse who can sit close moving forward do you have a strong opinion or any type of opinion in this race, the Great Two Brooklyn. Um, it's a tough race, you know, because like you said, <laughs> it's it's something that we we don't see a lot of in this yeah. country is a lot of long distance races on the dirt. That being said, I think we have seen enough of Red Run to understand that this horse is going to run well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see this horse get claimed three starts back in Oakland. <clears throat> by Mike Maker, who does this an awful lot, steps horses up mm-hmm. and starts winning. And and lo and behold, and doesn't he, goes, he just feel like he's got more upside than yes. like we we know the rest of this group. We sort of know what their ceiling might be and right. who they and, are. And the biggest indicator was his last race against Warrant, who I have personally seen enough of. 
you know, um, I just uh, I just don't think it's at five to two or a, a short and, price here. He's a, he's a good play. In and, and this like, race, Matt, too, I feel like for yeah. this type of a race, there's a good amount of early pace signed on or horses who you feel like should at least be forwardly placed in here stretching yep. out. You know, a horse like Bright Future, this is like the the testing race for the connections, right? To get a mm-hmm. chance for their uh, their rider to go a mile and a half on the main track before the Belmont just to get mm-hmm. a little feel for it. Uh, Bright Future, I'd imagine, will be forwardly placed. You're going to see... Um, I think Alfio's going to be pretty forward. Alfio's going to be close up. Yeah. Next wants to be close up. Um, yeah. Lone Rock. And Warrant both don't yeah. want to be too far out of it ever. Um, I'd imagine Centavo doesn't want to be too far out of it. So for a, a mile and a half race, yeah, there should there could be three, four horses all wanting to push the pace. And then you have a couple others that just by default are more forwardly placed. We see it every year in the Belmont. Right. You get a few horses where people are like, whoa, what are they doing so close? Well, they're just running right. a little bit farther at a little bit slower type pace and I think it could set up really well for Red Run. Uh, how do you see this race shaping up, or what are some of your thoughts here, Maddie? Yeah, so Red Run was my number two choice. I like this horse a lot. Obviously, we should say a full sibling to Red Route 1, who is, of course, be yep. running in the Belmont Stakes later in the card. Uh, so from a pedigree standpoint, obviously a horse, you know, we've been talking about how Red Route 1 wants more and more distance. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> then this is it, presumably the sibling will too. And that's certainly what we saw last time out. A uh, huge perk up in buyer speed figures now going up mile and a half for the first time. So uh, I think there's a lot to like with Red Run. You're getting much better value. Um, I will say I do think next, I, I, like Barry, I've seen enough of Warrant. Uh, I think next is a little bit more intriguing than Warrant just because you go, well, second back from a really long layoff it's only logical that the horse kind of wore out a little bit on the front end in that first race back. It certainly has the ability. And the thing is what's so interesting about next is even though, you know, going into his 17th career race, he's still really new in this division. He really only what's, fu- what's funny. Came not to interrupt. Three races ago. Yeah. Look at his form and compare it to red run. He's like yeah. a year ahead. Yeah. It almost Basically. looks identical, like a lot of the same sort of races, right? They were in these stakes races when they were young, yep. just kind of trying to figure out where they were, claimed, and then moved up into a division, and now sort of placed in a division as a type, right? Yep. And that's what happens a lot of times with like distance horses and turf sprinters, because very rarely do people say like, I just bred myself a turf sprinter, right? It's, it's usually <laughs> not like, but no. Nobody wants yeah. to win graded stakes races on the grass, right? I mean, anyone right. wants to win good races. It doesn't sure. matter what. You just sort yeah. of have to figure out where you belong. I think it's the same with these distance horses sometimes. I, I, I totally agree. And sometimes they fall into this later in their careers, and it does feel like both the, the two and the five just kind of figured out what they're good at recently. And so I, the fact that the they're still relatively new in this division, I'm going to use them. Uh, I like the five up top, but we'll probably use the two. And this is one also to pay attention to the tote board, I think, at as well, just to see where the money is going in this race, you know, and, and see if the if the five starts taking money, then then I'm probably a little bit more interested in using the two. Uh, but yeah, I agree. There's a lot more pace in this race than you would expect. Mm-hmm. And there's a it's, it's interesting. There's a Friday uh, race on the turf. That's two miles that also has a little bit more pace than you would expect. So some of these like marathon races, they're going to be going a little faster up front. So look for those closers. And certainly the two makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, this this, this is like a race that's an automatic play against the favorite, whoever it is. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 
Let's continue along to race number seven. Up next, it is the grade one Ogden Phipps, mile and a 16th. Phillies and mares, four-year-olds and up. Really good group that <laughs> showed up for this one. You have probably the three or four top of the division right now with Clarier starting on the outside. The The concern with Clarier, though, always, I know we're all big fans of her, is that she has a late running style, and that could compromise her quite often like she'll always show up with a good late run but if she's in races where she doesn't quite get the trip the horses who do get a better trip than her can beat her we've seen it uh throughout her career now in this particular race in this small field matt i think that's what may come into play right in a race like this because looking at the field it seems like you've got the one main for sure speed horse i think with played hard yeah and then i i could see search results making played hard work a little bit difficult. And then the yep. one is kind of the wild card I, yeah, I was I, looking at. Yeah. I think that's the right way to look at this race. And so, uh, you know, Clarier is, we all love her, but good Lord, she's going to make me lose my hair uh, yeah. at some point because that running style, I mean, good Lord, she just barely gets up there when she does. Some, and uh, when like about halfway through the race, sometimes it's like her running style gets very lazy. Yes. And sometimes you're like, she's got no shot. Like you're, yeah. you're just like, she's checked out and then she'll still win and she'll cl- yeah. like flip into it. But yeah, whew, and, yeah, it yeah, gets nervous. She, it gets very nervous. And you know, perhaps it's, it's, it's fitting that Joel is riding her, yep. but uh, it is, yeah, I listen, I, I will say if we remember, go back to last year's Ogden Phipps, that was one of the more amazing races I remember from 2022, because that so was good. the one where, uh, Latruska and search results are running what looks like a Breeders' Cup sprint race out in the front end and opened up 15 lengths on the rest of the field, only to see Malafat and Clarier come closing like freight trains and Clarier get there. And like I don't, search results held on so I, awesome. Well, like, and, man, and, it's so unbelievable that day. And that's the reason I really like search results. And I yeah. still have that race in my head of like, yeah. it feels listen, like it's her spot. It, it, yeah, this is her spot. Second back from a layoff. And she's not going to have to deal with nearly the same sort of speed duel that she dealt with with Lutruska last year. And we know she can sustain very fast pace and keep going. I really like search results here. I think this is the one she finally gets. I feel like they've been trading races between you know last year Malafat and Clarier, this year Clarier and Secret Oath, and and even played hard. And I feel like search results. This is her turn to kind of get the win. And Barry, um, we were talking about another race a horse who's fired fresh repeatedly search results is kind of the opposite. She's in, if you've noticed, she's not been as good in her first start back. So I get one. It's that's when she has a big, big effort almost Mm -hmm. all the time. So this is the race that you see that you think she ran kind of deceivingly well too. She was in a good spot and then she was behind horses. Then she moved down to the inside and she was, and she was moving well. I think she was just a little bit short there. Um, how do you see this one unfolding, Barry? Well, I am under the impression that past this champagne is going to heckle, menace, what have you, played hard. That happens. It falls right into search results lap. There's Perfect. not much speed in here. Yep. Um, you know, so the, the pace isn't going to be wild like it was when, when uh, she got beat. And I think search results just falls into the perfect trip. Even if, let's just say, past the champagne doesn't hassle. He can just hard. sit second right off. 
right off, and I think she's just a better horse. She a little just classier, a little fitter. She just wasn't now. better off the first off the bench, and yeah. that's what got her beat. So this time is the time for search results. And I like this one. I'm I'm actually gonna include like if you're playing Maltese, I'm gonna include both of those two. Just I think a lot of people might just dismiss the five, and this horse might float up a little bit more. Um, and if this horse gets the right kind of trip, she can absolutely win this race if she if she gets left alone out front, and if they're sure. just uh you know backing off a length or two on her. I think she's got some quality, so I'm gonna make sure I include her too. But I completely agree with you guys. I just in. I played search results a little bit in the, the La Troyenne. And then afterwards I was mad at myself for doing it because I knew <laughs> that I wanted to play her in the second start back, but I thought, you know what? She's classy. She still might get a good trip because she is, she's really classy. She's really honest. And um, Matt, you, you kind of mapped it out perfectly. That race last year, it stands out so much how well yeah. she ran almost the same race, like two different times. <laughs> and and got beat and it was really unlucky and yeah. you're just watching her like oh my god it was the phipps and then yeah. in the personal ensign yeah. it's almost the same mm -hmm. thing happened again where she put all the pressure on latruska puts yeah. her away latruska's done and she just can't hold off the closer yeah. so and, and this is as competitive a division as we have in horse racing night right now in terms of the distaff division and like I said, they take turns kind of beating each other. And I don't think, I don't think any one of them is dominant necessarily, you know, whether it be secret oath or Clarier or search results uh, or, you know, played hard, but I think they are all to Barry's point on a given day. If they get the right setup, they can absolutely capitalize on that. And I feel like this is the day for search results. Oh, and uh, don't forget, as you're talking about this division, Nest has just posted the <laughs> fourth consecutive work right yeah. now. And I'm very much paying attention because I drafted Nest in a fantasy horse racing league. And so I've been waiting <laughs> all year for some races. Now I got Nest. I had Forte get scratched out of the Derby, the fa the morning line favorite. Come on. I need some luck in this league as we uh, move along to race number eight. It's the Woody Stevens. These, the three-year-old sprint races at hmm. this time of year are always some of my favorite Fantastic. to handicap. They're just yep. so great because as we watch all these horses develop and go longer and try to get their Kentucky Derby points, we always have in the back of our mind that some of them aren't going to be able to go that far. Right. And we're always, we're waiting for some of these horses to cut back to the mile on the Pat day mile or to cut back to seven furlongs here in some of these spots. So whether or not we're right, I feel like every year I always have like one or two horses that I'm like, yes, they showed up where I wanted them. I'm excited. Maybe they're good enough. Maybe they're not. And for me, there was another one this year um, that I, I've been waiting for. And again, it could be a tough spot. And I don't know if he's quite as good as a few others, but this is the spot I want for victory formation. Uh, I know oh, you yeah. go there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Just really thought that, I mean, this is a horse who was the, who was favored in the risen star. He was favored over Angel of Empire and two fills, and that and they both came out of that race to win next out. It was just a little too far for him. Honestly, if you look at the race, he's traveling pretty well most of the race. They just tried to sit off a little bit. He just had nothing when they asked him to go because it was a little too far. I think in this situation now, at, he just went a mile and an eighth last time out. I think he'll be fine sitting just off from, from out wide in here i have i think he would be complete i'd much rather have him out here than draw the rail oh yeah for sure something like that because then that really forces him 
right? And yeah. um, Matt, we've talked about him a few times. I've been sort of waiting for him to show up in spots. We mentioned yeah. how, isn't it funny how just different preps could change the, the like the, the triple crown trail? Because if oh, yeah. he would have showed up in one or two of those races where there's no speed, and he just goes wire to wire yep. and he gets the points and then he's in the Derby. And I'm not saying he's a Derby winner or everything, but right. things definitely change um, because of that. I, I remember we pointed out one or two of those races that were like, Hey, this horse would actually be really tough in here. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting if he had just stayed down in the fairgrounds and run in the Louisiana Derby where there was almost no speed at all uh, in Kingsbarn kind of walked the dog up front and ended up winning that one. I mean, victory formation has much better early speed than you yeah. know, Kingsbarns does and, and, and could have held on potentially there. And, and then you're looking at a different trajectory. It's interesting. Cox, after that risen star in an interview, even said victory formation might be a Pat day mile type of horse. That's what was so interesting was that then he goes to the bathhouse row stakes and I go, yeah. huh, okay, they're going to keep trying to route this horse. That's kind of interesting. But now they end up in the Woody Stevens, which is maybe where they this horse should have been all along. And yeah. so I, I agree. This horse makes a lot of sense. And there's a ton of speed to the inside, a ton of speed to the inside in this race. And so I like, like you, I like that this horse is the outside and can kind of slot in, uh, you know, Jeru can kind of figure out where, this horse can slot in and is not necessarily getting the hand forced, but can sit a little bit and can rate perhaps a little um, behind some of the real speed balls that are in this race that are stretching out in some instances, like a New York Thunder or something like that. So, um, you know, I, I think this one sets up well. I, I will say I also, uh, you know, I do like the number eight Fort Bragg. Uh, yeah. for Baffert. I mean, this is a horse that just him feels and Jim very both ran a great race, right? They, and they, they, and if it sets up for someone yeah. off the pace, both of them again, Barry loved Fort Bragg and he ran too good to lose. That yeah. was a wicked beat for the sniper, but again, yeah. sits that same sort of trip, right? No knocks on him, yeah, exactly. It's funny because I was super high on General Jim in that Pat Day mile. Sniper was on Fort Bragg. Well, now I'm on Fort Bragg now. I mean, I, and I actually am a little less uh, enthralled with uh, General Jim in this spot because I actually think he might need a little more ground to get going sure. from the back. And Fort Bragg can sit, I think, a little bit more of a useful trip behind some of the early speed. So um, I like this one a lot. But there's, I mean, you if you're playing this horizontally, I mean, you could go five, six wide if oh, you yeah. wanted to. I mean, because there's, you, we haven't even touched on a horse like Drew's Gold on the far outside, who's a perfect that's four the one. for four and no hasn't done anything wrong. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. I like that one a lot. You, you know why, Gino? You see his past performances. Just comes started off. out running. Just started yep. out running, you yep. know, uh, as, as a two-year-old. Um, won first time out in a restricted race at, at Churchill, then went to Laurel, wins uh, optional, you know, basically just rising up the ranks. Yep. Had some time off after February, mm -hmm. came back May 12th, ran a, a bang-up race, just a much-improved race uh, on the 12th, and now gets into this spot. I like the draw. I like the post position. Um, I think this one's going to be tough. And, and the other horse is another one that I like because I, I actually like three horses in this race. The first one, in order, yeah. it was Drew's Gold. Then it was Federal Judge, mm. who I think is a runner. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and honestly, you know, if, if that horse can kind of navigate between and around general Jim and Fort Bragg, he's going to be really tough. And then victory formation. The only reason I didn't like him higher up is because of the cutback. I, I don't, I don't really like that mile and eight to seven cutback. Usually they need another race. So they'll, they'll go seven. And then the second time at seven, 
it would probably, probably be back better. to the the sprinting right but yeah what, what's for me in playing this in late exotics i will definitely include the gym and fort bragg just because i'm gonna need one or two horses that can close just in case because there mm-hmm. are crazy prospects that this could be both of them just Phew. wicked wicked so i Don't think i'm either using one the 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 <laughs> in in my exotics the the two that the victory formation and drew probably brag you know i'll probably be like those three or four brag and then a little less with jim but i i'm gonna want one or two because man there are versions of this race where 10 of them are are lining up and and going really really fast and whoever can kind of sit and get the trip may yeah. capitalize love uh, it. one of the things i'll say is uh, one of the horses we didn't talk about which i think is because we're all fading is arabian lion who's yeah. The, oh, yeah, actually like the second choice on the board yeah. uh from a morning line standpoint but the problem is there's so much speed in this race and this horse does not run well when it doesn't get on the lead and no. there's no way this horse is getting the lead in this race and so i this was just like one of the easier tosses of a favorite that i yeah, had yeah. i think on the whole card where i was like oh well, me. forget this yeah. He can beat me. Yeah. I, I was never even that high on him early I wasn't on. I like career. the other Arabian, never, Arabian Knight. That was I, the, I, I like this one better. Okay. You you're, really? You're a fan of the Lion more. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I think that if this horse is going to win, he's just going to pop the gate and just, and just, just, just keep, drill everybody. Nobody's yeah. going to be close to him. That's the only way he can win. Right. It's the only way he can win. And, and obviously, I think that the chances of that happening are not good. lion uh one that we're discussing here in race number eight on the belmont saturday card we keep moving along race nine kicks off the pick four that will end in the belmont and you have uh four consecutive graded stakes races and uh all four of them are grade one so it's a grade one pick four there starting in the ninth with the jiper and barry this one is another race where they could be flying early on. Caravel was a horse who was funny. She was 40 to one in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint against the boys. And following that, she's just be, been a monster. She's won four straight. She beat the boys again to start the year. She crushed the girls last time out. But she is better at five and five and a half than six. Is that something that concerns you? Do you sort of start with Caravel? How do you see this race? Look, man. That Breeders' Cup turf sprint, she lucked into that win. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the ones after that she lucked into also, even though she was very, very short price. And and I just have to fade this horse every single time. She's bet yeah. way too much and very vulnerable on a lot of occasions. This being one of them, I don't want any part of her in here from that post. There's there's a lot of good horses in here, especially the longer trip, five, uh, you know, from five and a half to six. And it's this Belmont six is even different, right? It even plays, right. I think, more like a six and a half or maybe even a little longer. Right, because everybody, you know, the thing about Belmont is the turns are so wide and sweeping that it gives everybody a chance. You really don't lose too much ground if you have to go outside, especially on the turf course. Um, there's just there's just way too much speed in here. I, I don't it's like nothing that, better right. than a fly like that horse can fly and and make it really difficult for her. Yeah. And, and, you know, you even got horses like midday image who likes to go to the lead. Now that he's in the Jacobson barn, he cut back into sprints, which is bizarre, but whatever. Um, 
you know, and that left me with two horses here. Go Bears Go and Dr. Zempf. Yeah. And I think I'm going to really lean towards Dr. Zempf because I think that horse is just going to fall into a great trip. Here. Let's let's watch the race on March the 10th at Gulfstream because that's a race that we'd love to see that type of a trip mm-hmm. that, that he sat this day. So he's the number two. And keep in mind, this was his first start since August. And this was on March the 10th. This was his first start in North America, first start for the newborn. And Barry, I, 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 I'm i with you and with both of them as horses to use in late exotics. But in particular, I made Dr. Zemp my top selection because we're getting the cutback. He showed a little speed going longer. He was in that weird race where mm-hmm. he was on the lead and he took up and we sort of let and then Shay Pierre, uh, Paris, I kept calling him Pierre, huh? Maddie, yeah. right? <laughs> hey, I, I'm yeah. the same way. Thank I, you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I think this is a good spot for Zemp. So he's sitting fifth inside. That's the type of trip we'd love to see with him in here, right? Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what we want to see on, on Saturday. This trip, and, the same trip. If he gets the same trip, he's going to be very, very tough. And if this horse and search results win, you're gonna have a great day it's gonna be a very I promise nice you that you. You, i promise you that you'll, you'll hear barry from florida i mean in that case you might. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you might what i like too is that in this race he showed a couple things he can sit behind horses he has no problem with a little bit of traffic too matt because this is yep. what could happen in a turf sprint right yeah it's not always a linear trip for you sometimes you're behind you're waiting you got to shift out you got to move through traffic he seemed like that's something he could do in a spot like this absolutely no very useful horse and uh, any listen anybody coming out of the chad brown barn you got to take seriously on a day like this up at the belmont turf so uh makes a lot of sense if you guess that type of trip i think he's very tough uh i, I like barry's other one go bears go quite a bit yeah. this is a horse i've always really liked going back all the way to his two-year-old year in the breeders cup juvenile turf sprint when he came over and ran second behind twilight gleaming uh it just this horse just fell off form for a little bit over in europe came back into wesley ward's barn but like and, off it, of form is in the races against the best like the, best, the absolute the top yes. group ones and i think just like we were saying the opposite of Caravel. Yes. He's, yeah. he's going to benefit this yeah. to the six furlongs. Instead He'll of, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely going to be better for him. Absolutely. And so uh, I think this is, you know, second back from a really long layoff ward turf sprinters always are gold. Jose, quite frankly, on the turf at Belmont is like a totally different creature. Uh, and he's <laughs> riding very, very well. Uh, this, this meet obviously up at Belmont. So I really like go bears go. And then, listen, I I, I got to give a shout out to our guy Casa Creed yeah, as well. Yeah, you got to mention him. I, I mean, the short if he if it's him and and like Caravel that are the oh I'll take prices, him because every time. And what's nice about him, I've mentioned this before. When you come off of layoffs as consistently as he does, yep. With when with you have his running style, he only has to run for a quarter mile. Yeah, pretty he much. Sits back, he just pushes the button and they launch the rally. And if it sets up for him, he goes, but he doesn't have to really carve it out all throughout and have a bunch breathing down his back while he's setting the fractions, you know? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to get beat like by him in some exotics and races. Like if I have my others hit, he'll be on some of my tickets. Yeah. I just think he's, and like you said, we've seen him fire off the bench. We've seen him do this exact same thing before where he comes back from overseas and wins the Jiper, uh, just like he did last year. Two-time Jiper winner. It, exactly. And so 
you know, he just he doesn't run bad races either. That's the other thing. And I just feel like Carabell, if you're giving me a choice between the two shorter priced horses, I'm taking Casa Creed every day because I think the nine absolutely burns up Caravel uh, or just gets the lead outright. And then Caravel doesn't get the sort of trip that she wants in this particular race. And yeah. so I'm all the way out on her. And so I'll be using Casa Creed. I'll be using uh, Go Bears Go. I might be using a little bit of uh, the number three horse as yeah. well. Air Force Red, That's who I, I think is kind of an interesting horse as well. At, at least one. as a flyer on yep. a pick four or two or an under. Um, I think this trip will be good for him cutting back a little bit from a fitness yep. standpoint. His race is all going six and, and six and a half in a mile recently. Now he cuts back. He'll be forwardly placed, but he can also pass horses a little bit. Yeah. You know, a couple starts back. I mean, he was seven to two in the, in the grade one kill row, two starts right. back. Like he, he was a player in there, uh, in the thunder road, you know, he won the grade two Hernandez and then he stretched out and he, he just missed in the thunder road that day. And I think you guys liked DeJour that day too, uh, who yeah. ran really well behind Earl's rock. He, he wouldn't shock me either to see him run well in here. Um, but yeah, we're all sort of cold on, on Caravel Zemp as a major player. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not exactly sure what to do with the rest of me red. He's had a, like a couple trouble trips here and there, but I, I can't, I can't with this horse. I, I, I mean, how many times that. am I going to bet this horse? I mean, I, I just, I can't, I, if he beats me, he beats me. But I mean, I, there've been so many races where I'm like, Oh, it's going to be a rest me reds day. I can and just see just, it. And then I, I kind of feel the same way uh, with him. I've included him, I think a few times in a yeah. row. And now I'm sure when we don't, he'll, he'll snap us. <laughs> he'll get us. One, oh, one, oh yeah, seven. one horse, <laughs> um, one, one long shot shout out to front run. The there was your boy. I guess I said, we had to mention him. He didn't, uh, almost beat Casa Creed back uh, in 2021 mm-hmm. at, at Belmont um, yeah. at seven furlongs. If this was a seven furlong race, he'd be a lot better. Yeah. Um, but I think he's, he's going to be pretty good at a big price for maybe third or fourth front run. The fed Barry dished him out and he paid like 28 bucks on uh, April the 22nd yeah. at Keeneland that day. So look at the Jiper really fun race to handicap. And that's, what's good about this card is that, there's a lot of races with some heavy favorites, some big name horses, and there are going to be a few of them that you got to just fade along the along the way. You just got to pick yeah. and choose which ones you want to do. We've already p- picked out a few for you that we feel like we're going to take swings against as we move into the uh, final pick three that leads right into the Belmont. Three big, big races, the grade one Met Mile, the grade one Manhattan, and the grade one Belmont. So let's talk about the Met Mile and... Barry, let's talk about Cody's wish to start. He is the morning line favorite in the Met Mile, and he will be facing the likes of White Barrio, Epo Rocks, Zandon, Charge It, some of the major players down towards the inside. Slow down, Andy and Dr. Chevelle should be flashing some speed and be forwardly placed in here. How do you see this one shaping up? Yeah, it, it, you know, obviously the race goes through Cody's wish, um, but I don't particularly think that this horse is uh so much of a of a heavy favorite that's going to win you know there's there's heavy favorites on this card i don't know if this is the top one because there's a there's some pretty good horses in this field um namely charge it who i think is sitting on a big race i mean if you look at this horse's career and you just put a line through that derby effort Look at the horses he lost to. White Barrio at that time, mm-hmm. Fountain, I mean, uh, Florida Derby, 
When that and was the mile probably in the best races, he was ever. He was probably could, that was the best White Abaro has ever been. And the the mile in the eighth races, I think you can sort of scrap a little right. too, because I think once that mile he hits the mile, like you don't want to go much farther than that. Right. He's, he's a little shaky after that. Yeah. And you can see that in the past performances. So I like the cutback. I think the mile suits this horse perfectly. And you see who he lost to in the last two races, endorsed who's razor sharp and proxy. And I think proxy is probably just a better distance horse than charge. It is. And last samurai and stiletto boy. I mean, you're talking right. about three outstanding horses in that and, division. And I, yeah, he, he's not getting beat by slouches at I, all. And no. this race is, is not any easier, but he kind of sets up better in this race than he it did. Does. The previous ones. I will say I was, I have been a little disappointed in him in his last few races with that being said, this is the spot for him right here in this race, cutting back at Belmont park where he right. ran that freaky race. The way the race shapes up to is kind of intriguing to me because Matt, I saw you talking a little bit about this on social media that people were warming up to slow down Andy. Yeah. I am for sure going to use in a pick four and pick five, the three, just mm-hmm. in case that horse gets oh, out yeah. front, Dr. Chevelle, yep. because I don't know for sure who's going to be on the lead except for him. Like he's, and then right behind him, it's probably charge it like pressing him. And yep. probably slow down Andy. But um, if Chargett sits that trip where he's like sitting second or third, just yeah. behind, cutting back a little bit at the track he loves, at the race that they were probably really pointing for all year, right? For him yep. going the mile at Belmont, that had to be the race that they circled and maybe worked backwards from, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the race that Todd Pletcher talked about early in the season. I mean, before, you know, right after that first uh, optional claimer 62, when he had net mile was one of the first words out of Todd Pletcher's mouth. This is where we're going. This is the goal for this horse. Now it's hit a few speed bumps along the way, but I do think the fact this is the horse getting blinkers for the second time and going the right distance uh, in this regard, going that one turn mile, I think is going to be key. Uh, I also feel like this is a horse that you notice he's gone off as the favorite the last four times. And some people would say maybe he's burned a little bit of money the last two in particular, but this feels like the type of race where some people start moving off of him and he then comes through and runs that kind of Dwyer-esque performance that we saw uh, last year that was so awe-inspiring that day when he won by 23 lengths. So I I think Chargit is a horse that makes a ton of sense in this spot. Uh, And and Dr. Chevelle, I really like that horse a lot. And yeah, I was, he's a, I was nice a fan animal. of this horse last year. Um, now, can he get the distance? I don't know. I don't know. Um, not sure. And, he stretched and, it to seven sure. before, and exactly. that was when he was two in the Del Mar yeah. Futurity. He, that was pushing it. The only other time we've seen him go seven, yeah. can't yeah. really use the race as a gauge because it was in the Malibu, and then that was yeah. followed by a long layoff. Like He just didn't yeah. fire that day. I don't think that And was it was like, against Flightline, and he yeah. just kind of tossed all those races. But so, you know, he, he, but I know, we, to your point, I know he's going to be in the lead, and yeah, I know they that's just get the way it's going to go. And just... People, and, if they leave him alone a little bit and think he can't get the distance, yeah. he's certainly classy enough to where he can beat this type of group of horses. Yep. I just don't know if he could do it at, at the at the mile, right? Yeah. Like yep. he could do it at six or seven, probably. Yep. Could he do it at a mile yep. under the right circumstance? You'll probably get rewarded for him, you yep. know, at a nice price in your late pick fours and pick fives. And, and well, the other- this is what I'll oh, say about this. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, the you know in in races this tough, you have to 
kind of split hairs to kind of make decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the only thing that, that I had a knock on this horse wasn't even the horse. It was the rider. I don't enjoy. You've mentioned this before. Betting yeah. Irad on the lead. Yeah. He, he just fumbles the bag, man. Every time. It's crazy. And for a guy that wins a lot of races, I mean, of course, he's going to win some just because, you know, he's a passenger and he's on the best horse all the time. But in a race like this where there's a lot of good quality horses and you got to ride your race and kind of get your horse to to do what you need it to do. And it's I'm different. not sure he can do that here. When it, it's a different horse. set of skills. It's like in any right. sport that we watch, right? Barry, we're watching the NBA finals right now. We just saw like in, in the conference finals, a really good player like Jalen Brown. He can't dribble the ball. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you have, he's a fantastic player. He's like a max player and one of the 20, 25 best players in the league, but he still can't dribble the ball. And once they figured that out, it got in his head. He couldn't put the ball. He was turning it over all the time. You can be really good and still have strengths and weaknesses. You're not just a blanket great at everything. And I think watching riders have to make that decision between do I go and put the pedal to the metal or do I grab a hold and sit? That's one thing for me as someone who watches. It's one of the more frustrating things to watch while I'm, when you're backing a horse, when, when you just, they're caught in between when they don't yeah. know if they're going to go all in, or are they going to sit? What are they going to do? And ho- with this type of horse, I think Matt, it just like, yeah. I don't think there should even be two. It should thoughts. be a question. He's got to go. No, he's, you've got to go. And, and, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, but there's going to be enough coming behind him that I think there's mm-hmm. that, that, you know, he might not be able to get there. Listen, the other horse we should mention is Repo Rocks. I Absolutely. mean, it's kind of the elephant in the room a little bit, but listen, <laughs> Jamie Ness has got this horse firing and running like flight line. So, I mean, I it, it, listen, it is what it, it is. If you look at this horse's past performances, his horse his has found a new gear. Was uh, so like, good last time out. That he was, was so good. Sitting right, right yeah. behind the fastest pace, he showed more speed than he's like almost ever shown. Just and it just with kept ease. going. Yes, yeah, he, no, he, he kept going. I mean, and he can sit the right type of pace too. I mean, he can sit the same trip charge it does. That's the yep. thing. And it, listen, I think you'd be foolish to leave Repo Rocks off. I mean, uh, you know, maybe you say, well, he kind of doesn't always back up his best performances with another great performance. And, and he's been a little kind of, you know, on off, but man, I mean, when he, that last time out was really impressive at a mile. Uh, and so, you know, he's one I'll, I'll absolutely be including on my horizontals for sure. Uh, because I may or I may not. De- yeah. Depending on the price. But I do know I am fading Zand and this horse runs the same race every time and loses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I it mean, it feels like the new Midnight Bourbon, right? I mean, just yeah, finishes second and third. It, I mean, yep. that's, that's <laughs> very exactly little it. improvement kind of from year to year. Right. Like he, it seems like the horses that are at the top of the division all get a little bit, all just improve more rapidly than he does each year. And he's always like at the bottom of the best in the group, you know, like he's just, and with his running style, that's one of the reasons why, because other horses can just work out better trips than him all the time. Mm-hmm. And e- even like that last race, the way yeah, it was he didn't run up, bad, but it was, it's it was like, Ripper Rocks just kept. That's the thing. And the way it was setting up, you're looking at it going, oh, this, this is Zandon's race. Zandon's like, all day. Look at how right. fast they're going. He's going to come running. And he just, he didn't there. As we talk about how there may not be that much early speed in this race too, would it yeah. even set up all that well for him on, right. on top of like just us feeling a little eh, lukewarm on him uh, overall. 
So they'll have to beat Cody's wish. Really and the one thing cool. I'll say, I'll say very quickly is when you're talking about the odds, there has rarely been a horse that has combined talent with a human interest story quite the way Cody's wish does. Absolutely. This horse is going to take so much Super money. Of money. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this horse, and it, as a result, if you're like us and you think you can beat Cody's wish, you're going to get a price Do even it. on repo rocks because yeah. everybody's going to float up because Cody's wish is going to be four to five and nowhere close to seven to five. I think a feel good story, the horse to beat in the Met mile. As we move along to race number 11, on Belmont Stakes Saturday, it is the Grade One Manhattan, a mile and a quarter on the turf course in here. I'll start this one out. There's a horse who I, I kind of came back to after watching uh, the trips a little bit, um, and that's the number five, Soldier Rising, who I wanted to to pull up his race and show as we talk a, a little bit about him. So you can look at Soldier Rising's form last year. He's a five year old. Um, but last year he started getting in really good form. He was right behind channel maker. Um, then he was right behind Gufo and warlike goddess. And then in the red Smith, I think we can just put a line through that race. That was his final start of the year. He's been off since then. So he shows back up on may the 13th. It's his first start in six months. He's the, he's the number six in this race. And I think a lot of people will watch this race and what will stand out to them is the trouble that Warren point had. Mm -hmm. legitimate trouble he missed the break then he had to make a big early move but let's watch soldier rising the six also in here and then again if we look at his overall form and we just toss the red smith race this horse has form that is good enough to win this race he absolutely can compete with the best in here so this is where things get a little tricky for him he's caught in between horses uh i mean you see he kind of has to to back up and at one point, he's look where he is now. He's going to actually end up last when he gets shuffled back. He gets stuck in a really bad spot as the race starts to develop around him. And he ends up running second and runs really, really well in that race, even after that was his first start back. So for me, watching the six, now this is where things start to get a little, uh, a little tricky for him. We can go a little farther. He's going to start getting shuffled in between horses right here when it stops in front of him. And all of a sudden... He's eighth in this field of eighth when he was sitting in a much better spot. And now he's just in some serious trouble as far as having to pass a bunch of horses that are in front of him. So soldier rising, we can go a little farther and he's back at the back of the pack. Now he gets some space and he angles to the outside and he runs really well. He only finishes behind red Knight, who got the jump on him and beat him by a few lengths. And uh, he's out here finishing strong in his first start as a five-year-old too. It's a horse who's only raced 16 times. He's a five-year-old. You know, it's not like he's, he might even have a little bit of upside here, um, you know, making his second start back. So I like him in this spot. Matt, you've talked about Ortiz on the, uh, the turf course over there. Oh, I think yeah. the pattern for this horse fits sort of nicely. Give me a, give me a little love for soldier rising. He's one that's going to be in the mix for me, but yeah. wow. How about the Appleby runners too, right? Well, yeah, I mean, uh -huh. certainly the, the the Charlie Appleby runners are always formidable, and they are. Uh, but I, what I'll say is, I think this year we're starting to see they're beatable. Yep. And uh, you know, maybe he's not bringing over the best that he used to bring over in the past. I mean, I don't think I, you know Andy Sterling brought this point up uh, before. I mean, none of these. This is not Alfika. I mean, this is not you know that level of horse necessarily that he's bringing over. Warren Point. 
I, Jesus, Frankie Dettori got his money's worth riding that horse. Uh, yeah. I mean, that horse just looks like a head case uh, to run. And and that was a, you're right. It was a troubled trip. Absolutely. The horse seems to be working out great for Appleby now here in the States. It is notable. He gets the number two jockey, though, right? Number one jockey goes to the stable mate right next door, Ottoman Fleet with William Buick aboard. Uh, and usually when Charlie Appleby brings over William Buick, they mean business here in the United States. And that's usually an indicator of how much Appleby has confidence in a horse and how much you know Buick has confidence in a horse that they come over and run together uh, for there. So Ottoman Fleet certainly is you know something a horse to consider. But I'll be honest, I, in this one, I really went to up to the mark. I, I went to the eight, the favorite. Uh, I just think chalky this horse, uh, chalky and weasel. And I, I just, I don't know. This horse won for fun last time out and just dominated a field and just looked really good doing it. And this horse has done nothing wrong. Like I said, this horse, I, I think I rad gave this horse a miscalculated ride two back. I think the ride this horse got last time out was perfect. I think if they replicate this, he goes. Um, I like a horse like Soldier Rising quite a bit. I'm using that horse in my verticals uh, because I like some of the newer faces on the circuit, him being one of them. Uh, but for me, up to the mark was was my top pick. But Sniper, I know you are allergic to chalk. So where, where are you totally, going in this one? Totally fading <laughs> up to the mark. I just think that horse topped out last time, ran probably the best race he could under the circumstances. I don't think he can pair it up. He might run well, but I just don't think he's going to win. Um, you know, honestly, I don't think there's all that much speed in here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got Ocean Atlantique that has shown speed in the past. You have the two horse strong quality who, who's been showing speed lately. So high, I, I just think ends up on the lead by accident in those races. And that horse yeah. is not very good. 50 to one shot. Right. Probably a, a non-factor. So that leads me to a horse that I'm really interested in um, because of the trip, which I do a lot. You know, anybody that watches us on, on Friday mornings mm -hmm. understands this. So Rock Emperor looks really interesting to me in this spot. Uh, this horse tends to run well for Flavian Pratt for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. In fact, the last time I bet this horse <laughs> was a win July 31st, 2022. It was the old Irad didn't give a good ride. <laughs> well, this is the Chuck thing. And and I actually adopted it. I read off. You know, it, he went to, you know, he didn't really give that horse a great run in the Manhattan at Belmont. Then they go to Saratoga in the bowling green, and Flavian puts probably the best ride this horse has ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Much I think this aggressive. horse is just gonna, yeah. I think this horse is gonna be a lot for more forwardly placed, like that third or um, fourth Bowling Green back in uh, 2022, and sitting right behind the speed and gets first run. Whether he wins or not is another story. But this horse, I, I don't know if you've watched any of his races, but he gets a lead. He's hard to pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he kind of finishes things off when he gets to the front, it, provided he gets to the front. But this this is just definitely a, a really, really tough race because you have these these two horses, the Appleby horses. It's like, what do you do with either one of them? I know. They're they're yeah. very I tough mean, to you, get. You kind of wanna, you know, obviously Ottoman Fleet runs a big number, has been running big numbers over there. He he's kind of hard to to kind of go against, but yeah. the pace dynamic can be the the 
you know, the equalizing factor here. Yep. And if it isn't that slow, I like Rock Emperor's chances, or maybe even one of the the you know, like a horse like Ocean Atlantic could see. I, I might throw I might throw the deuce in on one or two, just a pick four or pick five in case sure. with some of the or- other horses I like because you know what, you start looking at his overall form. He just missed it. He just missed it a mile and a quarter on the dirt. Mm-hmm. Just missed, and he's never run a bad race on either surface in his whole life. And his two races on the grass were both good. Mm-hmm. And with him being inside and with Drew just getting aggressive, I think he might be one that I at least want to have in some of the tickets that I build around the horses I really like. So yeah, as, but, as Barry but, was, but will, but will Flo get aggressive? I mean, that's that's oh. the sixty four thousand dollars question. I think so. I, I mean, I, yeah. I've I've seen Flo choke out some more, some tractions. I this mean, is one that I've had. I have bad luck with. Uh, he's more as, likely to to uh, have a horse run off on him than he is to. to <laughs> that's hold true. One that's back. a good point, actually. So yeah. you know, I, I would be okay. I'm okay with him on speed horses. Strong quality, a possibility here as we finish up with the Manhattan and we move to the Belmont. Now, for a, a lot of the uh, very rightful discussion about the Preakness, only having a couple Derby horses back, not the strongest race in the world. And that may come into play, you know, with the horse like National Treasure who won the Preakness. How strong was the field that he beat? We do have probably the three horses that have been thought about as like the best three-year-olds for the last couple months leading into the Derby showing up in the Belmont with Forte, with Angel of Empire, and with Tappet Trice, who all were at the very top of the division. So at least with those three match showing up, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good group, you oh, know, yeah. right off the bat. I mean, even just looking at the way that David had to make the morning line, the odds, the Preakness winner is actually your fourth choice in here. Yeah, it's a very good Belmont field. I One of the better Belmont fields, I think, in recent memory that you have – like you said, maybe the top three in the crop that I think a lot of us think of in terms of Forte, Tapatrice, Angel of Empire, National Treasure hasn't really done anything wrong in his career and just came off winning the biggest race of his career in the Belmont. You have a horse like Hit Show who also hasn't ever really done anything wrong I know. Uh, in his career and runs well up in New York. You have a horse like Archangelo who seems to be maybe peaking at the right time and has a pedigree to suggest that this horse should be able to get the distance. You have a horse like Tappet Shoes on the inside, who's kind of an intriguing horse. And then Red Route One, who everybody has been pegging as a Belmont horse ever since they see him make those late charges. So there's a lot in this race, and it's it's really compelling. Uh, for me, I was on this horse in the Derby, and I'm not going to get off this horse now, and that's Angel of Empire. Uh, that's been my play. Uh, Pennsylvania bred, I am too. And <laughs> so this is one that I'm going to stick with. I just think... Again, this horse has never really run a bad race and ever done anything wrong and has only kept getting faster. Uh, I like the addition of blinkers. The horse is used to working out with blinkers, so I'm not as worried about like how's the horse going to react to the new equipment sort of a thing. Uh, the horse has worked with blinkers well into its past. Getting blinkers on in the race should be a little bit more forwardly placed. And uh, I, I just think Angel of Empire sits the right type of trip. And I, I like this one out of those three heavy favorites, this is the one that I like the most uh, because I think there's too many question marks around Forte and I just don't know if I can trust Tapatrice because I, I honestly, I don't know who Tapatrice has really beaten to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and, and that's right. the issue. Yeah. Go ahead, Barry. Um, you know, I, I looked at this race a lot and obviously I didn't make 
any final decisions, but there isn't much of speed in here. No. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just not, not much speed. And it all kind of, to me, depends on what Tappet Shoes is going to do. Yeah. If that horse wants to go with National Treasure, that would be excellent. <laughs> that would be that would be perfect. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. But we can't say that's going to happen for sure. You know, usually we can kind of tell. This one I'm, I'm like 50-50 on. Um, but I do enjoy the fact that the one is trained by the horse that uh, by the same trainer as the one that I like, which is Hit Show. Yeah. That's I think Hit Show really too. ran a really bang up race in the derby. He did. His derby race one was hole. good and Go, yep. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, made him. He, he was in the one hole. Made made the move. Got in front of Mage. Was basically in the spot, and just couldn't finish it off. He had he had to navigate and do all kinds of stuff. He was a little too close too, because they were pretty quick. You know, they, they were, were going. He was, he was kind of forced though, because of the inside draw. I mean, I know people say, "Oh, it's the gate. The new gate is okay." Blah blah blah. You're still going to run into trouble being on the one hole, and and that's what he did. And he still managed to fifth place, which is crazy. He showed um, me a lot of just – I didn't think he was that sort of maneuverable of a horse. Oh, yeah. He's, right? That, that's what impressed in me in watching his race back, how they were able to kind of just, hey, go here, go here, and he followed all the way. Because when yeah, you draw the rail that day, you have to just be one with your rider. Like, you got to – whatever they ask you to do, you got to be in unison and in chorus with them. He really did feel like that. And yeah, honestly, uh, Manny got him. Manny gave a great ride. He did, he did. and yep. did everything he could under the the circumstances to try to win that race. And he put him in the right position. And just wasn't good enough. Yep. And that's fine. Going a mile and a quarter. Um. You know, now a mile and a half. A, th they're not going to have that sort of mad scramble into the first turn, or you know, in that first run. And everybody will most likely get the position they want. Mm -hmm. Um. He can just settle I think a that, lot better. Right. And and that's why I say, you know, it, it's crazy to me that Brad Cox and, and Chad Brown and Pletcher, they, they have a billion horses, but they never use rabbits. This is the perfect opportunity for Tappet Shoes to be a rabbit. Yeah. Because it's what's because best a, for him, too. Right. Because Hit Show, trained by the same trainer, and Angel of Empire, who yep. is a dead closer. That horse has to come from way back. That's the only reason that horse got beat in the Derby. Because he was just too far back early. Yeah, exactly um, right. And so, and... you know, you got to have to gravitate towards one of those two horses, you know, Hit Show or Angel of Empire. His... But obviously, I'm going to take the longest price. So the thing about a Hit Show, his withers was really good. Yeah. And at that point of the year, it was one of the best races. Like when he won at that mm -hmm. point, all of a sudden, he was like a live horse. But then he shows back up in the wood right he this is the prep post. in between too because yeah. there was the, the march he didn't he didn't run in the gotham um right. in march which is so, probably for the best honestly yeah. that was so, race was a disaster <laughs> so he shows yeah he shows back up after the time off we've kind of forgot a little bit about him he doesn't run badly but because he got beat by a big long shot we felt a lot different about that race he because just got the horse, a nose. He yeah. Really nose. I and mean, I, I didn't give him any shot that day from post 12. I didn't no. think he had a shot. And no. the fact he ran as big as he did that day showed me something. And he runs right. his race. I mean, that's the thing about it. He is, like you guys said, super maneuverable. He will give you an honest effort every single time out. So he, I like him. Yeah. He's, and let me say this he should have won the wood, 
but he did have some reasons like where mm-hmm. you're looking back after going, yeah. man, he ha- he got bumped around a bit at the beginning and then he was pushing off. There was a horse leaning on him that he was like having to push off to try to get out. Then he had the opportunity to win and he didn't, but there were some circumstances earlier in the race that could have taken a little bit out of him. And if you're just talking about patterns, this horse has improved in every race he's run. Mm-hmm. Can he just improve like two or three more points on the buyer scale sure. and just put him right there with everybody else? I, I like him a lot um, in here, uh, Hit Show. And I honestly, I didn't really like anybody in the Derby or Preakness that much. And I didn't, a few days ago, I wouldn't have told you <laughs> I was going to like Hit Show in the race, but just sort of seeing the past performances, seeing the way it all could shape out. Um, I thought Barry did a really good job setting it up for you too. And I could, yep. I could hear that you hinted in your voice, Matt, that you also thought he could run yeah. a really big race in this spot. Uh, absolutely. He's in my, he's in my verticals for sure. I mean, my top three are kind of uh, going to probably be angel hit show. And then maybe a question mark in terms of who I go with third, but those are my top two. Uh, and I just, again, I have too many questions marks about, uh, Forte Tapa Trice needs to be out in the clear, which you know, going wide, uh, uh, you know, to Barry's point, like going wide around big Sandy is probably not the run best two trip. miles. Uh, run yeah, two just miles. the hell with it. Just keep running. Uh, <laughs> run two miles. So, uh, you know, just keep going to the marathon, you know, just, just keep running to Queens. And so it's, you know, it's just going to be a, a tough trip, I think. And, the other horse that I think is a wild card in all of this, not in terms of finishing anywhere near the board, is Il Maricola. Because what? Because this I horse think is, has to go. He's only in thing. here to go. His two races that he won have been just straight speed. That's the thing, is if you look at how this horse runs in all of his derby preps, he runs mid-pack, closer, and does nothing. You The <laughs> two times this horse won, gate to wire. Get out and go. And most notably at the last time, one turn mile. And if this horse has intent, then this is the horse that pushes national treasure and tap and shoes might actually be able to sit kind of tucked right behind those two going into the first turn. And or be there's two or three third. all up there. And that makes it well, even better for it, Barry, you know, like exactly hit show, for all of us Empire. for hit show for yeah. Angel um, of Empire for these deep closers. Yeah. I was debating with, with Chuck Simon on this point about Ir Maricolo. Is he I say, fast enough? right. Classy, I say he wasn't fast, fast enough in those other races to get to the front. Like fast class. He, he like says if, they changed tactics. I don't know. Like I if mean, he's out there and it's to... him and National Treasure and they're close, can, you know what I mean? Is National Treasure going to win that battle and get in front of him? And is he just going to sort of get discouraged and pack it in? That's a good question. It really is. I Well, the, uh, yeah, that's, I mean. Honestly, you look at this horse buyer numbers and they're terrible comparison to the rest of the field. And when he wins, it's only like in the 70s. So he may not be fast enough to get in front of a horse like. Mm -hmm. Even if he wants to, right? Right. Even if he wanted to. In Italian, run it on Friday, huh? Try to get in front of her. You know what I mean? Like, go ahead. Who can? You can't. You know what I mean? Like, try. Um, Right. So he says it's a it's a change of tactics. So so from the maiden win in the Remsen, the Mucho Macho Man, Holy Bull, Fountain of Youth, Florida Derby. He was like, oh, they changed tactics. And I was like, I don't know. You know, it's it's, it's debatable, I guess. I don't think he was fast enough to get the lead against any of those horses in any of those races. Those horses. Right. So it I mean. You know, obviously they're not going to be trying to, to to quarter horse to the front, but this horse might be the one that does that. Yeah. And, and, and that, gets the lead by accident because yeah. nobody else is really wanting to go too fast early. 
Yeah. So, right. you know, it just makes some decisions for horses like like National Treasure, who I don't think is very good when he gets headed. Um, no. And no, he, he goes, can be behind one horse at most, but he right. can't be that far back. No, exactly. Right. So Johnny V is going to have to want to get to the lead. He's nope. going to want to be like sitting just off another horse. And not even behind him. I don't him, know if he can right? do that. I don't like he he you're right, because he doesn't and, and you're right. I don't think he can do it well. He may have to if right. Phil Miraculo goes and just mm-hmm. want to get to the outside of him instead of being behind and have to move around and just I mean honestly in the preakness when uh Blazing Sevens came he up, got, he, he was wanted past. to quit. He wanted he to quit. Was and and the only reason Blazing Sevens didn't win is because <laughs> I read one of the herd over. <laughs> If he would have kept that horse straight, straight, he wins. If he kept that horse straight, he wins. And you know that that, that's that's why I say you know National Treasure kind of puts a a little weird spin to this race, um, and and what's going to happen because if he gets loose on the lead, he's going to be tough. Absolutely. But if somebody heads him, he's I don't know. He's done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of I I saw David. Aragona, who makes the morning line odds for New York, was talking about this um, with Nick Tamaro, who also makes morning lines different places. And he had said one of the things that had been hard for him when he was making the morning lines in the last couple of years is when there looks like there's lone speed or like that lone speed horse on paper, he always thinks they're going to get more money than they did. And so this year he set national treasure, I think a little higher um, that, you know, he put him as the fourth yeah. choice because he said like, we, the people and other horses like that didn't take mm. some of the money that he had been expecting in years past. Yeah. And it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, Cause people were betting rich strike. Yeah. yeah. No, you're <laughs> right. betting rich strike. But here people, I mean, so this Crazy. is going to be fascinating. I think David did the right thing in terms of Forte being yes. the, the top I choice agree. because New Yorkers home team. And, and I say this affectionately as a Pennsylvanian and as an Italian American, we cannot wait to throw our money away betting on a Micropoli horse up yes. in New York. I mean, uh-huh. the, the Italians are going to be lined up around the freaking street oh, yeah. throwing money at at Forte for uh for Rapol, for Pletcher, for Irad. I mean, that is as New York a combination as you're going to get. Uh, and they're going to they're going to throw their money on it. And meanwhile, a horse like Angel of Empire, I don't think has the cachet that other people do. I think that's and that's why I think out of he the big three, he's going to or... float up maybe a little bit, and and you get a right. decent price on a horse that I think is really really talented. Forte or Fort wins the popularity contest, and and will get yes. bet for sure. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That is, and then look. the Baffert horse. Hopefully, hopefully, he won't take that much money, but we'll see. The... I mean, I hope he does. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if he's too low, you know, you you, you got to have a limit there. As yeah, as yeah, yeah. You know the price on on National Treasure because he's kind of shaky, given the pace scenario and the dynamics. It could go in his favor, but how likely is that? You know, that's really yeah. what you got to evaluate. Right. The uh, owner of Il Miracola, when he was asked at the draw, you know, what what did you decide to run in here? So I'm a gambler. I love to gamble. <laughs> so that's the best. That's the best. Yeah, that, that was best. great. I'm rooting for him now. <laughs> hey, you know what? He's honest, and I appreciate that. That's what we all are. That's why we are here, yeah. sitting down, the three of us. That's why I'm sure uh, all of you are watching this or listening to it on the podcast because you love to gamble, and this is one of those great weekends for all of us who love to play the races. Uh, we went through the daily racing form past performances. I encourage all of you if you're looking for some help. Head on over to drf.com and check out everything they have. They'll have clocker reports for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They'll have uh, betting strategies for Saturday if you need any help with any of that stuff. So all the resources you need to succeed at drf.com. 
Barry Spears, we got Going in Circles Big Monday. We're going to follow you on social media. Uh, what else do you want to plug or what else do you want to mention coming up? Um, well, we usually do the Friday. Yeah. Thing, but we're not this week, but <laughs> catch us every Friday. Yep. And then Going in Circles every Monday. And then I'll pop up here now and there, everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever. You might see me. Big weekend. Maddie, uh, trust the profits. Cap in the yeah. card, win, play, yeah. show. What do we got? Yeah, I mean, if you follow all me of on that. Twitter, all yeah, of that. all of it. Uh, uh, if you <laughs> follow me on Twitter at the end of Lap Failed to Menace, you'll get all my content. So, yeah, Monday, do a weekly, a little bit like going in circles, but maybe a little bit more abbreviated, like a Cliff Notes version of going in circles. Uh, is uh, you know our shit's like War and Peace, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it is. I know. I'm I'm like 32 minutes. You guys are like three and a half hours, and I love it. And so. Uh, do that every Mondays and then yeah capping the card uh, we'll be doing race 1 through 13 for the Belmont um, just just me running solo but David Aragona did join me to preview the late pick 5 sequence here in this uh, stretch of races so that nice. was really nice for David to join uh, as well and then yeah I mean we just got a slew of stuff so just follow me on Twitter and you'll, you'll see it by the time <laughs> you listen to this and watch it we will have already done the fantasy draft for the Belmont I wasn't even going to bring uh, it up <laughs> so uh, if you want to go over to Matt's social media, you can check that out. It's a lot of fun, too, because everybody is. sort of understands just how to draft, what the draft is, what a draft is. And so we all mm. kind of try to pick our teams. We're going to draft between horses that are in the Belmont and the Acorn. And it worked out perfectly for me because I was able to pick your brains before the draft. Now I, I know all a little time. bit more about who you like. <laughs> Listen. I am very much anybody looks at whoever i draft they're probably going to get scratched i was going to say <laughs> if you're following barry then just yeah you may want to wait to put your wagers Jesus. in no future wagers Unreal. or anything like that both times man both times it like we got to keep our fingers crossed because this year we've had so many scratches yeah. from the derby and even even afterwards uh moving forward so fingers crossed Let's hope that does not happen again this week because it's a really cool Saturday coming up. Thanks so much to Matt and to Barry for hanging out. I always get emotional at the end of these convos with these guys. But, man, the last couple of years, two of my absolute best friends in the world, not even in the world of horse racing, just overall, guys I talk to more uh, than almost anyone and so consistent, so trustworthy. That's what I love about the both of you guys is that you are always there consistently. One week here or there, we'll have to miss stuff, but – Everybody always shows up ready to rock and roll. And, and we I, pick winners. We That's pick winners. Thing. And pick what winners, I like baby. is there's a, there's a dynamic that we have where like, and bear, sometimes we'll joke with each other, but I think we like, it's a very um, like inviting show in that we don't rip on each other for no. horses. Like if we think maybe a little bit differently. And I, I was going to say, like, it's like <laughs> we see that in some places where, People do that. And I think it makes people uncomfortable sometimes to even like want to go outside the box or like throw out some, throw something downfield. I'm never going to take a swing at one of you guys when you're talking about a big 20 to one shot. And sometimes other places people will, Oh, that horse has no chance. Oh my God. I think it, it, as a gambler and as a handicapper, it's sort of, it makes you less confident to want to look for those prices again. So I really appreciate how with the both of you, because I know there's some weeks that I get crazy with the cheese whiz. Well, you know, like I'm talking about horses uh, where we're uh, like, yeah. some people are looking at me like, what the hell was I this know, guy smoking? I know for a fact. Whatever it was. Sideways. Right? What I yeah. <laughs> I like, Whatever that guy was on. And then it wins and they're like, and oh, it, okay. <laughs> more than anything, it's it's just uh, what we, I think we all want to teach everyone overall is the the like the method and the approach. 
Just yeah. try to get the best value you can always. I think that's the one thing, win or lose, you'll always take from a show that Barry's on or that I'm on or that Matt's on. Try to bet bets value that you can, make the most money out of it that you possibly can. And good luck all weekend. We'll see you again real soon for a lot more content. Thanks so much, folks. Big thank you to Matt and to Barry for helping us out with the, the Belmont Stakes Saturday card. We will move on over and start talking some wrestling. But before we do, we want to let you know about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of vendors if you need help with home improvement, like gardeners and landscapers. Uh, maybe you need help with the loan process. She can help connect you with the right type of lender that will expedite that and make it easier for you. That's her job. Just want to make your life easier. CindyCarava.com. That's the website. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Chad Cooper joins us to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. We recap SmackDown, Monday Night Raw, NXT TV on Tuesday, and then AEW Dynamite. Kick back and enjoy everything in the world of wrestling over the last week. Oh, it's that time of the week again. It is time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. Chad Cooper joins us here. Koopa Loop, my man, how we doing today? Uh, we dive into SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW. Felt like a pretty good week all all around for pro wrestling. Is that all? Is that? I mean, is that all? Where Where else do you get all that and a bag of chips and some good gambling tips and nuggets of information. Uh, great week again for professional wrestling. Uh, what's happening now. Uh, did this, this one got me a little bit because I was a big fan. The passing of one of the great. Got to, uh, got to mention it right off the top. The Bubba. Yeah. One of, yeah. One of the great villains and big personalities of uh, WWE. The Iron Sheik uh, has passed away. Sheiky and, baby. Uh, Cheeky baby Bubba. I mean, King of the Promos. I mean, look, th- this guy uh, did it all. Uh, he responded to you, didn't he? On Twitter? He did. Yeah. Yeah, he's responded to me multiple times. And, uh, it, you know, God rest his soul. The story of him is very, very fascinating. Uh, there's some good documentaries, I'm sure, on Peacock now um, that have been on about him. It's just uh, that's a true loss because... Without the Iron Sheik, Bubba, uh, he, he could have went against Vincent Kennedy McMahon's plan, and he could have broke Hulk Hogan's back and made him umbel at the, at the WrestleMania. Instead, uh, you know, he, he put Hogan over. But just uh, generally, one of those heels, those all-time great heels that you'll always remember. Remember the U.S. said number two. Just great, He had the clubs. Early on, All when the he came clubs. out, it just that made he would be so bad. They were unbelievable, and and um, they were like incredibly heavy. And he could come out and do the oh, yeah. exercises with them. The the thing that I was listening to, um, I, I last night, I think it was the guys from Post Wrestling, John Pollock. He said, "What was you? What was really interesting about um, Iron Sheik?" And we're finding this now with like this era of guys. He came at the perfect time of the expansion into WWF. And so you, you realized yesterday when he passed away, how big he was, like how well known he is, because look, we gotta be honest, he's a world champion and he was a, you know, an important figure, but it's not like he was the, the biggest deal in wrestling for a long period of time. 
it was that he hit at the right time. He was there when ever when there were the most eyeballs ever starting to see it from that 85 point on, you know, and that was why we all know him and our parents know him. And, the, you know, so sure. you get these multiple generations of people that know guys like him and Piper and even the hacksaw Jim Duggins, you know, that. Yeah, uh, that we, that were he <laughs> that has a story. Yeah. He has a story with which uh, he got in trouble. With the medicine we got they, busted they with the medicine, medicine, Baba. They got pulled over <laughs> with uh, with some medications in their car. But was what was funny is that when and this was in '87, I think. And um, so getting caught with drugs at that point, you know, you're a wrestler. It it was a bad thing. It wasn't great, but it wasn't the the, the worst thing in the world. What ended up um, coming out in the media and really shocked people was that Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were in a feud at the time. Yeah, that was the story. That was and, the story. And so people couldn't believe that the good guy and the bad guy were riding in their car together. That was what was bigger <laughs> than the fact that they had all the drugs. It was right. Yeah, people people knew then what uh, rock stars and people were doing. Um, and, and you know what? It, it's uh, you, you know those 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 not only those clubs. But his wrestling attire, those pants that said, you know, Iran on the side. And then those, for the first time ever, I was being in, introduced to those curled boots at the tip. And, you know, and he would kind of tap one oh, and, then, and then kick you with it. You know, um, you know what, what made it even, him even more, he, you know, you don't hear about wrestling heels once they, they, they stop wrestling you don't hear much about them anymore whether they they go off and to the sunset do their own thing this guy was able to mainstream he was on the howard stern show all the time he lives uh, the gimmick he was, yeah he lit he literally lived the gimmick and if you watch this that biography that a and e did what the first season when they hooked up with wwe he truly has a very very a phenomenal story that is very sad. And he, what, I, what I can appreciate the most is he manned up, looked in the mirror. Uh, he, he had a great wife and beautiful children uh, that he turned, uh, he turned his back on and he was able to make amends with them to be able to be a part of his grandchildren's life. And to see that before he really started to go downhill over the last couple of years um, was something that uh, a lot of people dream about that uh, don't have that opportunity to do now that even though they're still alive, but man, he lived that gimmick. And uh, I, I, I just, I, I remember that just everything about him and every promotion. And uh, he, he was, when he put that camel clutch on you, Bubba, that was a wrap. Cause he, he was barrel chested. I mean, that there wasn't a tough, tougher SOB anywhere. In this country, other than the Iron Sheik. Yeah, he just, he got what being a pro wrestler was, I think, as much as any any person yep. in the world ever that I can remember. Because when he was younger, he was fantastic shape, phenomenal shape. If you don't know what he looked like when he was younger, go look him up and see what kind of shape this guy was in. Incredible. And then as he got older, he, he leaned into the character even more. Which sure. is just... Exactly what you're supposed to do, and through this the years later, like you said, post wrestling, he kept the gimmick. People loved interacting with him on social media. He was always fun, calling everybody bubbles, talking money. trash. Yeah. Just he always, like you're, he you're watching the way the, to make money. You know, you're watching the basketball games, and he'll be like, 
Joel Embiid, that crazy <laughs> bitch Bubba. You know, like he'll just say something yeah. randomly, and like, or he'll you be know, like, oh, you know, so, you I know, love somebody you. hits a somebody hits a home run. You know, Aaron Judge, you uh, you uh, you main event the WrestleMania like the the Iron Sheik. Exactly, you're, I was gonna you're say you're not a jabroni. You're yeah, you know jabroni. jabroni, you know Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you know, like, just, he was a blast, man. He really was. Oh. And uh, uh, R.I.P. This is one yeah. that you I like to joke with a lot about and and back oh, and forth. Yeah. Individual person, so Sheiky baby, he actually what was great too. With uh, final thoughts on Sheik before we move on, um, he got the win in the WrestleMania Battle Royal because he couldn't take the bump over the top rope at that point. So they had to when they were booking it, they're like, "Let's see, he can't take the bump. He's got to win this thing." (laughs) And you know what? I'll say this about the guy because he 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 wrestled in AWA, but you talk about. I mean, how many how many wrestlers can you talk about that went through what he did in the WWF slash WWE that stayed true to Vincent Kennedy McMahon? Because not many do. And he went to I can tell you this much. And and I'm not saying this to be, you know, dark, but he went to his grave defending WWE and and Vince McMahon. And uh, whether you like Vince McMahon or not, you you got to you got to give credit and admire someone that's a company man for their he, entire life. Super that's loyal. Hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to do. Hard to do. R.I.P. Sheiky baby. You Bubba, you Bubba. <laughs> I know that up there you're going to, you're going to get the, the world title and you'll be waiting for the Hulkster. You'll the be Hulk waiting so to, get, to put him in the camel clutch, Bubba. Shout out to the iron Sheik. You just the guy that was in between Bob Backlund and Hulk Hogan. You know, uh, yeah. two of yeah. like the huge babyface champions of the time. Well, let's go from uh, the past to the present. WWE SmackDown from last week. We had the Roman Reigns celebration and some Money in the Bank qualifying matches. And Koopa Loop, this show was rated unbelievably. This had, I it would think it was the highest rated show of the year, the highest rated show since Cena came back and wrestled in that tag match, which was at the very end of 2022. Man, eh, they keep going and telling this story with the bloodline, and I never know exactly where they're going to go with it. It's extremely Im- entertaining. It keeps going, and I mean, let's, let's hope it. Let's talk about that segment first, even though it, it, yeah, it was, yeah. it finished. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's now gotten internal. And I think this is what the big payoff was to do. And for all those who said Roman Reigns is, this has been too long, thousand days, whatever. That segment was the highest watch of the two hours. It got like 2.78 million. You're, you're talking like raw attitude era. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock numbers back Crazy in the day for this numbers. segment, man. It, it's just it, it's just phenomenal what this group of people have been able to do. We talk about it, you know, week in and week out. You can't just put anybody in these segments and and get two point seven million. This wasn't a match, Gino. Two point seven eight million, nearly three million people watched a segment of Roman Reigns do a promo in the ring. That is phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. 1,000 days as champion. They gave him a new belt. And I I like the look of it. He says, uh, to the entire universe, acknowledge me. And um, 
the Usos were in the ring, Jimmy face to face with him, and Rain says to kick me in the face. He said, kick me, kick me. And he keeps yelling at Jay, kick him. Come on, come on. Um, this this just got really, really good, man. And and now with the Usos, nobody knows exactly what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on with Solo. Solo says, I acknowledge you, my tribal chief, but Solo then said, these are my brothers. So it looked initially like we were going to have the standoff of the Usos versus Solo and Roman. Then sure. Solo backs up, so it's one on three. And as they get to talking more and more, Solo hits his brother, Jimmy, and he shows that he actually is still loyal to Roman Reigns. So now it does look like we have it set where we've got the Usos set up against Roman and Solo. But there's so many layers to this. They kept teasing Jay might feel like he wanted to align with Roman and Solo comes with Jimmy. We don't know exactly what's going on. A bunch of moving pieces here. And that's what's great. With There's tons of ways they can go with these guys. And could you have ever imagined a few years ago saying that legitimately either one of the Usos could main event a pay-per-view because they absolutely can right now. No. Like individually. Against no, Roman Reigns I, for the I, title. No, uh, absolutely not. And as a tag team, um, main event of pay-per-view, absolutely. Uh, we know what happens. You know, there, there's not a lot of uh, guys that can, that can can come out of a tag team, a natural tag team that's been together. I'm not talking about a Sammy KO uh, tag team, you know, that uh, they've been friends they they weren't really brought into this business as a tag team like the Usos. We remember Shawn Michaels um, being in these tag teams, especially with the Rockers, with Marty Jannetty. There's not a lot of guys that can come out, or uh, e- either one of the guys that can leave a tag team um, and, and do what they do. Now we're starting to see that a little bit with Montez Ford, and we'll get to, uh, we'll get to that in, in in a little bit. But Jimmy took the spike. And I liked how the end of it, you know, Heyman says to Roman, you know, what what do we think about Jay? What's going to happen with Jay? And Roman leaves us well with a, well, Jay's going to do what he's always done. He's going to fall in line. So they left it at that, that it could be, again, the three on one, but against Jimmy Uso. You know, what will happen? Will he make the brothers wrestle each other? This is just... An incredible storyline now that it's internal against the family pieces. It's really, really intriguing now. Who would have thought that Solo, who got signed by WWE and brought up so quickly through NXT, would be in the Man. position that he's in? Incredible. Incredible. We had um I, I just sort of like the pairing, Austin Theory and Pretty Deadly. They were kind of fun <laughs> together. And they uh, they had a match against yeah. the uh, the brawling brutes. They get the the win over the brawling brutes. So we're, it looks like this is somewhat a feud. I, I could see Theory, Sheamus, you know, is, is, seems like that's where they're going right now for uh, for a U.S. title. We then yeah, you, you don't no, get a ahead. lot of twenty minute you don't get a lot of twenty minute matches on SmackDown. Um, and then there's a lot. You know, I I don't want to see the brutes continue to lose. I think we're gonna have a fallout soon. I think we're gonna see Pete Dunn become uh, Pete Dunn again very soon. Um, but I like it. I, I like it. It's a, it's a new pair up, and it, and it gets pretty deadly over as heels. That good heat because Austin Theory gets it. So it's a pretty smart thing to do for uh, by WWE. They gave uh, the OC a win over Hit Row. This I think was to just kind of help build, put the OC back on our radar, 
make AJ look okay. He didn't get the win, but he's with them. I think they're just trying to rebuild them after AJ's loss the other day and sort of find out where they where they fit on the card. But uh, hit row, man. They they just haven't been able to find their footing. No. It seems like they're just uh, they haven't really been able to connect. Unfortunately, they were really over in NXT. It sure. just hasn't. And then they they came up to the main roster and they got cut. But since they've been brought back, they just they haven't been able to connect, right? Right? They haven't like found their footing. Yeah, this was this was a glorified squash uh, hit row. Maybe uh, we see them back down in NXT um, uh, to kind of refresh in them a little bit. I'm curious to see what AJ Styles does. Um, is uh, uh, you know he just comes he he just came off that that big pay per view match with Seth. Then he was on Raw with Seth, and now he's back on SmackDown with this. Uh, is he going to work a program with somebody with Hit Row? You know, this is, uh, you know, is, is he involved in the money in the bank? You know, just, I, I get I get out of this is, where, where are we going with AJ? So, uh, interesting uh, glorified squash here, and I'd just like to see AJ uh, get involved here with something uh, a little more serious after his big match with Seth. You know, I haven't really loved Grayson Waller yet on the main roster. He's just been yeah. sort of there. Like, it's, it's I, he hasn't. Odd. It's like he's like a host. It's like when Miz used to host things when he came up. He's not even really being like a heel. He just sort of sets things up, and he's not in like inserting himself or he, we just we haven't seen enough of his personality. He, this was one of those segments where it was meant to get a, a lot of the women out uh, to kind of tease and preview the money in the bank, and we got a chance to hear from Oscar, and then following that. EO Sky shows up and EO starts yelling at Asuka, kind of teased the interaction between the two of them. Bailey comes out, Shotzi comes out, Lacey Evans comes out, Zelina Vega comes out. So we get these segments where all the different women who are either in Money in the Bank matches or who have qualified so far, they all come out and sort of stake their claim. And we, uh, it was kind of setting us up for. The match that happened right after, which was Lacey Evans versus Zelina. So overall, the segment with the women here, I I don't mind when Asuka or Io are cutting promos in a different language. I think they got to do something. We have the technology nowadays to where you got to either give us promos, have somebody translate for us. Like, you can at least tell us what they're saying. It's fine. I don't mind them cutting promos in a different language. It doesn't bother me. But we should be able to understand it in some way. Either let it, like, give us subtitles or have them have a translator for us. Like, like many athletes have in interviews all the time, right? You and I watch guys and gals that are interviewed after a baseball game sometimes in, like, if they don't speak English, they have someone there that can help translate the questions for them. I'm a Dodger fan. I used to watch every, all these pitchers coming up through the years, Day and Nomo, guys like that. So I would, I would just love to hear from them. And I don't, and I don't even mind them cutting their own language promos because they get more fired up, right? It's easier to speak in your own native language and to give more passion. It would be really hard trying to cut a promo in your second language, and sometimes it's not. It's not smooth. So that that was my main critique here. And I guess we have one more about Lacey too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, first let's talk about, uh, I'll mention Grayson Waller. Uh, he, he was one of the call-ups that everybody wanted. 
and we got him, and he's just kind of floundering a little bit. He seems like the SmackDown version of The Miz, but at least Miz gets in some matches, uh, uh, you know, from time to time. You know, what? we just talked about AJ Styles. AJ and Grayson had a great little thing going on, uh, uh, you know, while Grayson was in NXT. Why not put them in a program? Uh, yeah, the UFC does that all the time. They have a translator because a majority of their fighters are, uh, are, are foreigners. A lot of uh, Portuguese, Brazilian fighters, um, just just a, a lot of fighters from across the, the planet. And uh, just anything simple would help. Uh, Lacey Evans, yeah. Um, so this this is an interesting. This this poor gal has been through the ringer with gimmick changes. Um, then. You know, she had to be off TV for a while because she gave birth to her second child. Now she shows back up in Sergeant Slaughter gear. Sergeant Slaughter's daughter goes off on her, goes off on her on Twitter. Don't know if that's a work or a shoot. Maybe it's trying to get her over as a heel. I don't know. Um, I feel bad for her, but I do like this little underdog story. They're kind of going with Selena here. Um, is she going to win the money in the bank briefcase? Probably not. But her qualifying shows me that they they see something in her. Look, she just had a program with Rhea. Um, she could easily be put in a situation where she's putting people over or not involved in any type of matches or not. So I like that they're giving us this underdog story because she's definitely undersized. It's kind of like the Liv Morgan story a little bit with her. Um, she's going to have some good moments, I think, in, in the match. But as far as Lacey Evans, I, I don't know. If you're going to... I would have thought Lacey would have went over on Zelina if you're going to bring her out in a uniform like that. Me too. Okay, that that's my only... I don't have a problem with Zelina going over Lacey Evans, but since you debuted her with this Marine gimmick, which she was in the Marines, but is blatant rip-off Sergeant Slaughter. Just, here's I, you know? here's the thing I don't, I don't like, and they, they've been doing this too much lately. AEW does this too. You don't have to book yourself into a corner, right? We haven't seen Lacey for a while. She hasn't been around. Yep. Why is when she shows up on our TV, she getting you're putting her in a qualifying match for Money in the Bank? When and you put her in a spot where, I mean, Zelina's been doing really well lately. It makes so it makes way more sense for Zelina to be in the Money in the Bank like she is here. So why do you even put Lacey in that spot? Why not give her a couple squash matches on TV for a few weeks until you have a plan for her? Because why do you go right into this with her and just have her lose right away? Now what is now you've repackaged her. Even if you don't have big plans for her, why would you just have her lose? Now nobody yeah, nobody thinks three or four minutes. Nobody's going to think anything of her moving forward. Just don't put her in that match. Have Zelina beat anyone else. You have tons of women on your roster. You just like tons of women on your roster. Why why would you have to go there? I I just don't like when you do something like that because now immediately everyone's looking at Lacey like, oh, I don't care about this now. Let's just be honestly a joke. And, and, and what does she go? Where do you go from here? I mean, if she's not on TV for another couple of weeks, what was this done for? I mean, if you approve the gimmick change, regardless if it was her idea or not, um, I mean, she should have been the one going over in this match. I, I, like, or just yeah, not I'm in the match. Good. Yeah. Or, or just don't, yeah, exactly. Just don't say, hey, look, I, I don't need I don't need to qualify. I want a match or, you know, call out somebody, you know, be the one that challenges Bianca and have that. Hey, look, let, let's 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 
let's you and I fight each other. Uh, you just lost the title. I, I just I, I didn't like this at all. This this was poor planning on WWE's part, and they've done it time and time and time again with Lacey Evans. And and, and set, you know when she was first introduced and she's interrupting these matches as the Southern Belle, that was fantastic. It took that a was while. her best gimmick by far. By far, with the hat, Daisy May, you know, oh, you nasties. I, she's gone, it's like a, a, you know, she's done multiple 180s, and none of them have worked. And uh, not all of them are her fault, because this is definitely not her fault, this booking right here. Yeah, I d- didn't love that. And uh, Zelina qualifies for the Money in the Bank. I, I did like that. Zelina, they've sure, done a really absolutely. good job with Zelina, because they put her in the match in Puerto Rico against Rhea, and the crowd got really into it. And the buildup for that was good. And they said, you know what? Let's keep going with her. The crowd's really into it. She's improved a lot. They like her. She's over. Let's go with it. And they've got they've given her a chance. And now she's going to be in the Money in the Bank match here. We had uh, the next Money in the Bank qualifying match. Montez Ford versus LA Knight. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> now, I did not, again... I thought this was a weird pairing because I would have loved to see Montez in the Money in the Bank also, right? Like someone that could have been a really fun guy to have in the match and do some crazy stuff. But, but I think I, I think, think I know where we're going. With it this, out. Right? Finally, Finally, I think they're starting to figure it out right now. I think it's taken a little while, but the crowd is so into this guy everywhere he goes. When Triple H was in Saudi Arabia, they were chanting. L.A. Knight at the press conference interrupting <laughs> Triple H. And he started, he got a big smile on his face. And you look at the field they're putting together for the money in the bank now. Dude, I think L.A. Knight is going to win this thing. I really, like right now, I feel like I would I would bet him to win this based on where we are sitting on Thursday as you and I record this on June the 8th. I legitimately think they are starting to realize it. And the you could see just like, over and over, people posting on social media all the time. Listen to the crowd when LA Knight comes out. Oh my gosh! And the, it's starting to. It's like becoming a movement. And yeah. Barrett was, <laughs> Barrett was so funny in this. Right, he did the yeah, and then <laughs> it was. I love when you can tell that the announcers crack themselves up because they'll go. They'll be silenced for like three seconds because they'll be laughing. You know they, they can't hit the even mute talk. button. Yeah, and, and that was the him and Cole were laughing. He did the yeah, and you heard Cole kind of snicker a little bit. He was like, and then they both were just silent. It was yeah, definitely mad. definitely hit the cough button. Um, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, when they announced this match last week, I remember sending you over the graphic and going, "Oh no, it's you know the, he he's this was not predictable. You could have told me that uh, there's no way." So. I'm glad they they've embraced this LA night because this does, and it's not just certain parts of the country where this guy's going. It's not just certain cities, um, certain arenas where LA night is going. He's just so over everywhere. I also think this, if this is not an indication that Montez Ford couldn't be a great heel, I don't know what, what he worked like a heel for. They did. I, he did. I think this loss is going to set up something. I think Oscar. Dude, are we going to get it with him and Bianca? Like yeah, I think Bianca is going to lose. Yeah, I think Bianca. Come I think on, Bianca man. loses to Oscar again. I think either she goes nuts, uh, they reset, 
I don't, I, I, I don't care how popular the tag team is. They're, they're not like the New Day. They're not the Usos. They work very well together. But uh, you talk about, you know, you, you've got to go with what's hot now. If this guy turns heel, people are going to, he's going to get a lot of heel heat. He's going to get a lot of heel heat just for the simple fact he's turning because he's been so well liked. But this match is an indicator that he can pull this off. And I think WWE is going to pull the trigger very, very soon. I'm hoping they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. now with the two world titles, he could absolutely cash it in on, on Seth Rollins. Like, oh, for sure. He could, well, he could cash it in on anyone, but I don't think you're going to – you don't want Romans um, losing that way, right? Like no, after no. Roman loses the belt, then it comes – then it's fine again for this thing to happen. But I think with what you set up with Roman – He's got to get beat, you know, um, really beat. And come on, L.A. Knight. Let's see this, man. I am pumped for that as uh, we had a, a video. I like what they've been doing, too. They, they did some nice video packages this week on both SmackDown and Raw. We got a video package about Alba Fire and Isla Dawn talking about the unholy union. And, uh, and then it was the Roman Reigns celebration to finish up SmackDown. So another really good edition of SmackDown as we move over to Monday Night Raw. And man, it's it just feels a little bit better when you've got a, a world title on the show. Doesn't it? Like just yes. a little bit like more purpose now with Seth Rollins there and the crowd going nuts. Will Osprey, who's going to be wrestling Kenny Omega um at the Forbidden Door, said that if there was really a Forbidden Door, the one guy who he'd want to wrestle is Seth Rollins. He said, "Man, Seth is so over right now." The crowd singing his song everywhere you go, and we'd have a great match. And he is. I mean, you look at Seth; he's he's over. The crowd's into him. And did, did Milo? Did Milo stay up for this segment? Oh, we were low. Whoa! He liked that one. And the Cody Rhodes. Whoa! And shout out to Mysterio, who we're gonna talk about in a minute. He he did a little video where he said. I slapped Cody Rhodes. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, it was great. thing in the world, but it's just so great because we hate Dominic. And uh, Seth Rollins, Seth freaking Rollins, has a match with Damian Priest for the world title. And I got to give him some love, too. Last few months have been great for Damian Priest. He truly feels like he has elevated himself back up towards the top. I... I know it's a bummer that he ends up losing. You're not going to have him beat Seth here, but he's losing to the world champ in the main event of Raw after having a really good match, after being in like a legitimate main event match with Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico. He showed us kind of what we thought about him when he was the the babyface world champion over a year ago, where he was, or he was the babyface U.S. champ, and they put him in a couple spots where we're like, hmm. Priest kind of feels like he, okay, okay, and then they they dropped the boat with him. Remember, he 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 didn't get pinned forever, and then they just randomly had Kevin Owens pin him on Raw one night. Yeah, and then yeah. it was right before the Royal Rumble. We thought going into the Rumble, he was a guy that maybe had a chance to win. He was one of the guys, and then yeah. it it just flipped, and he wasn't around very much, and then he went to the Judgment Day, and now it's kind of what I had been hoping, and we had been talking about. Now they put themselves in a position where they have all of the Judgment Day guys as challengers for Seth Rollins, one after the next. Someone was listening to That's What G said. Somebody was listening. Again, another great call. 
first and foremost, how many 21-minute matches have we talked about on Raw? I Even when Cody Rhodes, uh, before and after, I don't recall 20-minute matches on Raw ever. And this guy was, was was main eventing in a world title match with Seth Rollins. And this is this is what we wanted. And now we're seeing some cracks in the Judgment Day. The open the show, the promo that set it up. Uh, Balor was a little little upset. Um, then Priest told Balor, "Hey, look, I don't need you. I don't need you out." Got a little baby you know, face turn almost by Priest. Yeah. yeah. And then he gets involved in the match. He gets super kicked outside, and, and Priest is like, "What's going on?" I could see Priest coming out of this as the badass baby face. Um, so can you I. Know, I? You know the the. The argument would be, or the obvious would be, just it's easy to turn Finn back. I don't think we turn Finn back. I don't think we need Finn back as a babyface. I think we need Damian Priest as that badass, that badass babyface here. And I think that's what we're going to get. And he has proven time and time again he belongs in the mix. Well, that showed you on Monday night that he definitely belonged in the mix. That was a hell of a main event. That really was. And uh, good stuff from Priest, Finn Balor. They are sort of teasing. Now, I thought it was weird because they were they made it seem like Priest, if you were looking at this and you didn't know, it seemed like Balor was like Priest's lackey a little bit. Like Priest yes, seemed like yeah. the main guy. Um, sure. But, but it did seem like they're going to go with Balor, Seth again. I, it's right. It feels like we're going to get that again maybe for the pay-per-view. I could see that being a mon- the Money in the Bank match because that's in London, right? And oh, that'd, that'd be a great match. For Finn over there, too, he'd get a really big reception. Yep. So I could see them giving Finn that match. Okay, play play this out with me here. We're going to okay. skip around a little bit later on to Monday Night Raw because it's connected with the Judgment Day. So we have a Miz TV segment where Cody Rhodes comes out and then Dominic Mysterio comes out. Cody's uh, Miz introduces someone else with a, a wrestling family and Dominic trash talks Cody, calls him a deadbeat dad, tells him he should be <laughs> home with his kids, says you're just like Rey Mysterio. And it looks like we're going in that direction. I could see that being a money in the bank match. Cody versus Dominic. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think so. And, Dom- and, and Dominic going over. Yes. Because I I think here's here's where we go right because Cody mentioned that Brock is gone on his hiatus for a little bit. Brock Lesnar interferes in that match, yes, and helps not not necessarily helps Dominic, but Dominic gets the win, and then Dominic gets to use that and and sell it and go have a match with Seth Rollins. Following that, so you can elevate Dominic up to Seth. That way, Seth goes through all of the Judgment Day guys, and he keeps that consistent, and he goes from Finn, and then after that, it's Dominic. Now, I don't know if that's like a SummerSlam match. Maybe that's a TV match, but as far as getting Dominic in the ring opposite of the two of two of the most over baby faces, I think is awesome because Dominic gets so much heat. You put him in there against Cody, who gets cheered like crazy— and then can you imagine if you put Dominic in the ring with Seth with the crowd booing Dominic and then singing Seth's song? That'll be awesome. The internet, the IWC, the internet wrestling community will have a legitimate 
meltdown if if prison dom goes over on cody rhodes and i think it's going to happen if that match takes place i do too i, I think, think it you should book it either other way because he he mentioned again hey look i look cody i've done hard time what do you say something about your little bird with a broken wing so we're, oh my that gosh. right there told you that you know Co- they're going to use the Cody with the with the arm injury angle, and that's going to give Do- whether Brock interferes, whether Rhea. Judgment Day or Rhea Ripley interferes, Dominic is going to go over Cody Rhodes. I, it should, it's going to keep Cody strong. It should be absolutely a, a slimy heel win, and then yes. Cody gets the third win back at SummerSlam against Brock, and he be he then he's able to get back. Tell it towards Roman telling that story um, if that's where they want to go. But it doesn't it doesn't get any better than the segment ending with a slap and then he immediately hides behind Rhea. That was just fantastic. And Miz Miz is in the background, like dancing and pointing and just being absurd in the background like he just, he just smoked right <laughs> yeah he's just watching Miz and it's like what did Miz do? but he didn't really do anything you know what I mean so then Cody just right. that's like Cody what did Miz do come on he's just being oh, well I, I I think Cody works that match with the cast and and that's just it it, it puts Dom over I, I just I, I don't think any other booking than that and just imagine that he he's gonna get just for going over Cody Rhodes in a slimy way Oh man, so good, so good. We uh, so all, I mean, all of the like right now, those separate angles, I'm really big fans of. And yeah. so, moving forward, they'll all kind of connect in a weird way. Could could we ever get on a Monday Night Raw where they make Seth and Cody team up? Right? They, can we, I could see them doing that against the Judgment Day. Can they coexist? I don't Will know. They, you know won't there's, they? Only one, there's only one there's way, only to, one way to know. Tune in next Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can absolutely see like a Cody, Seth versus, uh, you know, Damien and Dominic or some, or any combination of those three, and or maybe even a third with uh, along with Cody and Seth. Money in the Bank qualifying match. Becky Lynch picks up the win. And then later in the night, we had Zoe Stark pick up the win. So that was the way they were going to continue. Yeah, we talked about this. What they were going to do with in these either matches. both of them win or both of them lose. Both of them lose. Sure. Made the most sense, and that way they kind of keep this feud going. I almost want now think that neither of them are going to win if they're both no. in it, and they kind of cancel each other out, and then Trish gets involved and whatever, make sure that Becky doesn't win that thing, and that kind of that puts them to SummerSlam, right? With with the that feud going there. Yeah, and I could see I could see Lita returning and helping out, and that absolutely being maybe a tag match between 100%, the four. Hundred uh, percent. That would that would be fun too. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me um, if Becky or Lacey won this briefcase, but I don't think either one of them are. Yeah, me neither. Becky, I think you said Lacey, Zoe, Becky or Zoe, either one. But yeah, no, I don't. I yeah. I don't think it's their time quite yet. We then no. Uh, no. moved on to Sammy and Ko. And man, team matches on here tonight. Yeah, and dude, the only thing that bummed me out about this is we had a KO Gunther match that was awesome, awesome match. This thing went 17 minutes. It was seriously one of the better TV matches that you'll find this year on Raw or on AEW. It was that good. I just wish we would have gotten a little promotion for it. If they would have just yeah, told us a week ago KO versus Gunther, I think 
some people would have tuned in to watch this because it was so good. And the and what's nice is the way that they the way that it ended with the roll up and Kaiser, you know, getting involved and there was all the interference with Vinci and Kaiser and so many things happening that you know they're going to be able to get back to this again at some point. It wasn't like just a clean a clean win for Gunther. Sure. No, it's it, uh, I mean when when you when Gunther is applying Boston crabs into cross faces and Owens is fighting out of it and then we get the uh, we get the chops. I, I mean, you talk about a match. And if you're going to have a tag champion lose, this is the type of match they lose when they're in singles. Um, and I don't want to hear, oh, you know, I can't believe they're burying a tag team champion. This had nothing to do with the tag team champion. No, no. And, th- and this is like a feud. This is a fun feud with all six of these guys now because Riddle, it looks like he's going to be kind yeah, of placed, yeah. placed for Gunther. And you can have Sammy, uh, KO, and Riddle. All as contenders for Gunther. You can have any combination of them there. You got Sammy and KO with um with the Imperium in tag team formats. And just like these six together are really good and could have some really solid uh d- different you know combinations moving forward. So again, I like I like where they're going right here. Um I think well, this I, is I think Gunther's gonna be a world champion before uh, completely KO and agree. Or Riddle are are gonna hold that title. I, I think this guy is I don't know how they do it with with the title that he has, but holy Moses, this guy is a beast. I know. Do we get him? Vintage classic WWE heel bad guy right here. With him, do you get him in a situation where he like loses but doesn't even lose? So that way you can – because I I think for Roman it's different because I think for Roman you want Roman to get beat because when Roman gets beat, he's going to come down the card. Like, that'll be his story of, like, Roman Reigns coming down and him going crazy and him losing and all that. For Gunther, he's still elevating so much that, like, I don't even know if I want to see him get pinned for the IC title. I just want to see, like, some creative way to get it off of him, and then he's up fighting for the main title. You know, and I don't don't know how you could do it other than him just— I don't in a triple threat or something. Yeah, I don't see him dropping it and just saying I don't want it anymore. No, There's only one but, title I want because then that craps on the title. But I could see a triple threat. Hell, I could see him holding both titles. I don't me know. Me too. You could do something. I don't know if they would go there this quickly, but like I could Probably see not. something where they did a triple threat with like him, Sammy, and KO, and KO pins Sammy, right? Like, sure, sure. As, and then turns heel again. Like that could be something sure. you would do, and it could get it off of them keep telling a story with Sammy and KO and then all of a sudden Gunther can move up and you got him against Rollins but man this guy is this guy is so good Gunther and looks like Riddle we'll probably get Riddle versus Gunther and Money in the Bank for the IC title we'll probably get the Imperium yeah. versus uh, Sammy and KO for the tag belts there I'd imagine I thought it was a little bit weird that they had Caden Carter and Katana Chance come out and face Ronda and Shayna, Shayna so quickly. I actually thought the match was pretty good, and I thought they looked kind of good in it, but it just it's like the one of the first times we see them, they lose right away. I don't I don't know if I would have done this immediately. I thought the match was fine, and I actually do really like Ronda and Shayna as a tag team because it does feel like they care about this. And and um again, I I think someone wait, I think Wade Keller was mentioning it. 
when you look at Raw right now, you feel like all of their champions like really, really care about the belts. And you, it, it shows through. Like Seth Rollins right now, he wants to make this belt more important than Roman's belt. He does. You and, and you like can feel, and you can feel that he wants to do that through the television. He's always set, been right? the company guy. He's always been the guy that defends WWE. And now he wants to go out there and show every week, have an awesome match on TV, help get guys over. Gunther, he thinks he's the most important champion in the whole company. No doubt about it. You know? And um, you know, like for on the on the women's side, you know, now for them. They're sort of in a weird spot because we got like both of the women going back and forth. But Rhea, who's on, you know, she feels like she truly thinks she's as big of a deal as anyone. And, you know, she's, I think, really more of of a Raw than SmackDown. But she's been going back and forth. And who knows what they're going to do with Asuka there. But the the tag team champs with KO and Sammy, they feel like this is really important to them. And it and it makes a big deal. Like we, Like you said, we feel it as fans when we're watching. Yeah, it, it, it does. Uh, it really does. And they've got some really, really interesting uh, storylines that, that haven't even scratched the surface yet with, with all these titles. Um, it's, a, it, it's a unique way, position to be in. Uh, I know we've already talked about uh, the women's part of it, but with, with Rhea, you know, um, with her not really having a challenger right now, I, that's why I think Dom is probably getting this push and going to start going over because she is a great uh, uh, side piece for uh, Dom. Not in real life, people. Not in real life. Calm down. Um, but when it involves the Imperium and these three, um, man, you can have all kind of dances that you wanted. So I, I just say Guther is just like, if he gets pinned, I, I'll go. I promise you this: if he gets pinned cleanly by someone and loses that Intercontinental title, uh, I'm gonna get. I, I'm gonna go off. Yeah, we're, it's gonna be this guy. Is, this guy's a monster, man. A complete monster. We uh, look like we're getting. They they're teasing Bronson Reed in the Money in the Bank match. I so I'd imagine we're gonna get one of those last chance qualifiers, right? Yes, for sure. And he'll sure. he'll probably win that because. Shinsuke and Ricochet had a match, but he interrupts the match and attacks both guys. So he's being sort of he's part of the story of Money in the Bank. They'll find a way to get him in there. And if he's in there, he becomes a legitimate threat. I, I, think. I think if he gets put in, he may be the winner. It, like right now, I know we want LA Knight looking, in, but I think No, you're you're right. This, right. As of now, I think LA Knight is the most likely winner based on who's in. If Bronson Reed gets in there, I think he becomes equally as likely or maybe even a more likely winner. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I, and I know I'm going to lose. I know I'm going to lose some people here, but I won't lose you. Uh, it's kind of like a horse race, a stakes race. And my horse didn't get in because it was too late. But I pay the extra 50 to $100,000 to, to nominate my horse yep. to supplement him to get him in this race. I think I've got a pretty good damn good chance of winning this thing. And I think if he gets in. Uh, it'll be him or LA Knight. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the video package for Johnny Gargano. It's like a I starting think, over, starting over. Yeah. Let's just forget I, about I the last. Really about to get him. Yep. Let's forget about the last month or two, and let's start over. Show his accomplishments. Talked about how you know he's smaller. He's an underdog. Um, mentioned the way. Confident in his abilities I thought this was a good video package for him And it was something that we didn't see before He just came up And it didn't work 
So you know what? We like this guy. We know he can be a lot more. Let's put some more behind him. We saw Cody. We talked about that segment. We talked about Zoe winning the Money in the Bank. You know what? Indu Shears look very dominant as a tag team so far. They look scary. They look terrifying. And they're, they're big evil heels that at one point are a fun foil for Sammy and KO or a babyface tag team. So I need to see more from them. I want to see them work longer matches after they're done with yeah. the squashes here. But yeah. I think the presentation of them has been pretty good. And I think gender with them. Whether or not you were ever an individual fan of gender, I know you were, Chad, and oh, yeah. uh, I was too. Don't hinder gender. They, <laughs> he was a world champion, and he just being someone who's big, strong, and imposing, he sort of makes them uh, – he completes their package. I think he gives them a little something too. Uh, yes. I, you know, this – I don't even know if this match even happened. I think, no, it was uh, like a – just yeah, crushed them before Cedric the match even started. Out. Yeah, um, yeah. That that's the next step here. We got to see it in some kind of. If you want to squash, there's only I, I I don't even like that stuff anymore. Uh, you know, we're so used to Omos doing it. Um, it's been the emo uh, for the last I don't know how many years WWE with with bigger physical size talent other than like a Bobby Lashley or something where these guys just continue to get squashes. I like the presentation, a big fan of gender. I'm a big fan of this tag team because I think they would have a pretty fun, interesting match with Sammy and KO. Yeah. I really do. I think that after this Imperium stuff is over, I, I would like to see them go after the tag team championship. And then uh, we finished up with Priest and Seth. Really good match and a very solid episode of Monday Night Raw. Heading over to NXT, this was a, a good episode of NXT and what they're doing now. They're really starting to use a lot more of the main roster folks that that just don't have anything going for them. And they come down to NXT, and here's what I like. They don't all just automatically win. You know, it's some win, good some point. lose. We don't know what we're going to get. Think about Dolph Ziggler. He comes down. He wins the world title. We see Natalia come down. She wins some matches here and there. But then you have a guy like Apollo Crews come down. He doesn't just go go through everyone. We saw Dana Brooke show up on the in this battle royal. She looked good. She was presented like a star. She felt like a big deal, but she didn't automatically win. I like that. You don't want to make it too predictable one way or the other. You don't want all of them going there and never winning, but you don't want all of them going down there and only winning, right? It's just got to be a little bit of both. And we had a lot of main roster presence on this show, and then we had another uh, one mentioned at the end. We start out with Baron Corbin. Okay, you and I have always been high <laughs> on Corbin, and I think this is a good a spot for him because he's so big, he's so imposing. He just towers over everybody in NXT. He actually did really well when he was in NXT. He's been floundering on the main roster for a while. He can go down there, be a heel to all of these guys, and right off the bat, he... Had a match with Trick Williams. He called out Carmelo Hayes. We saw him attack Carmelo last week. Looks like he wants to go after the NXT title. And then Dragunov interrupted him. And he's going to have a match next week with Dragunov. Coop, I got to say, he's becoming one of my guys now, Dragunov is. He like, is. I'm, he he is, is, man. I'm like, really? His facials are unbelievable. Like, when he's in there, he's just making these faces and responding to what people are saying or in matches. I And he... Like I'm, I just believe everything he says when he comes out. He sells me on it, and I, 
I'm going to be bummed next week if Corbin beats Dragon off because, man, <laughs> I, I think it's coming. I think it's Did coming. You? I think they're going to – because it feels like they're setting up Baron to be the challenger for Carmelo, right? Yeah, yeah, because Trick – didn't Trick come in there at the end and clothesline Corbin over the top rope or something like yeah. that? And then yeah, we had that match, and we had the match, and you know what? Trick is getting a lot. Like Trick is really improving. Like this is a main, a main roster pa- some package. If, if you're, like, yeah, if you notice, he's getting some spots to excel in. You know, he, and he's funny on the mic, and um, yeah, Corbin ends up picking the win, and Trick, like little by little, he's getting there. And there's going to be the moment when Trick turns on Carmelo, you know, oh, and they'll have sure. they'll have for that sure. little feud, and that'll be good. I think they're just giving trick a little bit more time. And I hope if that happens before they come back to the main roster or when they, if they come to the main roster, they're together because this should be a main roster package deal. I could see the two of them really, really succeeding on the main roster. So next week, Dragonoff versus Corbin. We're going to get that. We uh, continue along from NXT and it, it's weird. Cause Braun attacks. I don't like to do that. I, I'm tired of the Creed brothers losing. Me, oh, the Diaz. Yeah. Oh, 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 you're going with the Braun attacking oh, uh, you, Dragunov? I was going to say, so they still have Braun Dragunov stuff kind of going sure. on there, but I guess we can get to the big point. At the end of the night, Braun oh, Breaker yeah. freaking calls out Seth Rollins, challenges him to a WW, to a world title match next week on NXT. On NXT, baby. <laughs> this Braun is like, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of all of you. I'm the ba- I'm the most badass in all of this company, and I'm calling everybody out. And man, this was this was the brawn we've all wanted. This is awesome stuff, and th- that could be. I mean, th- that's a huge deal. the The world title Are we being defended. That? Do you think we're truly getting that? I do. I think we're gonna get it. And you I think, think he shows up next week or he responds I think Braun Breaker saying, is okay, on we'll Raw. I think he shows up on Raw. Okay. To to build. And I think he attacks Seth Rollins or some we have some sort of a segment. They absolutely should do that. Well, if they're planning on having Seth versus Braun on Tuesday, they better pump the hell out of it on Monday. Just to sure. let everybody know on Monday Night Raw. So I think we'll get a good idea on Monday. I think this is happening. I, I don't think it would have happened with the Roman Reigns, but I think the reason why it is happening is because Seth Rollins is the type of guy who'll go down there. He mentioned you were the first NXT champion. He'll say, "Ah, this is my home NXT." He'll go down there and they'll, oh, that little small arena is gonna be rocking the. Do Rollins. you think this is a? Do you think this is an NXT match, or do you think this is? A, look, it, you would either have to do it on NXT. Yeah, or you I would think have you, to do it on one of these NXT events. I think you do it on NXT TV. I think you okay. do it on NXT TV and just as like set as like this guy defending the title and accepting it, all I'd challenges. Next, I would do it next Tuesday for the week of collision because, you know, every you know, we'll get to that in just a second. I, I think they do it Tuesday night. I do, too. I think they get a little buzz by doing it. Yeah, I, I know where we were going with the uh, the, the schism. Here. Yeah, come on. I know. Come on. Like, what is up with the why? Why are they so down on the Creed brothers? This should have been like the Steiner brothers tag team that just is always dominant and always in the mix for the tag titles. I don't get it. Yeah. And I know Ava, Ava Penn, Nile, you know, neither one of the Creed brothers, but still, it's not a good look. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I, I, I know you're sick of the Diad. 
I, they haven't really done anything for me. I think Joe Gacy has been the best out of this group um, o- over the last several months, and I, I just don't get it. I, I didn't like this. So what do we think about – we can see, w- like, with Ava that she's super green, right? Like yes. she, yes. And that's why we haven't seen her in matches enough because they don't they, – she's not quite ready. And But you see flashes. It's funny because you see little things are like, oh, that's just like The Rock. Like, like the way she kind of like throws a punch or like the way she kind of like just some like her stances here and there. You're like, oh my gosh, that looked a lot like how the rock would have done it. But she just needs a little work there and she's really young and we all are just going to have incredibly high expectations for her. So, you know, we just got to calm them down a little bit as a schism picks up the win there. Man, Tony D, poor Tony Tony D. Tony D got a visitor. But he's got a Peacock subscription in jail. Yeah. <laughs> they hooked him up with one. So um, it we got uh, Stax visiting Tony, but Stax was going through all the people that could have done this. And I think we're going to find out it really was Stax, right? Yeah, Stax is the guy so, that turned yeah. him in. I think so. Um, up next, we had Von Wagner going to the therapist's office. Um, no oh Shelby, God. though. We didn't see no old Shelby. Doc Shelby. No Dr. Shelby. But he did uh, he did go in to talk with a really beautiful woman. So we'll see what happens next from, uh, <laughs> oh, God. from the therapist's office. Blair Davenport, just a quick win to establish her. She's been the one attacking everyone. She gets a win over Danny Palmer, and she tells everyone to take notice. What would you think of uh, the presentation for Blair? Yeah, there's another squash here. I, I have no issues with it. I think Davenport's the next uh, – uh, next big thing that they're going to try to push here in the women's division on NXT. Um, you know, she dominated most of the match. Um, and, and saying that when you always use the old promo, I'm putting the roster on notice. Uh, they're probably going to be uh, coming up here soon, next in line for a title shot or get in the mix of being a number one contender here after uh, we get done with Thea and, uh, and Tiffany. The Battle Royal was next. For the number one contender for the women's NXT championship, Dana Brooke, she was presented like a star. She shows up in the parking lot. She says NXT is full of opportunities. I'm ready. I'm going to go. And they made her seem like a big deal. I thought it was a, a good job from uh, from NXT. And she gets she gets a pretty good push in the Battle Royal. Um, and she's actually one of the last few in the Battle Royal, which... I actually like because that is what finished the show. A um, yeah. couple things we'll hit on before, but it looks like it, it's down to Dana Brooke, Cora Jade, and then Tia Hale comes back in the ring. She hasn't been eliminated yet. She was outside the ring, but she didn't go over the top rope. Tia Hale ends up getting the win, so it sets up a, a baby face for Stratton for your new heel champ. And, you know, we have plenty of, of women set up you know, Roxanne Perez down the line and Blair Davenport and Cora Jade, and they're all going to be in the mix. But Hale versus Stratton for the NXT Women's Championship. What'd you think of the the Women's Battle Royal? I thought it was good. Uh, I like the winner. I like the presentation of the whole match. I like that Gigi and uh, JC uh, uh, are going to continue their little feud. Um, we thought that was a good way uh, to get them eliminated. Um, and not having to win this match because we know this is set up to just be uh, 
I like the fact that the Chase Youth, quote-unquote, students rushed the ring right after uh, the victory, held her up, and lo and behold, here comes Hannah and Haley Cavender, the Cavender twins, mm -hmm. baby, who are signed to NIL deals. They're in the ring. I, I thought it was a great. I, I thought it was a great way to uh, the last match on the show, though we see, you know, the, the end of the show is the Braun and Seth Rollins call out. I thought it was good. I thought it was booked good. I thought the presentation was good and all that was involved. Uh, I think this was the right winner for the next match that's coming up uh, between uh, these two. But, I mean, we can't go without uh, – can't go through an NXT segment without talking about Tiffany Stratton. She Unbelievable. is a – She's not going to be a heel too long there. either. I think the crowd's no, starting to no, get behind her. And, oh, yeah. yeah. She's going to be a baby face. She's just going to be like a baby – They they – someone who gets cheered because she's really good in the ring and she's kind of she's kind of funny when she's snarky too i yeah man she uh, she just impresses me more and more each and every week and this women's division is loaded like they're stacked they've got a lot of of women ready and they've got women like Nikita and Sol Ruka who when they come back they'll be ready sure. um Mustafa Ali good spot for Mustafa he had some momentum you put him in a, in a good match with Gunther. He's been on TV recently. Now he can come back to NXT here and maybe get some momentum built up. He beats Joe Gacy, and it seems like he's going to be going towards Wesley. And he said, Wesley, I want to earn it. So I feel like this is good use of Mustafa. At the very least, we're going to get Mustafa and Wesley and, and you know Tyler Bate in a couple matches. Yeah, I like uh, this match was short, but it was good. Again, I give props to J uh, Joe Gacy because I crapped on him uh, for a long time. That 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 little gimmick that he was doing was uh, just not good. And the guy's improved. Um, the guy's improved over the last couple of months. And and look, when we talk about Ali, it's the same. Um, if they offer you a transition spot to go work on NXT, you take it. You know, this is uh, it's getting to the point now where this is not a demotion. You know, it's just not. You go down, um, you have some meaningful matches. If Seth Rollins goes next Tuesday to defend his title against Braun Breaker on NXT, then you can put a line through, hey, this is this is a step down because that's going to show you. And I, I think that opens the door for uh, a lot more of these main uh, roster stars uh, to go down in NXT. I like that they're doing it here, and I think that Ali – and uh, Wesley are going to have uh, a, a fantastic match. Yeah, they, I wouldn't they be surprised if Ali goes over either and wins the title. Me neither. Wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Really wouldn't. Had a lot of like quick segments. Uh, Eddie Thorpe gets the oh, win yeah. over Damon Kemp, but that was uh, the referee never saw that Kemp's foot was on the rope, so that will likely continue. Looks like we have an interaction, uh, right? No, Noam Dar, no, your guy. Noam, Noam Dar in the in the faction. <laughs> Noam with a. Uh, Oro Mensa, Lash Legend, and Jakara Jackson. Um, yeah, the, meta, metaphor. the metaphor. <laughs> the metaphor. <laughs> okay. um, we had Scripps versus Daba Kato. Scripps with a roll-up. Why aren't we calling him Reggie? Well, let's just call him Reggie. Know. They've, I, they've gone know. back and forth with this a little bit. And um, Daba Kato's looked a little better, and then you have him lose with a roll-up like this. Like, I don't know if that was great for any of them and axiom what's what's all going on here i guess we'll we'll see um moving forward then we had the uh yeah the women's battle royal which we talked about and then to close the show it was the braun breaker promo calling out seth rollins oh, this was a good, good episode man. of it nxt was. man again like 
SmackDown, good. NXT, good. Raw, very good. We head over to AEW, and we know that Collision is coming soon. But we know that Punk will be there, and we're not exactly sure what the reception will be like for Punk. In Chicago, it'll be great. But then just moving forward, not positive. Now, on this episode, Tony Khan had an announcement. He talked about what the main event was going to be for the first episode of Collision. I got to say, I think it's a little bit underwhelming. Like, okay. the match is good. Is going to be good. It's CM Punk and FTR versus Samoa Joe. What, what's the, what was the announced group? Samoa Joe. Uh, Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson and Jay. Uh, and Jay White. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. Like, Punk returning, obviously, is the big, the big selling point. It's just a, it's a six man tag for a singles match. Like and, and we we could are see we this hiding something here. Well, it, I wouldn't even mind if you had this match on the show, and maybe they will. Like in addition to another big match, but I think they should have thrown like a championship match on there right away. Um, yes, I mean they announced they announced that they're going to have a match between Adam Cole and MJF that we'll talk about in a second next week on TV. Which seems wonky. There's going to be something weird that happens in that match to to keep that feud going. I think they should have just announced we're going to have a a world like a championship match on the first episode of Collusion. MJF will be defending his title. We're going to let you know in the next week or two against who. Nothing like that. So the draw is CM Punk. We're going to probably get a CM Punk promo to start, and then we'll probably get a 25 minute match at the end with those guys, and it'll it'll be a whole lot of CM Punk on that show. I. I think you you really wanted to stack that first one up because what we've seen with Rampage, it's hard to change people's perception of these shows. Rampage, remember the first episode of Rampage was Punk, right? Was yeah. that was that Punk returning? Like that was as big yeah. as possible. And think about where that show is right now. And that show started huge. We recapped Rampage the first few weeks it was on, and then yeah, we, we were just like, yeah, no more. This is just not even worth it. It started being tape delayed. It was. So I don't I don't know. I'm I'm still a little confused about all of this stuff with with punk, what how it's going to work with collision with dynamite, separate rosters, separate stories, what's going to happen at pay-per-views. I'm just confused. I need to see this all play out. Um chat, so I don't I don't know what to think. What what you you look, look you're you're you basically can set lines at, at during races and uh, opening odds. What do you think a good over? I, I know we'll talk more about this next week, but since we talked about the first, we had an announcement to talk about the first big match on Collision next Saturday, June seventeenth. What do you think? What's the what's the over under total viewing audience line here? Do you think? Do we hit a million? Um, on the first one, I think will be in like the. Like eight hundred thousand. I don't even think it'll get a million on Saturday night. And then yeah, after yeah, that, I don't think so either. Then after that, it's gonna be. I mean, there there will be some curiosity that first time because there always is with new shows, and then they go down. I just, I'm so worried about the time, in in just how yeah. Rampage has been portrayed so far. In in is this entire show because of CM Punk if it is and we're counting on him what happens the first time he gets upset or when he's hurt and you don't have him on the show like have you say it needs to be a do you do you make it where it looks like it's a completely different uh setup uh is this uh, like know, a look basically ripped off the yeah you re, you you ripped off the old TNT 
uh, Monday Nitro logo. Is this, is, we got a completely different new look here, the setup and everything. I mean, we have the same announcers. Uh, I, I don't know that, you know, the, the first one is going to be the most watched. I think we, we can all agree upon that, but this was a little underwhelming. Uh, this, this first big announcement match for this. We opened with Orange Cassidy, Swerve Strickland. This match goes 16 minutes. Orange Cassidy keeps on winning. They keep telling this story that the poor guy, is, he's got <laughs> like injured limbs all over. He's banged up all over. This has been a fun story they've been telling with him. Um, so when I think when he gets beat, it's going to make it feel important again. Um, I have no problem with Orange Cassidy. He's done, he's done a really good job, and I think he's continued to be a, like a big bright spot for AW. Yeah, no complaints here. Uh, I was a big Orange Cassidy fan in the Indies when he got signed. Um, I, you know, we said it last week. This was probably what should have been happening uh, from from the beginning with this guy. The same with Braun Breaker in NXT. So, uh, no problem here. Um, it just what, what after the match is what. Yeah, that's, what do you thought this setting up this six man? I just don't match? love all of the always needing a bunch of people no, in feuds. I don't put them on TV. That's, I'm always so been the same. Darby and Sting come out. I will say, I know you couldn't do anything about it, but doesn't it feel like Darby and like Jungle Boy have just dropped from? They were oh, in the he's main not even event. Jungle Boy anymore about MJF Perry. And yeah, now we've got he's not even Jungle Boy anymore. We've Sucks. got Darby. It looks like he's going to be involved in like a six man or stuff with Orange Cassidy against this other group. And then you've got Jack Perry with Hook. And they said it's going to be the summer of Jungle Hook coming up. So oh it's just a bummer you feel <laughs> for these guys who were like fighting for the world title as pillars. And now they're slotted way back down the card. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. So. Does the does the sting do anything for you in the ring? Nah, I mean, sting for like a we talked about it before. You could you could sell me on a fun sting versus MJF match that I could get behind, right? I would sure. get behind that like a one time sting putting his career on the line versus MJF. There just aren't that many people I'd want to see sting in a match with. It'd have to be like a really good heel on the other side. He just. So Sting I don't, I don't, being involved in this six man is not extra for you to be to be heavily involved in this match. Doesn't really do much for me anymore. Okay. No, it just doesn't all that much. Okay. We get uh Brian Danielson who challenged Okada. He said, You call yourself the rainmaker, you step into the ring with me, and you're getting into an effing desert, and there ain't gonna be no rain. So uh we should get for this Forbidden Door show. I think already there are two matches on the card that are probably going to be better than anything they had last year, just booked yes. with uh, yes. Okada and Danielson and then with Osprey and Omega. And so like those two are going to be the types of matches that they they have a pay-per-view like this for. So I'm already a little bit more pleased with that. Um, I, I'm just – this is where it gets a little tricky for them over the next few weeks trying to book all these different things they have, right? You're, you're setting – up a new show collision you're trying to book forbidden door and then you've got things coming after that this is when the tv took a little bit of a hit last year too because there was no consistency in storytelling i agree um we you know it just um there's too much look we, that's why swiping left and right up and down pressing one button has become so popular on apps and things you read and look at a lot of people don't want to be invested 
and having to follow nine different things at one time. And I think this was definitely really hurt. Um, and you brought the point up last week about collision. We have a pay-per-view that's really not involved with 100% of your company. This involves New Japan. There would be, there's going to be some good wrestling on it. But at the end of the day, it's not, it's not a big payoff for AEW television because these guys are only around for New Japan on AEW television for a little bit. Um, so, no, I, I'm with you. I don't like to – look, I, as I get older in age, I like to do less and less when I'm watching a show or figuring something out. So the, the more you throw at me, the less likely I am to get involved in it. So I, I'm the same with you. It gets real, real – uh, real cloudy with with all these moving parts. Looks like we're continuing along with the uh, the Blackpool Combat Club and the Elite. Or they love story. Yuta, don't they? They do, man. They're they're <laughs> making it seem like he's going to be your next world he's champion. Moxley yeah. and Yuta pick up a win, and um, uh, Moxley, Yuta, and Claudio pick up the win here. Yeah. And Danielson accepted a challenge next week from the Hung Bucks. So. Uh, <laughs> the, that will uh, that will be next week. We had a, a pretty polarizing segment, a promo segment between MJF and Adam Cole. Now, yeah. both of these guys are good on the mic, so their presence on the mic is good. Their and their delivery is good, and, and all of that. I, I I'm conflicted because as I'm watching it, there are some things that I laugh at, and there are some things where I'm like, oh, zinger, you know. And then there are other things I I feel like not even that it went too far, but they're so. They're such niche things. Like, how many people watching this show don't understand what he's talking about sometimes? That's what I wonder. With CZW, I mean. Talking about Keith Lee stuff being being Keith Lee's manager. Like, the internet all knows that stuff. But is that all of the people watching? Is the whole people watching, like, the internet wrestling community? No, because they're getting 800,000 viewers. There's a ton of people on their show that don't know what they're talking about. And and I, this goes off on a complete different tangent, but Wade Keller mentioned this on his show. What the hell would you be thinking if you were someone who didn't who wasn't online, only watched this show and now CM Punk is back? You don't even know why he was gone. They didn't tell you why he's coming back. There's nothing to it. They have to. They have to address it. It's like you can't just not address at all the fact. They make it seem like it was an injury, which it was. So if you want to do that, sell the injury. But I don't think they want to do that because they know that a lot of the crowd knows it really wasn't all just an injury. And can you imagine on a TV show if the main character is just gone, and the only thing they said after he was gone was that. CM Punk had an injury. The title's been taken from him. Nothing else. No follow-up. Zero follow-up in months. And now Tony Khan shows up on our TV and says, CM Punk is back. He's going to be a big part of the show. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay. Where has he been? <laughs> Why? What is Like, I didn't even think about it in that sense. Because sometimes we don't realize, because we're so inside of it, Chad, you know? Yeah. Like, we're, yeah. we're <laughs> the hardcore wrestling fans, so we don't even think about what it would be like for someone who doesn't know that stuff? And what used to be a what used to be must see TV for AEW were these MJF promos, and that has become look. He had a couple of good lines in there. Let's let's be honest. I thought the good line 
that he said to Cole was, you were once known as the Panama Playboy, and now you're known as the Panama Game Boy because you play video games all the time and your kahunas are in Britt Baker's purse. Okay, if you want to throw a personal jab in there. But, but the Keith Lee and the constant mention of Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who I like, by the way, I, I just, MJF doesn't do, these promos of MJF doesn't do it for me anymore. I'm not, I, I'm, we used to be shocked. Oh, we, yeah, I, I remember I was in downtown Houston about, the, we were recording a show. I was in downtown Houston about to go into a concert and we were talking about one of these shock promos that MJF did and how insane it was. This guy is must-see television. Is he must-see television? Fast forward about four or five months down the line now, his promos. Do you have to stay glued two hours on Dynamite every week to hear what MJF has to say? I don't think so anymore. No, I don't. He hasn't evolved. He has not evolved. He's doing the same shtick, and I'd like to see him evolve. So in this segment, MJF gives... Cole a lot of credit. He says, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, first, and and two, like he says, I almost killed myself for being in Colorado. Like, those are jokes that, are like, I know he's going for the real heel heat, but it's like, that's a little too much. You can badmouth the city, but, like, no suicide jokes needed, you know? Um, he, Cole comes out, crowd loves that, and he said, oh, finally some worthy competition for me. He, you know, talked about watching ring of honor he made it seem like ring of honor was like this little small nothing like he really really that's what i didn't like denigrated ring of honor because i had already forgotten about it which is the company that tony khan owns um but he he propped up adam cole a little bit before tearing him down he said he watched him go to florida and shock the system he was Shawn michaels hand-picked guy he became the best champion in the history of that company that is undisputed Went to CEW, one gold, top name on the independents. Um, and when he showed up, MJF said, what happened to you, man? Used to be the Panama Playboy. Now you're the Panama Game Boy. You play Twitch and hide from the sun looking like a virgin golem. Said Britt Baker keeps your, your balls in his in her purse. <laughs> and uh, so you used to have the physique of a world champ. Now you're so frail, you make crack whores jealous. Um, so I... I mean, there were just a few in there that are. Yeah, just Hill or not. I just don't get why you need that. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. The first part of it was good. You don't always and then you have to be evil and healy. But when what does it make you look like when you beat an out of shape crack whore? Right. Like if you're MJF (laughs) and you just call this guy this and then you win, like that's the point that I don't like. You don't want to. Down, you don't want to make it seem like your opponent is so nothing that when you beat them, it doesn't do anything for you. Um, so the segment overall was like mixed feelings because I it was hot and the crowd was into it. And the and Cole and MJF in the ring together, Cole's a good choice for him, they could have a really good match. Yes, Cole, yes. I, I wish it was a, a slightly different time because I still don't think they're gonna have MJF lose, but Cole feels like one of the guys that actually could beat him. Like it wouldn't, like you could see them saying, okay, we're going to go with Adam Cole for a bit. But next week, we're getting an eliminator match, an eliminator match between the two of these guys. And And (laughs) so there's no way Adam Cole is just losing that match. No No. way. 
He's going to win, right? He's going to win probably with some sort of help, maybe Roderick Strong or something, or which is not Britt. which is not a babyface thing to do either. Maybe Britt, you're right. Um, so, but I don't like that at all. Why not do that on Collision then? Like, give us something bigger on Collision. It's just so weird that you're going to put that next week. Maybe that's what they're going to do. Maybe next week they're going to have a match. It's going to have Adam Cole be the number one contender, and then they're going to say we're going to put that match on Collision. Or something happens, it's a DQ, and you know what? You two are going to settle it this Saturday night on TNT. And if they do that, okay. But if they don't. If they don't, I don't understand why you even have this match. Just have Adam Cole become a number one contender by beating somebody else. I hate I agree. the Eliminator I agree. Championship match, well, the Eliminator matches against WWE, the champ. Remember, I'm going to consistently crap WWE. on it everywhere. WWE hasn't done it in a while. They used they to did, do it all it. the time, and I hated it then. They called it something different. What, what did they call it? It wasn't uh, Eliminator. It was no. uh, Championship uh, Opportunity or something like that. You know, it was something silly. Something dumb, and I hated it then, and I hate it now. I don't like Beating the champ to get a match for the title. Beat somebody else to get a match against the champ. Period. We then had that uh, tag team match. Hook and Jungle Boy versus Drillistico and Preston Vance. So it looks like they're going with Hook and Perry. Jack Perry as a a tag team Uh, moving forward. Um, The next match was just to to make Takeshita look evil as a heel. Don Callis came out. He, it's funny. He didn't get as much heat as he did, and they were trying to go for it, right? You could tell they're trying to lean into that now. And I think that when he goes out, each town will, will pick it up, and he'll get booed pretty bad. And um, I could see them interfering in the Forbidden Door match and making Kenny Omega lose that match to Will Ospreay. Yes. I think so. Yes. And then yes. you keep telling the story with Callis and with uh, with Takeshita. We just had a quick... I guess it wasn't quick. It was nine minutes. Uh, Chris Statlander gets the win over Anna Jay. Get her on TV. Um, kind of continue to uh, to build her up after her return. Nothing special here. I think we're we are getting Statlander and uh, Taya though, right? Don't you? See it looks like. That? Yeah, I think so because Taya's kind of got a heel turn now because she feels yeah. like Statlander came out and took advantage of her, uh, you know, of her doing the dirty work on Jade. So. I could see Taya turning, and I think that'll be good for Taya Statlander. We then had uh, Excalibur preview everything that was going on. Tony and Ruby cut a quick promo backstage, and we then um, mentioned the Eliminator Championship match next week. Blackpool Combat Club the versus the Hung Bucks. Championship Contenders match. That's it. That's what it was. God, I hated Championship that. Championship contenders. Match. I, do I hate too. that. I hate Eliminator. I don't <laughs> like did. either one. Now, Ricky Starks versus Jay White. Here we matches, go. Match is solid. But at the end of the match, here come the guns. Austin and Colton Gunn get involved to help Jay White get the win. Why? Like, what? What are we doing here? So the guns part of the... The Bullet Club, I guess that makes sense, right? The guns. Bullet Club gold, too. In the, in the, the guns in the Bullet Club. But all all of this, I will say, I don't feel like Jay White is anything. And I know he's a no. way bigger star than he's been made to see. He's solid. He's good in the ring. He's good on the mic. He's got good charisma. He's felt like just like, a, like another guy, like a part of a group, like a random lackey. 
He hasn't felt like a huge deal at all. I think this has done bad for Ricky Starks. Look where this guy yeah. was a few months ago. We he he beat MJF in a in a like in a in an opportunity to get another opportunity. He was in in matches with the world champ, and we were believing it. And then he's in involved with Jericho, and now he's losing this. And I don't like this for Starks. I didn't feel like this was incredible for White coming no. out of it. We'll probably get something along the lines of like. Juice, Jay White, and the Guns versus Starks, FTR, and somebody else. Yeah, and so you're going to have them on multiple shows. You, you got to think that some of these are going to work Dynamite and Collision. We know FTR is, right? Is this is this like a punk spot? Uh, it may be. Do they have like punk, FTR, and Starks versus these guys? I could, I don't know. The way that, because Punk's with FTR in that match on, and that's what's going to be hard. Like we're saying, is there going to be carryover between the two shows? Are the two shows going to be connected? Are they not? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I didn't. I just didn't love this. The 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 same constant issue. So much going on. The beginning of the show, the first match, we end, and following the match, there's a beatdown. A bunch of these guys from Mogul affiliates come out, and then Sting and Darby Allen come out, and there's a bunch in the ring. And then at the end of this match, we already saw earlier, right? We already saw the when the lights came on, there was Sting and Darby. And then in this this match here, we've got a same thing at the end, just a bunch of too much happening for me. Like, why we can't just have a Ricky Starks, Jay White, really good match to end, and just let Jay White go over clean if you want it like that. Like, let him look strong. I don't know why. I just don't know why you want to protect Starks. Okay, but what's next for Starks? And in trying to protect him, you've made White look really bad, and you haven't made Starks look great. I, I liked a few things on the show. I just didn't like the way. Every time it's like, oh, good match, and then even a good match, there's a bad taste in my mouth after when, <laughs> right, like, right afterwards, everybody has to come to the ring, and you, you can't just let it sit for a second. It's always a little I, frustrating. Yeah, I was frustrated watching it last night. Um, you know. This is the is this the second time we've got Starks and Jay White, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had him in a tag and we had Yeah, or they were Did no, we they have, were in the yeah. Battle Royal. They were in the Battle Royal. They, on that's the right. They they were in the Battle Royal. They were in the Battle Royal. Just you know, uh, we we get on WWE for convoluting main events and walkie finishes. I, I just I, I don't think they've done Jay White any good. They definitely have not done Ricky Starks. I just think this guy is is Eventually, he's going to have to. Um, we're going to have to accept the fact that he's going to he's going to be a WWE superstar. It's just that's where I he belongs. I I, I I don't care what people say. This guy belongs in the WWE, and uh, I just didn't like this finish. Um, you know, and uh, you know, we we had we had some good segments and some good moments on this show, some good heat. I, I just. You don't remember them because the finishes of the main have been just head scratchers for a while now. And that's that's been the, the way of life for AEW booking over the last couple of months. And so will it change on collision? I don't know. We're a week out. It's going to be uh, interesting to see. Gosh, it is already just a week away. Coop a loop. My man, uh, fingers crossed that we will have the, the Belmont run this weekend. Who knows right now? There's a lot of fires Whoa, um, <laughs> on the East coast. Uh, the fires from Canada have, have come through. So fingers crossed. Hope everyone is safe 
and uh, we'll finish up the uh, NBA finals right now. And then it'll be that baseball for a little while, baseball season until we uh, ramp back up with college football and with NFL. Um, Any big plans for you this weekend? No, not really. Just kind of, you know, just kind of hanging out, taking it easy. Uh, I'm going to listen to all your previews. I'll bet the Belmont probably. And uh, if they run and I'll go with what you and, your uh, team of uh, I like the fact that you have several different people handicapping and we're not all talking about the same horse that we like. Right. Exactly. I want, exactly. I want to hear a reason why every one of them can win and every one of them can't win. That's what I like to hear about on your podcast and your uh, your live Twitter and your live YouTube. Uh, we've been on a roll on Thrive. Uh, let's let's keep the ponies hot. Uh, Absolutely. Listen to Gino, man. Coop Loop, my man. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a great weekend. Good luck with all your plays. Make sure to follow Chad at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. He is one of the best photogs out there. The photog to the stars. Coop Loop. Have a good one, my friend. You got it, Gino. Thanks so much, folks. But don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Another busy week in the world of pro wrestling. Every week, Chad Cooper here with us to discuss all of the news, all of the happenings. We will move into our deep dive, Ant-Man 3, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Anytime there's a Marvel movie, a TV show, we're going to have it covered for you. The only reason why Ant-Man has uh, fallen a little behind, I was sick during uh, a lot of the time it was out in the theater, so I just had a tough time getting out there. So I had to wait till it was back on Disney Plus to be able to really get a couple rewatches in. But Tim Kelly helps me out with all of the TV shows. We'll have Secret Invasion coming up soon. We'll be doing weekly recaps of that. If you're a fan of Marvel and the MCU and you love to hear people nerd out and dive in and uh, make predictions and um, all sorts of uh, all sorts of fun where you, you know you just sit and talk with your friends about the things you love the most that's what we're gonna do here Tim Kelly joins me each and every time there's a new Marvel MCU show or movie this time we're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania it's time for another one of our Marvel MCU recaps deep dives this will actually be the first time we've gone out of order I believe because um we didn't do Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania when it was out in theaters, just based on timing. It's a little bit easier when the we can watch the shows at home or the movies at home, and we can watch and rewatch uh, with a, a little more convenience. So we just talked about Guardians of the Galaxy. Now it's time to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And Tim, I'm glad that we actually had a little more time before we talked about it. Because I feel like if we would have talked about it right after the movie, it may have been a little more negative than right now. Yeah. And I think that has to do with the expectations of the MCU overall, right? We mm-hmm. were in a weird time because the content has been so good for so long that we always have these expectations that it's going to knock our socks off. And the more recent post Endgame projects haven't quite been that way. And I I think we got to temper our expectations a little bit, but I do think that this movie got a bad rap right away. I don't think it's great, but I just don't think it's bad. I think it's fine. And watching it back, I didn't have as much as many problems with it as I did the first time. Now there are still some major glaring problems that I'm not going to get mm-hmm. over, but it was fine. Like Comparing to some of the recent stuff, like, I thought Thor Love and Thunder was kind of bad. Like, I didn't think this yeah. was bad. Like, I didn't think this was a bad movie. If if mm-hmm. I didn't have the expectations of all the other MCU movies coming before it, I would have been pretty entertained by this movie. 
there's a lot to like in there. There's a lot of interesting ideas and uh, some big swings that they took. Which I, I don't do mind, think, right? Yeah, I, I don't, don't mind no, the I like big those swings things. if you miss them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's a little bit of a connection thematically to um, uh, Rick and Morty and and the, the fandom around that. And uh, Jeff Loveness is a writer for Rick and Morty. He wrote this movie. So there's a lot of the same DNA there. If you like Rick and Morty, you might like some of the ideas that are in this. Um, maybe sometimes they felt a little too cut and paste. I heard that from some uh, Rick and Morty fans. But ultimately, I thought, yeah, it did deliver a little bit more for me personally when I watched it on the Disney Plus platform. I think there's there's different expectations that go along with that. Uh, When they rolled out the Disney Plus shows, I think our expectations and hopes were that the content was going to be the same across all platforms. And they've delivered on some levels and on some levels they've kind of faltered and not been able to meet, you know, the all the needs uh, that that come up when you're doing so many shows and movies at once. They just can't make the the great shots, the visual effects. They can't spend as much time on them. They can't spend as much time editing, doing reshoots, doing all these things to fix things that don't quite work. So the end product that we got here is imperfect, but like you said, there's some stuff to to really enjoy about it. I had a good time rewatching it. Uh, it's not too long. It doesn't. Yeah, drag I was gonna say it's only much. two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Two. It's not like you're in there for three. Like you can feel the difference between the two and the three-hour movies. Really, you know. Mm-hmm. And for sure. And um, I guess in in sort of the contrast, I think what my my biggest issues with this movie was, I don't know if it knew what movie it wanted to be. Yeah. Like whose it movie felt was like, it? Right. <laughs> whose movie was it? And it was a couple different things at one time because all the stuff with with ant-man and paul rudd and the family is kind of fun and silly and jokey i like some of the chemistry between Mm -hmm. him and his daughter i could have seen a little bit more with that even with him and the pims i think is fun and and then we have to talk about the big elephant in the room for the record we completely know and understand everything that's gone on so far with Jonathan Majors. It's so difficult to have conversations like this because Tim and I are not saying that anything he has done is okay. Everything he has done and anything that he actually has done is bad, not good. But when you talk about things like this, it's really hard because you have to separate the performance from the Mm -hmm. person. Um, As far as just when you're analyzing a piece of content, a film, a movie, a sport, there are people that do bad things in all of them. We, when we talk about it, it's weird because you can't let, you have to try to not let that seep in when you're watching the movie, right? As far as like, mm-hmm. do I like this person? Do I not like this person? Two months ago, the buzz around Jonathan Majors was that he was going to be the biggest star in Hollywood, like the next big thing, right before. I mean, yeah, he he was he the was next the big guy. He he just was in. He was on movie. two two giant billboards across from each other. Uh, in Hollywood, two yep. giant at the same exact time. I mean, that's something you don't really see ever. Uh, and then for him to have that huge, the pinnacle of his career, just to crash down so hard, so quickly, man, that's that's a really tough story. I, I get what you're saying, man. That's a tough. I tried my best to just not think about that. Me I don't neither. know too many of those details, and so I just kind of like put that out of my mind. Me but too. I when think, you're watching, but it's something yeah. we have to bring up at least because yeah. you almost you really wonder if. This movie really suffered from the the second and third and fourth weekends at the box office. Like it had a great opening weekend, but then it wasn't one that people seemed to go rewatch. You almost wonder if a lot of that had to do with 
majors and and a lot of the negative publicity too that people just didn't want to go and support it as much as maybe some of the others um just something to talk about and it's unfortunate because first thing unfortunate to whoever he victimized but what's unfortunate is that we saw how much talent this guy had and if he was able to keep himself straight uh, unbelievable because he's literally giving like an oscar winning seriousness performance of Kang the Conqueror in a comic book movie here. He delivers, yeah. And the buzz around his performance, you know, from everyone at Marvel was so strong. I mean, that was the real thing going into this movie on the red carpet. Uh, you know, all the producers, the writers, the director, all talking about his amazing performance and, you know, how that was going to carry the next several projects um, in, in the MCU. Uh, I read recently that, you know, after they saw, um, you know, Quantumania and some of the dailies from Loki, they decided, you know, uh, Kevin Feige and the, and the group at Marvel, they said, this is this is our direction. We're we're going to steer in the direction of, of Kang and we're going to make him the focus of the, this next chapter, this next phase. Uh, and now that's really biting them in the butt. What because do you it's do? PR debacle. And it's it's up in the air right now. At, at this point, um, I'm I'm hesitant to say make too much comments one way or another about any of this because I know so little and because I believe there's there, no one's been convicted. No, it's, it's all, all and that's still, the thing. It's all rumors. The, the process has to play yeah. out. The process does have to play out. So we got to be so, fair to him and, yes. the, and the whole process. Man, but what, like you said, when you're planning, and this is mm. something that in a very, <laughs> like, um, in a larger sense, I think we've mentioned this once or twice, but, you know, um, just just with how fragile human life is, it's pretty amazing that up until the last year or so, they haven't had too many issues with different actors, right? Yeah. As far as because think about how many people they're involving in all of these movies. How many people oh, wow. play big roles in all of these movies? And for yep. all of them to be pretty clean throughout a lot of it, not get mm-hmm. into big, big scandals, big incidents. And then unfortunately, we had this one recently. And what we saw last year, which wasn't a scandal or an incident, it was just Chadwick Boseman, someone who was going to be a yeah. big part of this franchise still moving forward, no longer there. So it is another thing where just on a planning sense, when you mm-hmm. have humans, these aren't graphics, right? These aren't animations that you can build. These people get older. They, uh, what happened recently to uh, Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner? Oh my gosh. Dude, yeah, that's right? got to change the plans for sure. That's... That That really hamstrings them going forward. I mean, I'm thinking back to the original example of something like this, the unpredictability of, of actors and, you know, the idea of, of reining everybody in over the course of several films and several years. That's a huge challenge. But the first example I can think of is the Terrence Howard as Rhodey. You know, they were setting him up to be right. Rhodey, to be War Machine. Uh, he was great in the first Iron Man. But then uh, I think just behind the scenes with um, – contract negotiations that really fell through. And then you saw following that his career kind of took a, a dive with a lot of personal problems. So they maybe even dodged a bullet there uh, with, with that. We might've been talking about this sort of thing earlier right. on in the history of all point. this. So yeah, I'm surprised uh, on that in, the, you know, to, to what you're saying, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened more. It's a mm-hmm. testament to how well managed they are, that they've been able to cast, you know, great people who have been able to deliver consistently and I would say the most recent example would be, you know, somebody maybe like like uh, Batista and Drax, Absolutely. you know, that just just 
he's spoken a little bit about just maintaining his physique over the years to play somebody like, you know, Drax, you know, over mm-hmm. the course of 10 years or so, seven movies. Uh, that's going to be, that's a very human thing. He's getting older. It's having to maintain that physique and those muscles and the low body fat is more and more difficult. He's a human being. These are all human beings. So, you know, it can affect, uh, the, the, these franchises in many different ways, you know, just the, the, the unique people, the, the human experience, you know, the franchise that was built on the back of Robert Downey Jr. Like (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. You know what I mean? It just, it's still, it's still mind boggling (laughs) that, I guess we can say that you always have another chance to make up for it, right? Mm-hmm. You can always come full circle. Look what this guy did, like the face of Disney after some of those yeah. struggles. So uh, That's such a great point. <laughs> let's dive in to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Ant-Man 3, the final trilogy, or the trilogy, the end of the trilogy in the Ant-Man movie so far. And we kick things off with a flashback. We open in the quantum realm. The quantum realm is called a place with worlds upon worlds. Dark, scary, Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer. She comes across two crazy-looking creatures that attack her. She's able to get to one of them, but as the other seems like they're going to get the advantage on her, it gets its head blasted off, and she turns around and she sees Jonathan Majors. We don't hear his name till about halfway through the movie. They call him him. Mm-hmm. They call him the Conqueror, and then we finally hear Kang at one point. What'd you think about our our flashback open in the quantum realm? I thought it was really good. There was there's a you know a shot of the the realm, uh, a kind of a wide shot that establishes it, which I thought was one of the more um, you know just beautiful shots in in the film. And there were some shots where I thought they were going for something really beautiful, but the compositing didn't really do it that well. Uh, this was an example. I thought they started pretty strong. Um, uh, and then I thought that the tone of this scene was, you know, off the bat, like establishing high stakes, kind of a seriousness that I wasn't expecting. That's exactly from the word. The word that I had down was seriousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exact yeah. Same word. Which is which is nice, too, because then, you know, in the fo- in the scene that follows, they they play off of that and go the exact opposite direction, which is more what you expect from from Ant-Man. But it establishes, you know, a playfulness. Um between those two extremes that the movie will will play with, you know, throughout, you know, throughout the story. Uh, and I thought it started pre- pretty strong. High stakes. Uh, we're getting a little backstory uh, of, you know, Janet Van Dyne when she was in the quantum realm. This has been a, a mystery to us as an audience. Of what exactly is going on down there? We've seen a little bit of it here and there. We've seen it teased. The promise of this movie is to really explore the quantum realm. It's quantum mania after all. And so they're giving us a taste of of what we want immediately and also establishing those stakes which i think they were looking to make this movie like an avengers level event movie the producers talked about that behind the scenes and i think that this helps establish that um for us as an audience uh but off to a a good start so far and jonathan majors is great in it we flash to the present day and uh we've got scott he's walking around happy go lucky loving it um is it welcome back welcome back well as he's walking around just like happy go lucky it's just idyllic out here he he's just he's just written a book and he's on a book tour um (laughs) and it's great because he will let everybody know about his book as often as possible you know i wrote a book you know i wrote a book that's from chapter 12 of my book uh meanwhile hope who 
I gotta say, Hope Van Dyne, Vangeline Lilly, who got off a few of her vaccine takes uh, before this. You wonder if there were some scenes cut. It just felt like she didn't do a whole lot in this movie. It really yeah. didn't feel like she was compared to this to the last movie we just talked about with Guardians, where it felt mm-hmm. like an entire cast all had very focused, almost individual storylines. Like they're great. Their whole of the storyline was coming together for Rocket, but we saw them all like individually and some of their issues. I just didn't feel that with her in here it was almost yeah. like oh yeah she's always just on the side i think you hit it when we were talking the other day it was more of like a janet movie yeah yeah i think janet kind of stole hope's thunder in this movie and a little bit of scott's thunder as well um as far as hope and her kind of establishment uh, her establishment in the beginning of this movie it's uh, i feel like they're kind of forcing this kind of girl boss angle there which which I, I i get it and i like and it doesn't feel out of place but it just felt like they were just kind of like trying to give us the impression that she was just girl bossing super hard and then that's going to be enough and like that's going to be like uh this shining example for for young girls and then that's kind of we can wash our hands and that's all we need to do for her uh in this movie there's really nothing else um, there's a couple of moments where she helps you know she shows up to help uh, and does something heroic, but I felt like there was no real arc for her in the movie. No. Uh, but they just wanted to give her this cool, like, hey, look at look at how awesome our female character is in this movie. She's just, uh, you know, a CEO and she's saving the world, and then she's also this superhero. Like, yeah, cool. That's that's the that's the premise. But you know, what what more is there? You know, like, they really didn't give her much to work with. So Hope has now taken over her father's uh, company. So she's using the PIM particles to expand the research for global benefits. And while that's happening, her and Scott dating. And Scott's trying to reconnect with his daughter. He's been gone. He's missed lots of time in her life, in and out of jail, being stuck in the quantum realm. So he hasn't really got to see her grow up a little bit. Um, And now she's a teen. And now she's getting herself into some trouble. I thought the, the, you know, with Paul Rudd, you're going to get some funny moments here and there. And they're just a couple mm-hmm. that I, that I wrote down they're, they're, um, they're in the car. I think Scott hope and Cassie, and they're listening yeah. to his, his book on tape while yes. they're driving. And one of the lines that he says was a little after that, a raccoon from space showed up. <laughs> yes. I was just happy to meet a raccoon that could talk. I thought it was so funny. It was just the stupidest thing in the world. But like the way his voice is and the way he's trying to Mm -hmm. play, like I'm an Avenger. I'm the man. Like I think somebody had said it reminds me of like how, how Scott is at the beginning of this movie. It -hmm. reminds me of like the guy on the team that came off the bench and hit one shot and it will just like never (laughs) shut up about it forever. Like he's still telling his girlfriend, like back when I was in back in my day, like that's totally Scott here. Yeah, and I love the way that they started it off with uh, narration, and it's just him reading from his book. So you get this montage <laughs> of everything, but it's just line for line of like from the book, and it's all gold. All the stuff in the book is, is gold. Like like the one you just said is the best part. He also talks about Hulk turning him into a baby. <laughs> just just a brief anecdote about that. Um, and yeah, I, I love the. the See, I could have used more of this. I could have sure, used more absolutely. of. I think. Where it be, where the movie starts to become a little more impersonal, unfortunately, is when they get deeper into the quantum realm. <laughs> I totally you know? agree. 
but that's like, when it sort of devolves into like green screen uh, them trying to be Star Wars, like you said, and you, der- you, and yes, derivative of other stuff like Star Wars, Dune, and yeah, just trying too you, hard you to just do that and feel talking. too mm-hmm. much of other things when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I see what they were trying to do here, but like, I don't know, it just. This part was fun and funny to me. Like I like seeing yeah. Scott and his daughter and the awkwardness there. I think is is that's the stuff from the first two Ant Mans that we loved. Yeah, you know, a, I even like the romantic, that. the romantic kind of cool, um, over the top date that they had. They just show up and it's all part of the montage. It happens very quick, but um, Scott shows up uh, with some beer and so like like a picnic uh, or something. For hope, and then they cut to them. They're on the top of uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, I think, and they're just having a, a drink and and yes. just that image and that like seeing their lifestyle and and the, like the reality of of home of, of like Earth uh, and the more human element of it. But yep. with that added, you know, spice of they, they they've got these like these suits that can shrink them and allow them to fly up and have uh, this amazing otherworldly picnic on the top of a bridge. You know, no one else could have. That's special, but it's also grounded in a way that I felt like. Yeah, that's Marvel. That's perfect. Maybe they try to take it too far in this movie, and they don't quite quite deliver, and that's where they kind of get lost. So Scott actually gets a call from jail. He has to go pick up his daughter. She was arrested for being at a protest. She's been working with the Pims. She's very smart, and she's now studying the quantum realm. So we have this dinner scene where Hope and Hank and Janet and Cassie and Scott are all together. And we can tell that Scott uh, that Cassie's become very close with Hope and Hank. She even calls him Grandpa Hank. And um, she mentions that she's been studying the quantum realm. Hank even talks about how she's been arrested more than once. Um, and we see the basically the lab. We go into the lab and we see where Hank has been working on the ants with his smart ants. And Cassie has been working on... A, a a project, an experiment that can send signals to the quantum realm and signals can be sent back. It's like a two-way radio to the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. When Janice hears this, it freaks her out. She immediately shuts it off and she's about to explain why, but the device turns itself back on and quickly, TK, they are all sucked into the quantum realm I thought this was yeah. a point when the graphics did not look great. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like moving from this into the quantum realm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I guess a lot of this makes sense, right? When Scott's not around as much, daughter kind of follows in the footsteps, learns from some of the people who are around. She's smart. Um, I, I I think one big glaring hole that was missing for me too, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll get into the quantum realm in a minute, Man, if they would have gotten sucked in there to the quantum realm and at some point our guy Luis shows up, I think that just would have been a lot better. Michael Pena, who plays Luis, yeah. who's just always got that like comedic to him. I just yeah. I was like hoping for him to pop up at some point. I was so bummed out uh, when he didn't. But that, talk to us yeah, about that was a big disappointment. Right, right. Um, so what do you think here? They sit down for dinner and then mm-hmm. quickly we see Hank still working on the ants. Cassie's actually mm-hmm. studying the quantum realm, but Janet seems like she's hiding something. Yeah. Yeah. She seems like that for, for a while. Uh, she's kept it close to the vest of like what happened in the quantum realm, what's down there. 
She hasn't really talked about her experiences, which is kind of weird. You'd think they would be just picking her brain constantly about it till they got it all out of her. Uh, and if there was this big, you know, if there was this big danger there, she would probably warn somebody about that. But I, I digress. Uh, for whatever reason, she was holding it close to the vest. Um, the as, as a viewer, my first viewing of this, I, I felt like it moved a little fast. I felt like me, all, me we're too. already here. And like, I completely it, agree. It almost felt, felt contrived, like how, okay, now we're going to open up this portal. And then now we're getting sucked into it. It happened all so... Like it was almost like a Deus Ex Machina, but for a problem instead of like the solution, like where it just kind of happens. Uh, and I felt a similar thing actually with No Way Home. Like when he goes to, when Peter goes to Doctor Strange, and the 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 situation kind of devolves and uh, the the spell goes wrong. I felt like it almost felt a little just contrived. Like we just had to we just, we know where we wanted to go with this, and we just had to make something up to get there, uh, which is fine to a degree. But I just felt like they didn't. They didn't quite put all the, the pieces together to, to make it feel seamless to me. Um, that said, second viewing, again, uh, I did like it all much better. It flowed a little bit more nicely. I was able to take in some of the stuff that happened, uh, you know, a little bit of the ant colony, the details that were, were being revealed I about that, which, which is more important later in the story. I didn't really take that in on my first viewing, strangely. But uh, I, I liked some of the graphics going into the quantum realm. It reminded me a little bit of the uh, Multiverse of Madness stuff when they're going between um, universes. And I thought that there were some interesting visuals there, but ultimately nothing that like completely wowed me. But I did like the moment when they're kind of, when when uh, Scott dives in, you know, he chooses to go. And so he, uh, he has to jump, yeah, he jumps, it. he basically jumps after her. Yeah. Um, in, when Cassie kind of gets sucked in. And then he, you know, jumps in there after her. He uses his Ant-Man suit. He goes big. And as they're mm -hmm. falling through these dimensions, he's able to catch her and kind of get her down to safety. And mm -hmm. so they, the groups get separated when they fall through uh, into the quantum realm. We've got the Pims together with Hank, Hope, and Janet. And then we've got Scott and Cassie together. So basically now for the next, you know, half of the movie we're kind of cutting back and forth between the two of them on their separate mm -hmm. journeys in the quantum realm um very intriguing look like the first one of the first parts of it looks like we're in super mario brothers i thought <laughs> yeah. i thought one of the levels was like i wanted to jump from you know uh from mushroom to mushroom here a lot of fungi looking um we like you said you keep seeing things that sort of remind you of other things like journey mm -hmm. to the center of the world or, you know, like different, yeah. different movies where you've seen all sorts of creatures. This even like had like a little Talo from Shang-Chi here and there, you know, where you see some of these, what did, what did Hank, one of them was a, a broccoli, like a walking broccoli. Um, he's like, Whoa, that one looks like broccoli. He's actually like really yeah. impressed by the beings. They're almost humanoid looking. And the, the tone of Janet has changed now. As soon as yeah. she she could sense that there was a way that they were going to get back to the quantum, quantum realm, she was terrified. And as I said, mm -hmm. she's been hiding things. And when Janet and the Pims are there, remember, she's been here. She's done this. So she's experienced. She's the one who sort of takes the lead there. They're yeah. actually attacked by some locals. And it looks like they're going to have a standoff. But Janet... <laughs> 
and this being just kind of laugh like they're friends. And yep. uh, again, that we, old cliche, you know, the, yeah. st- the standoff, they, they eye each other down like they're about to they duel, fight and have a duel. And then they do a fake attack and then hug each other and laugh and like and everybody's confused. I groaned when I saw this, honestly, because it's been done so many times before. And it's and it just there was nothing new added to the way they did it here. I, 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 that was, to me, just a big cliche. And it just keeps pushing us to the like, why? Like, you know, I know they're trying to mm-hmm. do that, like push us farther yeah. back before we found out more about Janet and in the quantum realm. But at this point, we're yeah, you're rolling your eyes a little bit here. <laughs> a little as bit, they, yeah. They jump on this huge creature for a ride um kind of like a stingray uh yeah, kind of that's a good one the air like a stingray they've got like jellyfish type things that go through the air yeah. just kind of floating around and the, we're the gonna, environment's strange for that's for is. sure there's some interesting stuff about it uh, yeah, but, it's, it's like visually it's cool like you you do see things here and there that sort of pop out you're like oh okay um there's yeah. not a whole lot of consistency to it right and i think part of that is like it's it's just a hodgepodge of cool ideas that have no like logic. Um, if you look at like just a- Avatar, that's the best example recently I can think of. Avatar: Way of Water. Anything that they introduce, you know, that's that's otherworldly has this like very thought through logic behind it that ties into some principle of of, of science or even if it's a made up principle within the world. But like all the animals, they're they're conceived in a way that like all their parts are accounted for. Like how, how do they breathe in this world? Mm-hmm. Like what, how did they evolve in this world? All that stuff is thought through. This stuff felt like, yeah, well, we're just gonna put jellyfish in the sky. We're gonna put, and the, none of it kind of makes sense. Like what, it, what, what is the substrate they're floating through? Like, what is everybody breathing there? There's no, there's no real thought or explanation to any of this. Not that you necessarily need all that, but there's just that, that like the reality of it isn't sold. Like it doesn't feel believed in. There's some cool yep like images but it, they don't sell the reality of those images and then and that and that for that reason it kind of falls flat mm-hmm. it feels just a little bit hollow like it feels like yeah. you're watching something cool that's not lived in yeah you know that's um the the cut now to scott and cassie they are with another group of locals some some basically like a tribe all sorts of different alien like creatures and um you know they're dealing with these this crazy world that they have no idea what's going on because first it looks like there's a sun that's moving at them like it looks mm-hmm. like a the, yeah. the, the the sun a big bolt of light is flying at them it's sort of like a a creature that scott has to fight off then he starts having to fight off these other creatures until they get mm-hmm. cap captured and Scott and Cassie are taken captive. It looks like one of those scenes where, you know, you're on the lo- the island and there's a, a bunch of, uh, there's a tribe and they all bring mm-hmm. you in and they hold you hostage and they're going to, you know, and, and they're going to force yeah. you to do something. And um, Cassie's Return of the cap- Jedi. Return, Return exactly. of the Jedi with the Ewoks. <laughs> you know, exactly. they're, they're all going to get eaten. Yep, exactly. The same exact moment right here where Scott is taken to Cassie and Cassie tells him to drink the ooze. Yeah. And I actually thought this this part was pretty funny. We yeah. we're we're introduced to a character to three different characters here that are all part of the locals. One of them is named Veb. And Veb, he he looks like a jellyfish, right? 
Yeah. Like like a big jellyfish. Um, he has no holes. So he's just a like a big blob. Mm-hmm. But he, he does have a red ooze that comes out of him that if you drink, you can understand the local language. So yeah. once Cassie and Scott drink this red ooze, they're able to understand all of the locals. And this guy, Zeb, uh, Veb, is, is pretty funny. Um, he says, hey, you just drank me. And then <laughs> he says, how many, whoa, how many holes do you have? I don't have yeah. any holes. And he he's obsessed with the uh, the holes all throughout. Yeah. Uh, the other characters that we meet are Quaz, who's a telepath. He can read minds. And then Gentora, who's basically like the leader. She's the rebel warrior. And she is the uh, the commander of these tribes. They seem like they're bad initially, right? Because they capture the Langs. But quickly mm-hmm. we're able to find out that these people are actually the victims. They've been yeah. their their homeland has been ravaged. They've been killed. Their peoples over and over have been tortured by this conqueror. Yeah. It's the Rebel Alliance right here. Exactly. <laughs> that's what, that's yeah, what no, you're right. Because and that's the thing. We keep you so much Star Wars, so much Star Trek, so much little things that you can feel. Like there's even a point right after this where it's like mm-hmm. There are they on like a shit like it looked exactly like Star Wars when when, yeah, the, when the, yeah. the pimps are walking around. So um, well, this scene, this scene, which I liked uh, with the drink the ooze, I, I I thought that was great. But even that concept there is a recycled thing from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's a mm-hmm. a tech in in that story in the in the movie, uh, which is uh, called like a Babelfish, I think. And you put that Babelfish in your ear, and it does the the same exact thing. It translates. The local uh, languages, and so you can just have these seamless conversations with people from any planet. So this is just, you know, the ooze is this the Babel fish from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Almost everything, even the stuff I liked in this film, to be fair, is is stuff that's recycled from other movies. So the the locals here actually tell Scott and Cassie about the Conqueror, mm-hmm. and they mention for the first time they learn about Kang the Conqueror. So as Scott and Cassie are learning more about Kang with the what are known as the rebels original <laughs> I was going to say we, we haven't heard that one before. I was going to say what really we cut back to the pims and this is when the visuals are cool but this is where I wrote this is really when you feel them going for Star Wars here mm-hmm. where you see all the different creatures and the broccoli and Hank talks about yes. these being mesmerized by them right this felt so much like especially like disney plus star wars it felt like any of these disney plus uh shows that we've been watching and you know just recently uh mandalorian season three it it felt like that one (laughs) this sequence right here felt like that one episode where we followed um the scientist i'm forgetting his name for mandalorian season three uh pershing Pertinent. Yeah, yeah. Pershing. it felt like that episode and that, that same lo- location almost. I like know you're walking. They walk into these bars, which is such a Star Wars thing too, right? And yeah. they got all these different creatures. It just felt like God. Am I? Did I flip on the Mandalorian for a second? It did really feel like that for yeah. a, like thirty seconds of a scene here. As they walk into the bar, they also have to drink the red ooze. So that, um, at the bar, but it's it's in like a shot glass, which is kind of cool, and <laughs> and. Janet is trying to get some help. They meet with a man named Lord Kryler. Talk about a cameo here. Bill Murray, he pops in. Feels it. 
I love every second he's on screen. He does. It's fantastic. And it's like, damn, we couldn't get more of Bill Murray because he's so good. And this is great because they allude (laughs) to the fact that Janet and and him used to be in a relationship and they used to work together. And he keeps making references like about (laughs) Janet as like, hey, you and me, Janet, in the you know, like like sex references and stuff all the time. And it's it's pretty good. Just, my favorite, my favorite, it's the biggest laugh in the movie, I think, is uh, Henry says, how wild? And he goes, very wild, Henry. <laughs> he just says it very matter of fact. Very wild, Henry. <laughs> like, really? like, why are you asking? <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're prying here. After after he just, like, kind of, like, shoved it in his face, when, he, when Hank asks a little bit about it, he's very wild, Henry. <laughs> Henry, <laughs> and just the Henry. Delivery. You know, yeah. the way he calls him Henry instead of Hank. Uh, it's, it's per- everything about it is great. Um, that was great. But, but Krylar's tone kind of flips a little bit. He goes from being fun and playful with Janet to all of a sudden saying, hey, don't you remember what happened last time we were here? You screwed us over. You opened a portal and a door to killing millions of people. He alludes to Kang. And he mentions that he's working for Kang. He also talks about a mechanized organism designed only for killing yeah. Modok, which we're going to be introduced to in just a moment. All, all of a sudden, a bunch of Kang's men show up, capture the Pims, look like they have control of the Pims. They are able to fight their way out. Um, they then steal Kryler's ship and escape. The scene is pretty funny, and then even right after, I thought that um, where Hank and Hope are making fun of Janet for being with Lord Kryler, like, that guy? You were with that guy? She's like, I was down here for 30 years. We've got needs. I just thought that was yeah. kind of funny, and uh, Hank said, I know. I was, I had my needs, too, and, and so yeah. they both allude to that. They uh, they tried to move on. Um, I, yeah, I like what I, Hank says there, too, though. I, I want to add that. Uh, how he he then goes on. I went on a date with with a uh, some lady and it didn't really go anywhere. They were like, "Why didn't it work out?" He says, "She wasn't you, baby." It was a, it's a very great like romantic cool guy line. Like I liked that a lot. Like I and that's there was a, a total lot of just... Michael Douglas thing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I swear I heard it. him say that in another movie. Like they may have. Yeah. It wasn't you, baby. Like she wasn't you, baby. You know, like it's just yeah. I, I, oh, that's so cool. Like that's like I dug that line. That was too. a cool. That was a cool moment. So Hank um, – so Scott and Cassie now, we cut back to them. They're with the rebels, and now King's men attack them. And here comes Modoc. Um, <laughs> Modoc goes after the rebels who are also known as the freedom fighters. And in all the, the chaos and all the battle, we actually <laughs> see Cassie. She has her own super suit, which yeah, Scott just, didn't just know about. Of- it just reveals yeah. that uh, just kind of low key just breaks it out and like what where'd that come from i did like how scott that this is the kind of thing that i like while mm-hmm. they're in the middle of this battle he's telling her no you're not doing it right look you got to do it like it's jump like and the tap. most intense moment no jump tap watch me watch me do it and he's like teaching her how to do it and it's just like god this is what my dad would be doing in like the most important moment of something he'd be like no son you're doing it wrong you don't sweep like this you sweep like that like it's just the, the most yeah. mundane thing too and I, I got a kick out of this so uh yeah he's like angrily giving her tips 
and uh, and showing her better how to use uh, use this suit. So, yeah. um, which I like, I like that, that that that's again selling the reality of something. That's something completely that completely agree. Right, because that wouldn't be something that you would just get on first try. That like the rhythm of it of like when you swing versus when you shrink and vice versa. I think like even if if you do the kind of reverse, there's a chance that you could basically punch a hole through somebody's face or chest and kill them. You know, so if, if you're if you're fighting somebody that you don't want to kill like in a non-cosmic battle situation, like that could go really wrong. I just think that's a really interesting dynamic to play with. A little detail that again just helps to sell the reality of it. And I wish there were more things like that throughout the film. Totally agree because I know it's hard to do. When you watch these movies that are so much larger than life and you're watching mm-hmm. in space and this and that, I can't help but always – and I think this is why I like – I love film and movies. Is I always put myself in the the position of the characters. I can't help it. Yeah, like I always think about what I would be doing, what that would be like if it was me, how that would go. And when you see yeah. things like this, it just feels a little bit more real. Like yeah, yeah. You, you think like I wouldn't just get a suit and be able to use it right away. It just – Spider-Man, like, okay, I've got these powers, but now all of a sudden I can just, I'm the most athletic person in the world. You know what I mean? Like, right. I can just swing all over everything. Like, I, I like when there's more of a process to it because it, it, it's just someone that's an athlete too and has grown up in like an athletic world. Nothing is mm-hmm. just snap your fingers. It all it all takes time and a and a process. And just seeing the little parts of it here and there, I think are uh, are positives. That's true. And one more thing to add uh, that I like about it too, and I just just thought of this is. It, it kind of gives and reinforces Scott's heroism and his competence. And that's something that when the MCU uh, is, is kind of missing and not hitting, it's, uh, they'll kind of undermine their characters a little bit. They'll undermine their credibility. The, uh, and somebody like Scott or a character like Ant-Man, they'll, they'll, they're guilty of doing that the most to those types of characters. But this was an example of like, yeah, he's competent. He's seasoned. He has this like specialized skill. And they're reinforcing that. He's not just this joke of a character who's somehow also uh, a superhero. Again, that's reinforcing the reality of it. Uh, and I think it's a, a kind of a breath of fresh air kind of moment because so many moments they take to just undermine these characters. And then you go like, well, how is he even a hero? And how, how are they even like, how is he living? He's got this Homer Simpson like like level of intelligence, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, they can do that's so often happens to characters and uh, male characters, especially. Uh, these days, like father type characters constantly undermined as like kind of a doofus. But this is an example of him being, you know, he's still goofy in the way that he does it in, in certain ways, but he's competent and he's absolutely trying to relay something that he's good at to his daughter, which uh, is relatable. Yep. Darren Cross, Modoc. Uh, Modoc was was Scott's uh, yeah. first foil. And when Scott destroyed the yellow jacket suit, it deformed Cross's <laughs> body. And he was left as a massive head with very small limbs and a big stretched out face, very cartoonish looking. When Cassie was sending the signals to the quantum realm, it was MODOK who was Mm -hmm. sending them back and who knows the technology very well. He's worked with the PIMS. So Mm -hmm. that sense, it makes sense. But MODOK, who is supposed to be this killing machine, was portrayed here as a total joke character yeah cassie even asked him why are you just a giant head scott makes fun <laughs> of the body limbs and modok's name yeah. oh it's a it's an acronym i get it yeah. now modok he's going through it what'd you think of the uh, the way they decided to portray modok 
Modoc was man, it was hit and miss for me because the intro they they don't really show him all, all in. You just see kind of you see like an angle on like his gun turret, uh, and you see the destruction that he's you know he's just laying waste to all these soldiers. He looks very formidable uh, at the initial part of his introduction, and then when they reveal him, uh, it's actually this really menacing kind of scary figure. Uh, and then when the faceplate raises, it just goes completely silly, goofy. Yeah. Um, the, the, the CG doesn't quite work. I think they're doing some type of a photo scan thing and they had to stretch it. The pixels or whatever it is, like the fidelity of the face doesn't quite match like the fidelity of the CG and the photography around it. So it just has this very strange uncanny valley. Something about it just doesn't seem right. And then it, it, it's just kind of silly and goofy from there. None of the comedy really lands. I think in large part, just because of that, that that's just this huge like rain cloud hanging over any time he's on, on screen. Uh, and then the jokes kind of fall flat because of it, even though I think they're kind of, they, the, the jokes make sense. And I, I almost think they could laugh if they pulled the, I, I would be laughing if they pulled off the, the visual of it a little bit better, but for, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to the, 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 they missed the mark on the visuals. Yeah. Overall, it just didn't work. And that was the biggest complaint I heard coming out of the movie was Modoc and how weird it was. Me too. It just, if it looked, like you said, I I don't even mind it being a jokey character. No. You know what I mean? Like, I don't nature. it's too, so I, and and, in Ant-Man with Scott, like, I have no problem with, with the, the being the rib. I just, like you said, Mm it, it looked like if you're looking at a, like, um, when you when you uh, are on the computer and when you enhance the computer yes. a little bit, right? Because yeah. I, I have to yeah. do this sometimes right now when I'm doing live streams. So if I'm like doing a live stream and I'm pulling up a like a website, if people are mm-hmm. watching, they can't see it as well. So I have to enhance mm-hmm. it over and over again. And then sometimes I'll forget and I'll be on my computer later and I'm like, why the hell is this weird? Oh yeah, I got to go back and <laughs> zoom back out. You know, it there's something off with him. Like the, yeah. the sizing of it, it looked like exactly like what you were hitting on. It's like it was spread mm-hmm. out too much or too con- yeah. So it was unfortunate. And and this was something that, again, was like a, when he would jump out, it felt like, oh, wow. And he's this really, again, it's a really comedic character who's right mm-hmm. next to King, who is serious the whole time. Yeah. Like he's a ser- completely serious character. He's not even as as like goofy as he was in loki yeah he who you know, remains had a little bit more whimsy to him mm-hmm, a, a, like a little bit more like just animated overall yeah you know he was more of just scary as hell like mm-hmm. there were a few different things in this movie that kang does that were like that's that is just terrifying to me like things yeah. he says and does um so we cut back to the the pims janet <laughs> finally reveals everything she tells hank she tells hope all about her time in the quantum realm she met another traveler another man she just thought he was someone that was lost like her that and they were working on getting his ship back uh they were working on getting his ship fixed so they could get out of the quantum realm he made a promise with her that if um she helps him work on the ship he will get her home and they were two people completely alone that developed a relationship 
it doesn't go into it like if if it was like Lord Kryler, like if they were romantically involved. It just <laughs> seems like it was more of like a friendship, like two people mm-hmm. completely alone all by themselves needing someone else to lean on and they were going to help each other get out of the quantum realm. And she truly felt like he was a good person. He said that he had been exiled there, but as they continue to work on this ship and get closer and closer to fixing it, Janet actually sees that the ship's core is actually powered by Kane, his actual thoughts. This is an incredibly powerful being. When she touches it, she can see into his brain. She can see all of the things that he's done, wiping out full planets, in entire timelines, millions of people. And, and she's scared. And Kang knows now he can see it, that she's scared. He tries to plead with her. He tells her, I'll... I'll make it so you never missed your daughter's childhood. We'll get you back there. But she understands now that anytime butterfly effect, right? Anytime something happens, something else is going to be impacted by it. And anytime Kang makes a selfish decision, hundreds, thousands, millions of people are affected by it. And I will say when they did the flashbacks, like the very first scene and then this scene, whenever they did the, they did a good job with the, like the angst, I I felt scared. Like I felt like the quantum mm-hmm. realm here was scary. I also like in the open scene, I felt like there yeah. was a like a heaviness to Janet and um and Kang, mm-hmm. and that there was like so the tone of it I liked when they would do these flashbacks with her and Kang to show how dark and scary and alone they were out there. Um, I I like the feel of that. Yeah, I thought that there was a foreboding quality to all those flashbacks, and it definitely took the material seriously, uh, the story of Kang and his origin. And I think they really wanted to, the filmmakers, they really wanted to present Kang as this, you know, tier one, very serious uh, threat, just beyond a universal threat, a multiversal threat, and somebody that's even more powerful than Thanos with, you know, an Infinity Gauntlet there. Like, uh the idea that the power is connected to his thoughts kind of extends from that too. You know, the idea that Thanos could just wield this uh, gauntlet and then whatever he thinks and wishes could kind of come to fruition. That's sort of the power that we're looking at here with Kang, except that it extends to every universe, uh, all all of the multiverse, and, and, and therefore is a threat to all those universes. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's important that they do all that, and it's important that they have those stakes and it's one of the things that the movie does really well. She, uh, Janet said, you know, she was blinded initially. She was alone. She wanted a friend. He had a ship that could travel the multiverse. It could take you anywhere. But he was trapped in the quantum realm. He needed help getting out. Cut back to Ka- uh, Cassie and Scott, and they actually meet Kang. And I thought this was the scene where he comes off terrifying. He talks about <laughs> killing other Avengers. First, he tries to plead with Scott. I need your help. He tries to explain his situation, says that he was exiled. He tries to present himself as a good guy. But Scott can can sense it. And right away, Scott is not agreeing with him. He, he's not going to help him. It does not take long for him to change Scott's mind. But we see uh, Kang in this short scene torture Modoc, like just completely mm-hmm. torture him to wield power over him yeah. Bad we move, see, ultimately we see him torture cassie 
And then we see him torture Scott, and he tells Scott, I am going to make you watch your daughter die repeatedly over and over if you don't do this. What a terrifying, terrifying thing. Threatening to kill Cassie and force her to relive, force Scott to relive that moment over and over if he doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a hell. If you think about it, like that's the worst thing you can imagine, and it's never ending. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty rough threat, and and super sadistic of Kang too. So you really see the extent uh, to which he has no morals, no values, and no empathy for any of the people around him. And you know, the people are just uh, numbers. He's destroying whole universes at a time. There, it's it's just inconsequential to people. I think he uses that phrase at one point. I wish that were, I think I wish that were consequential or some, something of that effect. Uh, but um, yeah, just the, the lives of any individual or even like every individual in a universe means nothing to him. So why Kang needs Scott? He needs Scott to go be the thief that he is. He needs him to use the Ant-Man yeah. suit to shrink down and to go get the core, steal the core. So that way Kang is able to operate his ship again and get out of here. And King actually mentions Janet. So Hank or so uh, Scott knows that King knows Janet. He doesn't exactly know a whole lot of their connection, but we're starting to get things coming together now as our characters have been split up for a, a lot of this movie and, you know, in different places in the quantum realm. One thing that I, I was curious about was. Just that, like, a lot of the terminology here. So Scott drops down into the core to go retrieve it, but he gets caught in a probability storm. So there's hundreds of millions of versions of Scott. Think multiplicity here in that movie. <laughs> that uh, He's all, like, all different versions of Scott. One of them's in the Baskin-Robbins uniform. I just yeah. felt like this was a point where there may have been two or three points in the movie where because of the short two-hour running time, mm-hmm. it felt like you're getting a lot of, like, terminology or a lot of stuff thrown at you that may mm-hmm. be a little tough to digest, like, quickly mm-hmm. um, as they're going through it. it it's fun yeah. visually, but all of a sudden we're talking about probability storms um, yeah. and just, like, different things that we hadn't heard a whole lot about. Yeah, there's a little bit of a, a double-edged sword, I, I think, because the the concept of of the probability storm I thought was really cool. It is cool. Um, you know, like he was inside of Schrodinger's box. I think he's essentially Schrodinger's cat in that situation. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it's quite uh, like an accurate representation of, you know, that concept uh, or if that's really explored in, in, the, in a way that, you know, philosophers and, uh, you know, physicists would, would uh, agree with that it makes sense or is consistent with reality. But I thought, you know, just as a kind of um, uh, just something interesting to do in the film and with the, in this quantum world, I thought that that was uh, one of the things that kind of stood out to me. It's something that I thought about. And it was a good moment where it kind of culminated uh, Scott's, his yeah. motives. Yeah, his motivation yeah. to save casting was all about that. It focused that. And I like the idea that all of his variants shared that one, that one focus, that one, that constant. And that's something that has kind of permeated through like variations of the story. Um, we, in Loki, we talked about um, 
what are those events? The, uh, the yes, events that the are moments. I, I know, yep, yep. Um, I'm blanking on that. But the, it, it, yeah. it sort of extends beyond just this story. And that's one of the things. Um, I'll just point out one thing from the new uh, Across the Spider-Verse movie, which I just saw. And I really liked it. I won't give any spoilers. But one of the things that they deal with is canon events in that in that film. And a canon event is essentially this, the same thing, that, that, that constant... Uh, that we explore in this, these things that really shouldn't be changed or exist in all the versions of the timeline. And so I thought that that was kind of a cool thing about Scott's character and that his canon is that he's always devoted to his daughter, no matter what, every version of his character uh, is devoted to Cassie. And that's a beautiful thing, I think. I did think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity almost in that all we see is all these different versions of Ant-Man in the suit and then one Baskin Robbins guy. Yeah, that like, was weird. Wouldn't yeah. Wouldn't there be just a, a, a whole huge you know multiplicity of of, of you know variants in all there? And, and uh we different see you know, flash, flash forward to the end of the film and the post-credit sequence, we kind of see that with Kang. Uh, and we see a lot of different versions. Why couldn't we see that with, with Scott here? I guess it would have been complicated FX-wise, but um it was cool and also visually the tie into how ants kind of colonize and all form together like one hive mind sort of deal in there and they created that 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 ladder that like ant tower up that's something i think ants do kind of in in reality to some extent so i thought visually that was really cool thematically that was really cool and uh this was one of the standout scenes for me but you're right it was kind oh, of. Know, uh, I like it short. visually. I just think there's a lot of. Um, they, yeah. they throw a lot of info. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it may be even better when they, they explain less and you're just watching it because you can kind of understand right. what's what's happening here. Um, and it it's it's fun to see Scott again. I I think you can feel like his angst when mm -hmm. he's amongst all of the other variants. And there's a moment where he's almost um, he's getting buried like buried alive yeah by all of the other all the other variants and he actually has to like you said use his motivation and as soon as he starts thinking and mentioning cassie everybody starts mentioning cassie and then they all work together to help him get to the core so mm -hmm. it is a, a pretty cool moment when you see him climbing on top of all the other scots and and modoc's yeah. like oh, the, how are you doing this and he said, we all have the same motivation. We all work together. And uh, Scott is able to get to the core. And I like how I like what, what he does is he gets to the core and he's able to shrink it down so he can carry it around. Just makes sense. Yeah. Like you got this this technology where you're able to uh, to make things bigger, to shrink things down. He does that here. So now Scott has the core and we check in with um, with Hope and Janet. They actually get a read on Scott. So this is right where they all come together, right, TK? Like right about the mm -hmm. time that Scott's getting the core, the pims are flying over and they get a read on him. This is where Hank's got to fly that thing with his arms. He puts his arms yeah. in and he's all, like all stuffing straight. a turkey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, oh, yeah, don't forget, Hope's in this movie. In case you yeah, right, right. She ha she helps Scott in that scene too. So like Scott's having his moment uh, with the probability storm coming up, and then Hope is coming down, kind of doing the the mirror thing. But we're not really following her the whole time. So it's really more of Scott's moment, and they just kind of present Hope as you know having a a, a similar moment in that time, and just just being there to help, you know, lend out a hand. 
Uh, so it's again, they're like giving her stuff to do, but they're not really engaging in her like motivations and her character arc in the same way they are with Scott. So Kang shows up to take the core from them. Remember, they had a deal. He'll let Cassie go if Scott gets the core for him. But guess what? This bad guy is not going to go through with the deal. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. <laughs> a double cross. I know. He also what? captures Janet. And mm-hmm. he... Um, so now Kang has Cassie. Kang has Janet. And Modok destroys the ship. We see a pretty fun standoff between Modok and Hank. Remember, Darren was Hank's mm-hmm. former protege. So mm-hmm. at this moment, we look looks like Modok and uh, and Kang have the advantage as uh, Janet and Kang have a, a standoff here. He he explains to her he was the exiled one out of all the variants. He believes they are the bad ones. They are the ones that are responsible mm-hmm. for all the other horror. He feels Maybe it's like true. and it might be. He feels yeah. like he is someone who's going to try to save things and help things. And that by escaping the quantum realm, he can take control over a massive event that is coming for humanity. We keep hearing about this big event. We heard about it in Loki. Mm -hmm. We hear about it now. I like what you said, too. Maybe he is. Maybe this is the best version of him. We don't know. I've heard uh, somebody speculating that perhaps this Kang is the same Kang as he who remains, just separated by a lot of, of time. Uh, on his journey. And so that perhaps this is like that he who remains is essentially like a variant of this Kang that succeeded in defeating all those other Kangs that we see in the post credit sequence. Uh, and then he's just kind of waiting, uh, waiting for the, the next step, waiting for, um, you know, the Lokis to come in and, and essentially kill him, Sylvie. Uh, but, um, you know, that, that I thought that was really interesting because both characters were played very differently uh he who remains like i mentioned before had a little more whimsy to him a little bit more like dance to his movement he was he he would slouch and just kind of hang in his chair uh whereas this kang is you know he's tight he's like well he's put together uh i heard described that he's got um no wasted movements uh so he's very very particular and pointed in his actions and and his speech is very you know contained so this might be the like the the tightened, you know, ready for war version of Kane that's, you know, super, uh, a Kang that's super focused and and uh, motivated. But then we, when we see him later on as he remains, he's already accomplished everything. And now he's just, all he has to do is basically watch over and wait for some inevitability. Uh, and so there's a very, there's a, a distinct change there. I think that's a really interesting concept. And I wonder if they're going to go that route. So Kang giving his big evil villain speech right now. Um, Janet obviously does not believe him and we get the ants, socialist (laughs) ants. Can you believe it? TK, these socialist ants, they built the civilization. The ants show up. They have actually fallen into the quantum realm and they have been able to develop at a, an unbelievable rate. They live thousands of years in a single day. So these ants are incredibly advanced, more so than than humans or the beings around them. They actually <laughs> found Hank. And this is a funny yeah. scene where Hank kind of shows up with the ants as the, the backup here. And they help Hank and Scott and Hope towards 
King uh, head towards King's lair. And uh, at this point, Scott loves it because Hank quotes him. Hank uses one of the quotes from his book. Yeah. And Scott just guy. is loving it. <laughs> he is just loving it. It's it's a cool moment here. Um, There's a great the, – the, uh, the best line reading in the movie, maybe second only to that Bill Murray one I said before, is he um, – he says, you read my book? And Hank says, every goddamn word. <laughs> and, <laughs> it is just, I thought so, that was so great. Like, his, you could just totally tell that he hated the book. He thought the book sucked. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, Paul Rudd's reaction is just so like, oh. <laughs> he's, he, he just takes it at, uh, sincerely. Like, he, he read the book, and he's so happy that he read the book. And he doesn't, I don't know. It's such a great moment. And uh, Michael Douglas crushes that line. So... Cassie has to shrink, get into the prison, and she helps free Gentora and some of the other rebels. So now we're going to get ready for our big battle. We've got Cassie, we've got Scott and the Pims, and all of the rebels against Kang and Modok and all of Kang's forces. So Kang, what's cool is I mentioned the villain speech that he was giving to Janet earlier. He's actually able to give this big one where he broadcasts himself over the entire quantum realm. Like anywhere you are, you can just look up in the sky and see like a big hologram of Kang mm-hmm. until it gets hacked in. And Cassie actually hacks into the broadcast and she is uh, is now the big uh, face and the big voice that's coming yeah. over the quantum realm that everybody hears. And this What's kind of the felt- Andor finale. <laughs> right, I was gonna say this felt like Andor or like um, right. um, uh, the Hunger Games kind of a thing, mm. right? Where she gets on and she's like telling everybody to stand up and to rebel. Um, mm. Yeah, this this was that sort of a, um, which I'm not sure about too. I heard of, I had a few people had said, I don't know if it didn't connect as much because you have Cassie giving this speech and not someone like Scott. Yeah, um, <laughs> that you know, definitely like, has something to do with it. Or even Janet. I- who had like yeah. been in the quantum realm for a while. Yeah. And she, like you had said, people would have known felt, her. Like, felt like more of a big part of this movie. This felt yep. a little bit hollow. You know what I mean? Because keep in mind, the point you just mentioned, I thought is the perfect point when you said Andor. Mm-hmm. Because remember what happens in Andor, it's, it's Kino giving the speech, mm-hmm. right? It's the guy that everybody knows giving the speech because doesn't Cassian tell him you got to do this because they know you they know your voice they're going to stand up because of you I don't know if every it's it's weird it is one of those things where I'm not sure if she was the right person to be giving the rally the troops speech but um yeah and I'll I'll add this real quick Cassie throughout the film was kind of a uh complaint of mine I felt like the actress she's not great and she's not great in it to me the impression I got and I think if you think if I might ruin this movie for people if you're thinking about this too much but regardless if you're watching her in each scene and you imagine that her and the co-stars were just goofing off between takes it all makes so much more sense like I get that energy of like that she's just laughing at something Paul Rudd said like between takes and that that energy is carrying over into almost every time she's on screen and that, that it just belies the the um the performance and the reality and the stakes of everything, it just feels like she's not really living through any of these moments. And I thought that that was a, a, a huge disappointment. That that will absolutely tank any scene. If, if the actor's not fully present and selling the reality of it, 
you know, that it's, it's a wash at that point. The scene is, it's over. That's, that's one of the most important things. And for, for whatever reason, I think her character just didn't deliver. And my, my suspicion is that she's a young actor who's working alongside Paul Rudd, who's just cracking her up left and right. And like, that is just like kind of carrying over into her performance. So the other rebels are free and they battle with King's uh, minions and we get a, a Modoc Cassie battle, yeah. but she actually goes e- huge. Remember, she's got yeah. her suit right now and she punches him down. Yeah, she does a she, Hulk smash. She like Loki's him. <laughs> she crushes him, but she tells yeah. him it, it's funny. She says, why are you such a dick? You know, yeah. like she just asks him and, in this is where Modoc has his baby face turn. He has his come yeah. to Jesus moment. Um, and, and at this point is when it's massive space battle. We're mm-hmm. in a Star Wars looking ship with Modoc literally shooting blasts at Cassie. I'm like, is this mm-hmm. like they're blasters that are coming at her yeah. while we're in this ship that literally looks like it's like a hallway of Darth Vader? It was yeah. so. Star Warsy, right here. Yeah. But like you said, the movie moves pretty quick. It's mm-hmm. it's like a fast paced movie, so that does do a good job for when a movie doesn't ha- like when there are some holes. If it's moving mm-hmm. quick and you don't sit on those holes as much, you don't notice them as much. You don't feel them as much. Like in the mm-hmm. second watch through, it moves quickly, and and like you said, some of the the gripes they're still gripes, but you don't. I don't think you feel them as much. Because right. it, it moves kind of quickly. Um, Scott, now yeah, you're right? not you're not like you're not harping on it in the in the moment too much because you're already on to the next thing. You don't have mm-hmm. to dwell on it. You're not forced yep. to dwell on it. Yep. So Scott gets big, and Scott is now pissed off. He's you're messing with my daughter. He goes at Kang, and we're getting all of our heroes having their fun moments. Hank mm-hmm. gets to lead the ants and this huge big ant towards yeah. Kang. Um, Kang has his own forces And so again This part is just battle Battle some really cool visuals Until Modok <laughs> Here comes Modok So we have the rebels falling back It looks like Kang and his group Have gotten the better At this point it's basically Kang versus Scott, Hope, Cassie And all of his His minions, all of his troops mm-hmm. And that's when Modok Comes in Modoc is now a good guy, and <laughs> he uh, he has his big moment. So Modoc saves the day, and uh, and that enables it, it buys a little bit more time for the troops. Gentora yeah. comes back leading the troops. Veb, our guy Veb, the jellyfish, yeah. he gets shot. He's got he finally holes. gets holes. Yeah, he's got <laughs> holes. And, and then. Was this like a Kirby thing that he did? He, he used to play Super <laughs> yeah. Smash Brothers. He he is a hole, and now he can like suck up and eat anything, and just like ingest these uh these other beings. I thought that was kind of funny, and yeah. what Quaz said, he can do that. That was <laughs> I thought that was a good a, a good moment. So Veb was kind of funny. I I uh, I hope we get to see him show back up at some point. I think he's an interesting character. Yeah, there were some good characters down in the quantum realm. I hope they come back, but he's probably the one I, I would love to see, you know, uh, full sized up on up on the earth, like interacting with like 
uh, Captain America or who knows, whatever Avenger. I think that would be a lot of fun to see him pop back up again. He's just an interesting character. And it could solve a lot of problems for our characters as they go out into the the universe and the multiverse of just like, hey, how do we talk to people? Like, oh, let's bring him along. As uh, as Modok is about to die and the heroes are all there with him, he he says, Modok does, at least I got to die in Avenger. Yeah. And then, and and uh, no, like, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, he's dying. I'm not going to I'm not going to yeah. correct him right now. I'm just going to I'm going to yeah. let him die with this one. You know, it was yeah. give it him was, that. Yeah. It was a good moment. Um, so as Janet, Hank, Hope, Cassie all make it to the tower, they Janet has repaired the, the core and she has opened a portal. So. We feel like our our heroes are about to make it home. What did you think of of it? It seeming like the ants were able to take down King. Did you see? Like, was that enough? I had some people here like gripe a little bit about how he's King the Conqueror and we he's almost yeah. taken out by ants. That was the part that we kind of missed right before here. I yeah, you know what? I think it happens so fast that they almost don't give us much of a You're chance right. to really exactly. go. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, but you know what? Throughout the film, there's not a whole lot going on with with the ants. They only give a, a very little bit of screen time to that. Like and I then mentioned it becomes earlier, such a big deal. yeah, yeah. Well, like that the little seed they plant at the beginning of the story before they get sucked into the quantum realm is they drop a little bit of information about what they've been doing with these ants and how that the ants are already advanced. They like at the beginning of the film, I think the ants already have the helmets and stuff, so they're already working with this tech uh, on this nano level. Um, so when they go down to the quantum realm, they do have a head start. They're not just like ant, regular ants that are going to evolve into this. They're already like these advanced intelligent ants that then have thousands of years to work with. That said, yeah, it's a little bit far-fetched. Um, it didn't jump out at me, though, as something that like was a problem. I think that all of them fighting together with the ants, that's what really turns the tide. Sure. Now, will our heroes get away? We have Janet, Hank, Hope, Cassie. They all make it through this portal. So they're they're able to get back from the quantum realm. Right as Scott's about to go through, Kang attacks him. Mm-hmm. This was a pretty, like, this was Kang, Jonathan Majors from Creed 3. Yeah. Right? Like, he, <laughs> he was, like, using some of the stuff that he had in his training because he beat the crap out of Scott here. This was, yeah. this was brutal. This was, like, one of those really brutal fights from, like, a, a Captain America movie where you see mm-hmm. our hero like, man, you like, is he gonna get punched one more time and and like die? It was he was in serious trouble here. As oh wait, Hope's in this movie. She jumps back in again <laughs> to help Scott, and the yep. two of them are able to get the better of Kang, and they destroy the core. I thought it was pretty cool. They used the growing and shrinking discs on it to help yeah. uh, destroy it. So I thought that was actually a, a pretty cool moment. And then Hope pushes Kang towards it, which sucks him into the portal, mm-hmm. and then he's gone. But we always yeah. know, TK, if we don't see somebody die, if we yeah. don't see them go, if we are not 100% sure they are dead and in the ground, they're right. going to be coming back. I mean, proof positive right here is that we saw Darren come back in this film, and he had it, almost the, the mirror image of Kang's end, you know, at the end of, at the end of this movie. So... Uh, yeah, I think it's almost guaranteed that we will see not just Kang again, but this version of Kang. 
We then uh, flash back to current day, and we're back home. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> so Scott is hanging with his family, happy-go-lucky. Scott, you just saved the quantum realm with your family and drank a guy with holes. Why does this kind of stuff keep? Ha- Why does this kind of stuff keep happening to you? I thought that was a great quote. That was the one I wrote yeah. down. And uh, in the next one, he says, "One day you're getting fired from Baskin Robbins. The next day, you're beating a time traveling space king. Uh, you're beating a time traveling space king. We did beat him, right? And now he's confused. Yeah. And it seems like something bad is about to happen. There's this ominous music, and then." Oh, no big deal. Welcome yeah. back. Sit down. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome. And he just keeps walking. And I think he goes in and buys a coffee and it's 12 bucks. 12 bucks for a coffee? Yeah. The guy goes, No, you're not the end. You're the spider. You're not the spider. Yeah. You're the other end. You're the end. He gets it right. He gets it I right thought, this time. That's good. I thought that was funny. And um, it seems like things <laughs> are all great. Or are they? We know. <laughs> we know what's coming next. And as we finish up, we have a mid credit scene, TK, mm-hmm. at the Council of Kangs. All these different Kang variants. I saw an Egyptian Kang. There was one that looked like an X-Men Kang. All mm-hmm. types of different creatures and variants, different species of Kangs. And yeah. they are a coming. The Council of Kang was – this was cool. This was a short, but visually, like you had said, I wish we got – more variants of Scott earlier in the mm-hmm. probability storm that looked more like this, just completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been an interesting um, detail uh, that I would have appreciated. Didn't make or break the moment or anything for me, but yeah, it did seem odd that that was the way it played out and that we, we see an example of all these variants and that they generally are different from one to the next, but so many of Ant-Man's were just basically identical from what we could tell. But yeah, very cool ending sequence poses a lot of interesting questions about where they go from here. Uh, I mean, we just saw how dangerous this one Kang was. Now we see essentially an infinite amount more. How possibly are you know our heroes going to face and, and uh, overcome this threat? Uh, on another note, how possibly is Marvel going to move forward if With the me. Jonathan Major situation yeah. uh, deteriorates even further, or if he's not exonerated on on this stuff how, how do they recast do they scrap the plans do they go a completely different direction I because he's rumors, like yeah, the second scene, rumors jeff loveness is not coming back because the second um, post credit scene is he's in it yeah and it teases oh, loki because yeah. we and that's loki, already shot and that's, that's already shot loki and yeah. mobius tom hiddleston and, and owen wilson yeah. they are in it's like 19th century and he's a teacher he's teaching a class kang is and in the audience, it's Loki and Mobius, and it's like they were going to find him, and Loki said, that's him. That's the man, and it looks like Kang recognizes Loki right at the end. So yeah. what do you do? You know, it's just <laughs> they're in a really tough situation. They just – they got to let the process play out yeah. a little bit here, and then you got to figure out what you're going to do because, yeah, it's <laughs> – this guy was supposed to be the the Thanos now for this next linchpin, yeah. you know, this next phase. And I'm glad again. I'm glad the way it all worked out because I, there have been a few things I've been really negative on with Marvel, but for the most mm-hmm. part, it's more of like like that one better than that one 
overall. Like we're yeah. we're here doing this podcast and talking about this because we enjoy the majority of these projects, movies, and shows. It's just mm-hmm. we got we started out with Iron Man. Like we had a yeah. really great start. And so from the very beginning, we've had high quality stuff all the way through. And mm-hmm. before Disney Plus, we were getting things like one a year. And then mm-hmm. the very beginning of Disney Plus, we just got a little oversaturation. I think now yeah. with the way the timing is and things are spread out a little bit more again, I think we'll be okay, even though we have mm-hmm. a lot of projects moving forward. I just think, mm-hmm. man, last year, think about how we went from show to show to show to show, like boom, 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 boom. And a yep. couple of them didn't feel like they were as completed as they they should have yeah. been. Right now, moving forward, I think we have Secret Invasion in, at the end of the month. We have the Marvels in November, but we're not at that same kind of pace, which is good. I think that we needed to slow yeah. down a little bit in the MCU. Yeah, and I'm glad that they're they're changing course there. Bob Iger has uh, made that a mandate. Kevin Feige has, you know, he's announced that they're going to be kind of changing course a little bit, slowing down, focusing on uh, quality over quantity. They maybe got a little bit ahead of themselves, a little bit too ambitious. The infrastructure was not there to be able to support those ambitions and under the schedule that they were going for. Uh, and to their credit, they were able to do some really cool things and be fairly successful in that time, you know, with that heavy ambition. But it was at the cost of overall quality. And I think general interest in the MCU has dipped a little bit. I think our faith and expectations about these movies have dipped a little bit. Um, and that's that's not a good thing. It's but it's not something that they can't overcome and that uh, that I don't have confidence that they will overcome. I'm, I'm, you know, fingers crossed. I'm really hoping that they are able to right the ship. Uh, and this is an example, this movie, I think, of that they, they have the ingredients to be able to do that. They just have to kind of, you know, mix up the recipe a little bit, adjust the timing, adjust uh, the overall approach to things, give themselves a little bit more space to work with. And I think the end product is going to serve audiences and ultimately the the um, the health of the IP and the company itself, it's going to serve all those things in the long run. Uh, so I think, you know, we're, we're far from saying that, you know, the MCU is shot. I think that there's a lot of uh, opportunity to come back, to reset. I think they've built in kind of an escape hatch for how they can reset everything with, you know, upcoming Secret Wars uh, and, you know, bringing in the X-Men, bringing in Fantastic Four. I think there's going to be a canon reset at some point utilizing all this multiverse stuff so that they can keep all the stories that we've built upon, not erase them, but then, but reset moving forward to something a little bit more clean. Um, and maybe even at once we're done with this multiverse saga, hone back into, you know, a core Marvel 616 universe that's a little bit different than what we're, we're living in right now that has the entirety of the characters and maybe some other characters that we have said goodbye to, they come back in a new form, or, you know, even the old cast, the old cast back, but just in a new variant of that. Really, the 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 doors are wide open and the possibilities are endless with this sort of thing. DC is about to do something very similar. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is kind of what's in store for the MCU as well. Kind of a soft reboot at some point. Since we were talking about it, I've been trying to figure it out. Absolute point is what I think we were looking for earlier. The moments that don't right. change on any timeline. 
the the moment that yeah. is always the same. So that sounds right. I think yeah, that's, it's yeah. Uh, the the absolute points are mm-hmm. the moments that uh, events that can't be changed and and create branch timelines. So like when we saw with uh, in Doctor Strange. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every time in what if, remember, every time he kept yes. trying to go back and redo it, that same event would always happen. And uh, I got to give a Precisely. shout out. This is a total tangent. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, Dave. Well, watch- I just haven't seen the finale yet, but I'm, oh my I'm, God. I'm I got to say, because I was thinking of Rachel McAdams. Oh, my yes. God. He records and in the finale. It's not like a spoiler because he's been doing this <laughs> already. He records like the full version of a song called Mr. McAdams. That is him. Oh, love that. Oh I heard my the, god! I heard the clip that he played in the other episode. Dude, so I, thought I will tell awesome. you, the finale. I've watched yeah. three times. Oh, I'm, wow. make, I'm making people who haven't ever watched Dave watch the <laughs> finale because it's so random and funny. There is an a cam- I don't know if you know who the cameo is in it in the, no, se- in the finale. One of the biggest stars in the history of Hollywood is in the wow. in, in the movie for is in the show for the whole episode. You could wow. not, you wouldn't even believe it. I was like, he pops in at the beginning and it feels yeah. like he's going to have just a tiny cameo where he's really yeah. funny. And then he comes back and he's like with Dave for another 20 minutes of it. And is basically the episode is a, re- I was, I'm watching tonight. <laughs> and it made me love for, it made me love Rachel McAdams and this other actor even more that they are so like, they have such a good sense of humor That's that they're awesome. willing. And I even forgot like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in season two of this. But you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love that episode. Kareem. It's like, I yeah. really appreciate how all these serious people ha- are having fun with it. Because if you haven't yeah. watched Dave, it's a fantastic show. You got to go check it out. Yeah. The, the dude is just neurotic. What, I, what mm-hmm. I tell people about Dave is the show says things that people think but never will say. And, mm, and that's yeah, why yeah. It's like there's all these thoughts that are going on in your head. But why I got off on that tangent was thinking about <laughs> Rachel McAdams and, uh, yes. and and he brings her up. So, TK, another one in the books, man. It's so cool to think about how much ground we've yeah. covered in the last few years, man. All of these shows, all of these movies. You helped out with some Star Wars, too. Uh, now we get a little bit of a break, just a few weeks. But we'll be back <laughs> to talk about Secret Invasion. Um, Secret Invasion oh. Is yeah. on the twenty first, but I got to ask you. Let everybody know what's going on with you. How are things looking with your wife and uh, and the oh, the pregnancy as we get closer to having the baby? Oh yes, yeah. so my wife is expecting. Uh, we're having a baby boy, Jackson Brian Kelly, and he's expected on June. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, June seventeenth. I think maybe the eighteenth. So uh, I'll I'll have you keep uh, me posted on this. If and again, I know how you are. You like to do all this stuff. (laughs) You want to do it, but if you if we get to do if I need to do one or two with myself or someone else, or maybe Mm -hmm. we can do the first two or three together. If that's easier for you or something, Mm -hmm. you let me know. Whatever's best for you, we'll do. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Have a few weeks off, and you need just know this is your seat. Your seat is always warm. So if you're gone for a week or <laughs> two, you, you come back whenever you want. Just it's always here for you. Much, much appreciated. And uh, I'm reminded now of, of uh, when my first son, Connor, was born, uh, talking about WandaVision in the, in the yeah. hospital waiting room. You know, you're right. Out from over there. And that was the first one we did. So <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I can't believe it's already that's, been that's goosebumps, man. two and a half years about, about that two is, and a half years. So it's uh Time has really flown, so uh, wow. I'm excited for this next chapter, and uh, 
I'm going to do my best, of course, to make myself available for these. Uh, and I, I, I have uh, full intention to uh, to do those episodes with you. So we'll uh, we'll figure out the timing uh, as it as it progresses. But uh, yeah, I'm super stoked to check out Secret Wars and the upcoming uh, Marvel projects that are on the docket, low key behind that. Uh, so uh, very excited to see what what's next. I really don't know where they're going with this Me stuff. Either. And, you know, who's going to be involved in it? I've been very um, kind of hands off with looking into the behind the scenes of these things. And I don't know how much they've even really released uh, for, for beyond a couple of, um, of, uh, of, of trailers. The Secret Invasion tra- trailer I thought was pretty decent, uh, but that didn't show too much. So who knows what all this is about, what we're about to get into, how it's good, what it's going to mean for the rest of the MCU in the next few years. Are they going to have to course correct? Are they already going to be changing things or cutting things out because of what's going on with Jonathan Majors? Very intrigued to see what's happening there. Nah. Khaleesi joins the party. <laughs> Amelia Clark yeah. will be in, uh, on the uh, the cast for Secret Invasion. Uh, make sure to give Tim a follow at Tim Is Not Funny Twitter and on Instagram. Check out his incredible music projects. You can see links when you follow him on social media to all of the stuff there. TK, buddy, thank you so much, my man. I know thank it's a busy you. time for you with you guys expecting. Thanks for hammering out uh, Guardians and Ant-Man over the last few weeks. And I look forward to talking to you again uh, in the, in a couple weeks for some Secret Invasion. Much appreciated. I look forward okay, to it. Okay, give me, give me a one thirty second. You yeah. saw it. I haven't seen it. Sp- across the spider oh, Give me like a 30-second non-spoiler, like positives, negatives, Absolutely. how your overall feel. Positives. Uh, every frame of this movie is beautiful, yes, inspired. There's there's something to soak in and enjoy about. It's so detailed. I mean, you will miss so much on the first viewing of this movie. I've gone back to see it with my son uh, yesterday morning, so I've, uh, we didn't get through the whole thing. It is a longer movie, so little kids might not be able to get through it. Um, but you know, on my second viewing, I took so much more in than I got the first time. Uh, it is a cliffhanger movie. That's the only spoiler I'll give besides mentioning that there's something to do with canon events throughout that really mirrors, you know, the absolute points we were talking about um, uh, today. But uh, yeah, it is a really great story. It's again, Miles Morales' story, but it's expanded. We get a lot more of some of the other characters that we met in the previous uh, film, but we get a lot of new characters. There's so many Spider-Men in this movie. Uh, it just doesn't stop moving. There's a kinetic uh, aspect of this film that's driven by the music. The musicality of it all is in, is incredible. But again, uh, just go to see this movie to just let the art wash over you. That's one reason awesome. alone to just you know pay that ticket price and get in there. But it's a beautiful story, beautifully told, a lot of funny moments. Uh, I think it's one of the best superhero films ever made. I can't wait to see it again. Awesome. As you and I are recording this on Sunday morning, uh, I'm going to go see it tonight, Sunday night. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped <laughs> for that. Let me know when. I'm, I might tag along. <laughs> okay, I will. I will. Awesome, man. TK, buddy, thank you again so much. You have a great uh, couple weeks, and we'll talk to you again soon for some Secret Invasion. You too. Thanks so much. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Can't imagine too many other shows where you're going to get a full Belmont Stakes preview. You get a segment on everything going on in the NBA Finals. You get everything going on in the world of wrestling this week. And a deep dive into Ant-Man for you fans of Marvel. Thanks so much to Tim Kelly for helping us out. Chad Cooper, Koopaloop, Matt DeSantis, and Barry Spears, and Eric from etof One Sports. We covered so much ground today. These are the shows that I love when we get into all the different topics, so many different subjects. Hope everyone has a great week. 
And if you need more help with the races this weekend, Louisiana Downs and Santa Anita, we've got you covered. Come follow me on social media. There will be posts there for best bets for Santa Anita and Louisiana for the weekend.